everyone. Welcome to Between the Sheets, episode number 334. I'm your host, Chris Zoner, joined as always by my host, David Bix and Span and Bix. It's just me and you this week as uh, we're recording the week of Christmas. And uh, yeah, it's just. You it's didn't us. want to pester anyone. Didn't want to pester anyone because it's a busy time. People may be traveling and all that good stuff. So, and we got an 80 show. So. This show will probably be a shorter show than normal, although I say that it probably will be, might not, but anyway. But anyway, how are, how are you doing this week? I'm doing okay. Well, that's good. That's good. Now, we have a Patreon show to uh, talk about. And, you know, normally I plug the Patreon shows at the beginning of the show, during, during the halftime segment, whatever. But... So it's Christmas, and Bix, of course, doesn't celebrate Christmas, so he, he'll, he'll be able to get a Christmas present of being able to plug the Patreon show at the beginning of this show. So, Bix, Merry Christmas. That's how you got there? <laughs> That's how you got there? You didn't want to just admit that you felt like you had done it enough already? <laughs> well, it's my Christmas present to you. Sounds like it's your Christmas present to yourself. But anyway... <laughs> Uh, as many of you know, uh, the latest Patreon show to go up at the $5 a month tier or higher is part two of two, where we are joined by our dear friend, the King of Kings, Sport, Bo James, to talk about John Collins' main event championship wrestling from 2001 and, uh, the fallout that lasts a little longer than that. And you should probably give the additional context because I don't think we have in the plugs yet. And I made sure to try to give some on Twitter. For those of you not familiar with this story, you know that guy CM Punk kept mentioning in interviews when he signed with AEW? That guy who made him skeptical of people saying they had money and were starting a national promotion? This is that guy. <laughs> John Collins yeah. is that guy. MECW is that promotion. Because, you know, at the time... uh Punk and the other Chicago guys, besides working IWA Mid-South, they were also working Coliseum Championship Wrestling in Evansville some, which uh, Collins ends up being heavily involved with, and he would have been one of the various people to hear the bullshit, directly from John Collins. So, mm -hmm. you know, there would be more over the years. I was digging around at one point after I did these notes, and I did see that the, uh, the Sean Davis project has been more than 10 years ago, so we need to get that eventually on a Patreon show as far as similar type scenarios. But yes, that's what this is. This is who we're talking about here. And oh, what was the other thing I tweeted as far as uh, Collins? What was it? I gave the punk context, and what was the other thing I said? I don't know. Hold on, I'm checking, because now I'm draw I feel stupid that I'm not remembering. Uh, maybe it's not here. Okay. Anyway. But yes, that's that's what this is, and he is, like we've said before, kind of a combination of Herb Abrams, Paul Heyman, and all the scamminess around Global early on, the type of things we've covered on past shows. And it goes way further than that. As you'll hear in the free preview clip we had at the end of last week's show, probably be at the end of this week's show too, may also be standalone in the regular feed, we have a transcript of him harassing a f message board poster over AOL Instant Messenger, which we read with you playing uh, Crimson Mass from Wrestling Classics and me playing John Collins. So that's in the free preview, but there's so much more than that. He 
claims to have multiple heart attacks, wrestlers showing up at his house to get their money, um, pretending that he had rented an office when he was at his house and being caught out on it. And I won't tell you how, um, Bo giving a, what was it? Like 40 minute lesson in local promotion. Yeah, pretty much. From discussing that, which if you love, uh, old TNA stuff, you'll definitely enjoy this. Cause a lot of that lesson involves Bo's experiences when he and Randy Hales were promoting towns for TNA back in 2013, 2014. So that's on there, you know, things just going to hell right after the ECW arena TV taping or alleged TV taping they ran, how this actually is what sent Collins to prison, all of the financial bullshit with this, how it turned out that his backer was under court order from the SEC to not spend money. I mean, is there anything else of note that I'm leaving out or is that a pretty good summation of what some of the many adventures contained in part two. Yeah. I wouldn't go too, too much further because we don't want to give everything away. Yes. But yes, patreon.com slash between the sheets, $5 tier or higher. And when I say $5 tier, that includes buying a year in advance for the discounted price of $50 and 40 cents, which is 16% off. So that's patreon.com slash between the sheets. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's get to this show, shall we? As we are going to discuss the week that was December 22nd through the 28th of 1986. Oh, so we're doing an actual week in a year for an older show for once. Yeah, I'm going to make sure I'm correct because I, I'm pretty sure that's what it, what it is. Um, 22 to 28th is the way if we're using our normal format is what the dates would be. Yes. Yeah, I know, but I'm making sure that... You didn't have to fill any extras in. Oh, uh, okay. At, yeah, it's 22nd through the 28th, absolutely, because we did the 29th through the 4th on show 24. Oh, wow. Way back in the day, and uh, when Rob Naylor was on with us that time. So, so yeah, we've already um, we've already done uh, that, and then the, before that was 7th through the 13th. So, guess what, folks? Next year, we'll probably have the 14th to the 21st. <laughs> <laughs> so, be prepared for that. All right. Um, Let's start with Jim Crockett promotions, shall we? Relations with Florida are now kaput. Since Crockett's running shows in opposition to Florida, which will be forced to, into pulling out of the NWA, and all the magazines are trying to make Florida look bad because, like, they make Fritz look bad for something they had no choice but to do. As Crockett on January 16th will run in Hollywood, Florida, and the 21st in Jacksonville. They're going to draw really well down there, Dave's told. Hollywood show has Flair versus Dusty. Remember, Dusty's ever big in Florida in more ways than his revolving everything around himself. The scaffold match with the Road Warriors at Midnight, Nick Nikita versus Tully, Barry against Arn, Brad Armstrong against Jimmy Garvin in a death match, Rock and Rolls against Ivan and Vladimir. And it's noted here, Vladimir Pietrov, John Nord in parentheses, etc. See, so this, I mean, th- this was not some thing that was just all of a sudden this was a thing that was talked about in the, the observer two weeks before actually the, the, the debut of Vladimir Pietrov. John Nor was going to be Vladimir Pietrov. He just got cold feet and decided he didn't want to do it. He just wanted to stay in Minnesota and Al Blake got the gig instead. Cause he just happened to be there. He just had me hanging out with Hawk <laughs> and they shaved his head and at, T- at TBS game of England. 
I mean, what an amazing story that is. Just happened to be there. Because they were so gung-ho on doing this gimmick that they had to do it with him. Well, they must have felt like they still needed a partner for Ivan after Nikita turned and... Well, they get there by the term Murdoch! (laughs) Well, that's it. (laughs) That's the thing. That's the whole strange thing is this. If you're going with in that direction, if you're going to turn Murdoch, then why are you going here? I don't know. And what's the state of Barry Darso's knee at this time? It ain't the state of his knee. He's unquit. He okay. quit because of the shitty payoff of Starcade, and he's gone to work with WWF. That's right. Okay. So the reason they need a flat <laughs> is not Nikita turning as much as Barry Darso quitting. Yeah. It's, it's a exactly. combination of both. Because, you know, within a couple of months, they go from a three-man team to no team. And then, and then, you know, I guess that Dusty felt like, well, shit, this this guy's not working out. Now I got to turn Dick, you know, sure. to give Ivan a, a partner. And then you got to work around Dick's New Japan tours. So, what was the payoff allegedly that was so low? Uh, I don't, I, re- I don't remember what what um, Darso said the, what he got. But it, it was multiple years in a row that that happened because the year before it was Ter- Terry Taylor and Billy Jack. So I have no idea what it would be that would have uh, got these guys so pissed off. I'm I'm guessing that it was a payoff that because whenever we've heard specific Starcade payoffs, they never seem low, you know. Yeah. But I'm wondering if it's a payoff that was appropriate for the slot on the card, but for it being a title match seemed low, maybe. Who knows, maybe. No. Well, also, has it ever been made clear? Because I know Crockett didn't adhere to the actual, you know, gate percentage formula. But they weren't just being paid on the house of the arena they were at on these two two arena starcades. And I don't think even before they were just paying on the house of the one arena. I think they were paying based on what they had as far as the closed circuit reports, because I don't think they got them the night of anyway. So I just can't imagine what a payoff so low you'd quit would be. Well, also we need to remember, too, if you believe Nikita, and I think Meltzer said there's some truth to this, Nikita was approached about well, wait a second, though. Demolition hasn't debuted yet, and Randy Colley hasn't been forced out of the gimmick yet. So it can't have anything to do with Demolition coming. No, he's just going to go to work there. Yeah. Although, when does he... So he's in he's in Crockett, though, for most of December, right? Yeah, because they lose the U.S. tag titles at the first of December. So was it he gave a... So he gave his notice at some point before that, you think? No, he just quit. Oh, you, he, you, your understanding <laughs> is he didn't give a notice. Okay. He quit. Because he stays through the end of the month. He stays past. Yeah. Actually, wait a second. So had, had the Observer reported that he had quit yet? Yes. Yes. Okay. So he obviously did give his notice then. Although, what well, was this published in? He just quit. Well, wait, I just realized, though. 86 Observer. When would this have been written approximately? Uh, I, I don't know. But what I'm was the cover date, at least? December something. 
I can't remember. I don't oh, look no, at no. all that. Well, you were the one. Okay, no, I asked, though, because I'm trying to figure out. I'm just, out I was out. copying stuff down. <laughs> I know. I'm trying to figure out exactly, like, when this would have been written relative to everything, because he's there through the 29th. I don't know. You get what I'm saying, right? Anyway, it's confusing, but he just, he, yeah. He didn't know that he was going to end up having as good a spot as he did. I I wonder when he first talked to them what, um, actually, no, he's still working there into the beginning of January. Or, no, no results. Okay, never mind. So, okay, meanwhile, of course, wrestling data, unfortunately, has the has him linked to the original demolition results, even. So that's not helpful. But, of course. Which... That's a pretty obvious mistake to make, though. It's yes, one well. set of tapings. Happens a lot. I know, but even by even knowing some of this stuff happening, that's anyway. Let's move on. All right. So, in, in fact, Flair will no longer be appearing in Florida for CWF and on TV. Gordon Soli even said that Flair had refused to defend the title, and how either Bad News Allen or Lance Luger could beat him at will on any given night. The NWA has died. However, pretty soon Crockett will be running shows in Florida using Lex Luger as well. Da, 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 da. The folks of Florida, like Hiro Masuda, are understandably fuming about this, claiming a gentleman's agreement they had with Dusty that Dusty would never work against them. Well, you know how those things go. <laughs> and the thing is, is that, I mean, those guys end up working with Dusty. You know, they go in, they promote a couple of shows. And, you know, Luger leaves, and basically they, they see the writing on the wall, and it's like, well, we can't beat these guys. Let's join them. You know? Yeah. They made the right decision. Because 86 was not a good year for them, and they made the right decision to to bounce and uh, let them come in. And then Crockett comes in, and, you know, they put their guys in the territory kind of uh, juice it back up again before eventually deciding to just pull the plug altogether. Yep. But in February, though, there was that talk that of uh, this you know, group of the promotions that had been burnt by Crockett, like Continental and Florida and Don Owen and Pop Geigel. They were going to, you know, all grouped together. And everybody, I mean, you, you can just read that and know how that was going to turn out. So it didn't happen. Pretty much, promoter those old promoters couldn't work together. It just it just was not going to be possible. I couldn't agree on what to order for lunch, pal. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. All right, Dave says he's not exactly sure what's going on, but it appears Ole Anderson is soon to be an ex for enforcement. They're snubbing him on interviews, etc. Boy, Dave, hate for them to turn in babyface. And JJ and Teller are talking about a surprise. So perhaps they will still replace Oli with Lex Luger as the full horseman. Not a bad idea for Lex because he can easily be hidden in tag matches and want to say much on interviews with JJ and Tully around. All right. I just watched Lex's debut um, right before we record this, actually. It's Didn't like we actually much. cover that on here a while back and watch it? It was January 1787, uh, uh, episode of World Championship Wrestling. So he makes his debut on January 17th and he becomes an associate of the horseman. He doesn't become a full horseman though until March. So they drag it out a little while. 
until they finally make the decision to you know do the holy turn. Yeah. But but, but it, it will play it. We got a clip of a, a arm promo, and Ole's involved, so you'll get it. But it's, it was very interesting watching this stuff because it basically starts a couple weeks after Starcade, after Arn and Ole lose against the Rock and Roll Express, and JJ's like snubbing Ole big time, subtly. If Ole starts talking, JJ interrupt him. There's thing where I mean they do the thing where they all put their hands on top of each other's hands and JJ's like maneuvering himself to block Oli for putting his <laughs> hand in. I mean it's very and and then and then in January they start doing these promos where they're talking about horseman unity and they let Oli talk. I mean Oli's talking again and then there's this one promo where JJ is like kissing Oli's ass, you know, running down Oli's history and everything. And then it's the week after that is when they had the fucking turn. So it seemed like they were trying to go overboard to throw the fans off because it was becoming so obvious. And then they do the turn. Yes. But, by the way, for the for the record, the Brody match is three days after that debut was taped. Yeah. The... um. Which, which probably explains a lot for that too. Um, the only the, the thing about the Horsemen, you know, the the only run of the Horsemen does not last that long. Oh, I mean, because he comes back in June of '86 from his time off, where he he does his all Japan tours. He you know, spends time with his son. And he comes you back in June. Not knows kid. Yeah, comes back in June, and and the, this run lasts uh, from June on to the turn. And he's gone for a lot of early '87. He's not around a whole lot, and that's you know where all this is going with the turn too. Hmm. And so he's only that horseman runs only basically eight nine months. Yeah. You know, the Luger Horseman run is eight to nine months, you know? Wyndham. Uh, the Wyndham run, well, I mean, the Wyndham run's less than that because aren't until you leave in September. I mean, if, so you that, continue, if you count it through Wyndham leaving, though, it's still only like... Yeah, but you count through May. Wyndham, yeah, but you're still, I mean, you're still looking at 10, 11 months that way, but I look at it when Arne Tully leaves, so we're, we're looking at four. You know, mm-hmm. and then the the Sid Wyndham, you know, Horseman in '90, they're only together for a, a, about a year. Was well, yeah, about a year. But that we, we talked about that last week. How that Horseman Wyndham's out for a long period of time. Sid teams with Dan Spivey. I mean, it's 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 not a true Horseman unit per se. Yes. Until I mean, in the early '91, it is. But, you know, the much of 90 is just convoluted. So these ho- horsemen is always remembered as being, you know, the, the great faction. And they were. But once you look at the timelines and their longevity, I mean, really, the horsemen's flair totally in R. Yes. It's just three with a cast of characters as the fourth guy. Well, and JJ. Yeah, I guess JJ could probably count as the fourth horseman. Yeah. You know? I guess then, so the... 
And even then, it's not by that much because of Arn retiring. <laughs> the longest lasting horseman lineup then would probably be Flair, Arn, Benoit, Bongo. Yes. How about it that? Mm hmm. Well, do we throw Jeff Jarrett in there? He was an official horseman. Uh, don't tell Jeff that. <laughs> he kind of was. I mean, he was a. He was. His well, voice, he wasn't so, even in there the whole time, though. So it would be the other. Yeah. Part. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's an interesting statistic, isn't it? Yeah. Because okay, if I'm thinking, because then the last version. When does that go through? When does when when do they split up? Because if you if they form September ninety eight, when in ninety nine are they done? It's less than a year though, right? Oh, way less. Yeah. Uh, so, yes. uh, so, yeah. Like so it's March? easily the Benoit Mongo version. Yeah. March. No, they're still the Horsemen in April because of the Spring Stampede match. Um, and they're still a team until I think at least June, associated with Arn. But Flair's, but, things, doing but Flair's doing his own thing, right? So it starts to kind yeah. of fade away as the spring goes on yeah. into the summer. And uh, something I forgot, too, there was supposed to be a Luger-Brody second cage match the next night in, uh, where was it? Fort Lauderdale, I think? And it didn't happen. Gee, I don't know why. Well, we know why. I think Luger even admitted it. That didn't, didn't he give an interview where he said he called Crockett and they told him to just come to the Carolinas and not make the rest of his dates? Or am I misremembering that? Pretty much, yeah, because he, uh, he doesn't work anymore. Yeah. Although I think I think Fort Lauderdale is the last thing he was advertised for. All right, they're already starting to hype the tag team tournament on April 10th and 11th in Baltimore. No details are available right now other than they're going to have 25 teams. How they can do that when they aren't cooperating with any other promotion is beyond me, Dave says. Oh, boy, should I pull up the brackets? <laughs> well, I mean, they had the... Uh, they have Giant Baba and uh Yingi. Yes, the future oh, Arashi too. Yeah. But basically everybody in every team in the tournament pretty much is a Crockett team, so to speak. All right, let's see. As I go through But by the, the by that point in time though, they have Florida though, too. See, that's the thing. So they so there are there is some Florida talent involved. Yes. No no UWF yet. Because that that no. goes through right, well, right the, then. The deal was the deal was done, but the angle hadn't started. In fact, it started uh, the weekend after. That's right. when they did the, the taping. Well, there isn't really an angle, but yeah. Right, well, so. when when Bubba showed up. All right. So looking at uh, the brackets, I forgot that there's Ar there's an Arn and Kevin Sullivan team in there for some reason. Because. Um, Arn to have a partner because Luger and Tully were teaming. And Flair was defending against uh, Barry. Okay, so there's Arn and Sullivan, Armstrongs, Koloff and Petrov, Mod Squad, Wahoo and Von Raschke, Luger and Tully, Baba and Tagagi, uh, Denny Brown and Chris Champion, Malkies. Denny Steve. and Todd Champion. It, oh, okay. It says Chris Champion here on Jason Campbell's site. That's wrong. Because he's with Sean Royal in Florida. Should fix that then. Uh, Steve Kern and George <laughs> South, Mike Graham and Nelson Royal, Rock and Roll Express, Road Warriors, Jimmy Valiant and Lasertron, Shaska Watley and T.J. Khan, Ricky Lee Jones, Ricky Gibson and Italian Stallion, The Garvins, Midnight Express, Raging and Ravishing, Rocky King and Bobby Jaggers, 
Thunderfoots. So where are you on that? Thunderfoots or Thunderfeet? Thunderfeet. Okay. So that's wrong too. Bill Dundee and Barbarian, <laughs> uh, Tim Horner and Mike Rotunda, and Dusty Rhodes and Nikita Koloff. So yeah. George, uh, South, George South is subbing for Mike Graham and the Steve Kern tag team. Uh, Rocky King, of course, subbing for Dutch with Bobby Jaggers. So who's Mike Graham subbing for? Mike Graham. Well, Mike Graham was. Who was Mike Graham teaming with? Nelson Royal. That's right. Why didn't George they just make it? Wait, why didn't they just make it Mike Graham, oh, Steve Kern against George South and Nelson Royal? I think I think the original idea may have been to have Kern and Lane as the Fabs. Oh, so they were booked it's as the it. Fabs originally. Yeah. And David did the turn because the turn happened. I mean, not turn, but the lane debut happened like two or three weeks before. Yeah, very short. Now you do have makeshift teams in there, but yeah, other than the All Japan team, they're all Crockett teams. There's a lot of talent in that promotion. Yes, and then in '88, I don't think there's no. But I'm saying, but I don't think there's even a Japanese team in '88. No, there's not. It's all Crockett talent. Yeah, well, they had a loaded roster then. Yes. Plus, they also had the team of the Green Machine and the Terminator. Well, yeah. And Joe Cruz and Ray right, Chris, Christmas week is tradition in the biggest of the year, and crowds weren't too bad these past few days. The Christmas spectaculars were a far cry from years past when several promotions could sell big buildings during the week. In fact, the only reported sellouts of the entire week was Christmas night, Christmas Day in Charlotte, and uh, Christmas, not Christmas, in Toronto for Maple Leaf Gardens on the 28th for WWF. Crockett said I should have an asterisk by it, though, since it's fan appreciation night, and all seats were priced at $4. All seats. So that's a $40,800 house with the listed attendance of 10200 Yeah, which they taped TV for. Uh, we had um, NWA Pro, which aired on January 3rd, 87. Had the good over Eddie Roberts. Barry Wyndham over Gary Royal. The Barbarian over Baron Von Raschke. And Robert Gibson go to a draw with Ravishing Rick Rude. Down worldwide on the third, we had Ricky Morton over Manny Fernandez. Barry went over Shaska Watley. Jimmy Vang over Bill Dundee. And your main event, the Road Warriors and the Superpowers, Dusty Nikita, over the Full Horseman. I presume on worldwide that was Tony. We got to go. Oh, of course. But Naturally. no but no straight-up dark matches. Uh, no. So... No. In other words, they're charging $4 across the board because it's a TV taping, pretty much. Yeah. Like, you do get the marquee eight-man that you're not really seeing on TV, but this is just their way of doing a hot TV taping in a big building. All right, all right. So I've, I'm I'm pulling it up here. So this is going to be the ending of that Worldwide. Okay. So you can see... Uh... You can get your jollies here on how they ended the show. Oh, is this the one? Is this the one I'm thinking of? No, I'm just saying we'll just see how. It, I don't remember, so we'll just see how it goes. How they ended it? Okay, because I was I was thinking it was the one where it's Tony. I don't think it's this one, but I mean, you'll just this crowd's fucking insane hot. So wait, did you cue it up to the end, or should I? Oh, sorry. I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> I'll do it. Don't worry. I had uh, it at forty three fifty, but so yeah, whatever. Because I believe Tony, we've got to go, is an eight-man tag. Um, it might be this one. We'll see. But it might be the cage match I'm thinking of. So you said 43-50-ish? I mean, that's where I was at. Yeah. He wouldn't do that at all. 
away. Action like this is coming your way during the entire 1987. Stars like the Road Warriors, Dusty Rhodes, Nikita, the Four Horsemen, and many others. Did Flair just yay, yell something along the lines of, come on, motherfucker, hey, motherfucker, at Hawk? Yeah, and you know, Hawk just punched him right in the face. <laughs> and look at the greatest wrestlers, and this match continues. Jack, cameraman. That's the end of the YouTube yeah, video. Yeah, that's how it ended. So Dave, I don't think Dave, Dave wasn't even there the way it sounded. So. Hot crowd, though. Oh, my God. So, yeah. Yes. I did find it interesting, though, how that we gotta go is a led by tony b frame very clearly being framed as a way to drive people to house shows oh yeah yeah which is not normally how they did it at least in the ones i remember seeing no all right well that night they were in greenville south carolina at the memorial auditorium entry 3566 for ten thousand. well no that day they were in greenville Oh, that's right. Sorry. Yeah. So the other crew was in Greenville. Sorry about that. And uh, they did a $10,700 gate where you had the Thunderfeet over Rocky King and George South. Rocky Cronodal over Alan West. Don Cronodal over Ricky Lee Jones, Ricky Gibson. And the World Junior Way title, downtown Danny Brown went to a draw with Nelson Royal to retain his title. Candace Jayhawks over Ivan Koloff and Crusher Khrushchev. Brad Armstrong over Jimmy Garvin. The Midnight's and Ivan Koloff, something for Big Bubba. Be Dutch Mantel, something for Wahoo McDaniel. Bobby Jaggers, something for Dick Murdoch. And Ronnie Garvin in an elimination match. And we but, should know, too, with no mid, I mean, excuse me, with the Midnight's on there. Um, I forget, is Cornette still out by this point? Yes, Baby Doll's still managing him. So, yeah, so Cornette is missing out on the Christmas week payoffs. Yeah. And then the Omni that night, 16,000 fans for an $80,000 house. Oh, so wait a second. Okay, so they had two matinees. I see. Okay, I was confused. And then they combined crews at night in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Then Denny Brown go to a draw with Nelson Royal. Dick Murdoch over Bobby Eaton. Ronnie Garvin Barry Wyndham retain the U.S. tag titles over Ivan and Crusher. Robert Gibson and Rick Rue by disqualification. Manny Fernandez went to a no contest with Ricky Morton. The Midnights, Eaton uh, doing double duty. I guess Eaton was for Big Bubba against Murdoch. Uh, Conjured Eaton over the Lightning Express, Brad Armstrong and Tim Horner. And then our main event, Real Warriors Superpowers over the Four Horsemen. Very, very healthy house and crowd for Atlanta on, the, um, on Christmas night. It was tradition. And uh, they were still drawing big on that night here. Yeah, um, although, I mean, granted, you're at the top of the card, it is interesting seeing on this stretch of bigger houses, or at least theoretically bigger houses, to see all eight-man tag main events, So, at least so far. Well, it's the, six, I mean, that's, six or eight man. Well, I mean, it's what you do. You had the horsemen, you had the superpowers, you had the road warriors. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's going to draw. Yeah. So well, they hadn't really done a lot of those eight mans up to this point, right? No, well they no they had 
that's another thing that that helped out. Right. They end up doing a lot more of them as eighty seven goes on. That's what builds up the war games. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Uh, Richmond on the twenty sixth drew nine thousand. As Dusty Rose won a podcast stampede, Road Warriors over the Midnight, scheduled a six man, but Bubba no show. Murdoch went to a draw with Tully Blanchard, so so, as Dick still gets to know he's a babyface. Morton over Rude by NQ, Rude let good, look good and kept up with Morton. Gips over Arn, very good. Baron over Shaska, very bad. And Bill Dundee over Mark Fleming. Which wrestler do you think was most likely to point at this in the locker room and say, see, he thinks babyfaces are supposed to get heat? <laughs> I don't know. Ain't no telling. All right, the Met Center in Bloomington on the 27th drew a $46,000 gate, which probably means around 6,000 fans. They had a $2.30 drill admission ticket as part of a promotion with a local TV station. As Dick Murdoch won the Buckhouse Stampede, which is okay. Nikita beat Flair by DQ in 25 minutes. First 15 were bad, next 10 were good. And the best match of the show, the Road Warriors and Dusty retained their six-man tag titles, being the Midnights and Jimmy Garvin. Summer for Big Bubba. Rest, rest of the results saw uh, Arn over Wahoo, Tully over and Tully over Morton. We we're missing some undercar matches, but there you go. Yeah, it's always weird for me because it's not my era, and I don't think it was a, much of a Northeast thing even in prior years. To see like so much general admission at like r- major arena shows, you know what I mean? No, yeah. because it just doesn't it doesn't compute if you weren't around for it. Joe Mitchin was always around on shows I was going to, so yeah. No, but I'm saying, like, I don't think that was ever a thing here, even in this era. Northeast was a different time, a different place, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. But anyway, Greensboro on the 28th drew 8,121. Yeah, Tim Horner over Shaska Watley. Brad Armstrong and Barry Windham as a tag team over on McAuliffe Cross Khrushchev. Denny Brown went to a 20-minute draw with Hector Guerrero for the junior title. Robert Gibbs over Rick Rude. Fernandez went to double count out with Ricky Morton. Dusty Nikita over Arn Anderson, Ric Flair in a double Russian chain Texas bull rope match. And then Big Bubba, making his return, won a $25,000 Buckhouse Stampede. Hmm. Now, the other crew was in Albuquerque in front of 5,002 fans, 5,251 overall. That was paid, 5,002. And a $52,390 gate as T. Joe Khan went to draw with Italian Stallion. Todd Champion over Pat Rose. You see the uh, Central States crews here. Sam Houston over the Warlord. Nikita over Basher in 29 seconds. Bubba was to wrestle Nikita but missed a trip due to an illness. Sounds like he was doing pretty well in Charlotte and Greensboro. Uh, Flair beat Dusty by DQ, which that's interesting because Flair and Dusty were in Greensboro that day as well. And Road Warriors over Midnight's at 546 when Nikita went the Stampede. So it sounds like these guys did a double shot in Greensboro and Albuquerque. It's That's weird. something. Yeah, well, it's weird looking at this stretch of shows. Because, okay, Bloomington, clearly the idea is, okay, we may not be running on Christmas, but this is somewhere in our expansion areas that has a Christmas wrestling tradition that's not being served and we can run Christmas week, right? That has to be at least be the logic there because the WWF's last Twin City show of the year was December 7th and it did not draw well either. They, I mean, here's the really interesting thing about that. 
not only did that show not draw well with drawing 2000 fans, at least from what's listed here, it drew that with a Hogan Kamala main event. We're going to talk about that later. Yeah. That's interesting. Although history of WWE doesn't have any results, even though it has an attendance. So I'm assuming the observer gave an attendance and that was it. Of what? The WWF uh, show? Yeah, the WWF show on December 7th. Oh, December 7th. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I should do December 27th. No, uh, no, Decem- no. December 7th. Uh, let me see if I have anything. Uh, Hogan Kamala bombing, though, in, in, in the Twin Cities is very interesting. Especially the, you know, they have the promotion on this show the radio station but still to okay 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 2000 fans yep at st paul civic center and it was uh i have a card yeah so you uh, have what you have what's on history wb then dream team against the rujos iron sheet against coco animal against king Kong bundy jyd against morocco hillbilly jimmy's fuji hogan kamala that's a that's not a good undercard really it's not a good undercard but it's a hogan kamala card AWA was running St. Cloud, Minnesota that same night. So there's that. And will we have an AWA Christmas or Christmas week show in the Twin Cities later on? Uh, yes. Okay. So they, yeah, they actually ran Christmas night in St. Paul. And, you know, we'll have that later, but they didn't, they did better than WWF, but not as well as Crockett. Yeah. Well, Rufus Jones was supposed to make the West Coast swing. But it said he, they decided not to take him. Okay. Let's understand him. <laughs> I love Rufus, but oof. He was on the downward spiral at this point in time. That bump Randy Mulkey took off the Crusher cruise ship backdrop. He did a two like a two seventy degree flip in midair, landing on his face. It's one of the wildest things Dave's seen in a long time. Mulkey would win hands down if we had a category for guys with absolutely no regard to the laws of gravity or personal safety. That my kid would come close as well. So he basically he did a 450 splash as a back body drop bump. Pretty much, yeah. And we don't have the we don't have this uh, on uh, a clip because it's not on YouTube, but because it was on one of the uh, syndicated shows. It's not our own line. But I mean, this is the type of bumps he was taking though. He would take these crazy, wild fucking bumps. It's insane. I mean, it, well, that's why a lot of guys won the world with the Mulkies. Because they were down for whatever. Absolutely, and they would make people look good. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's Ran- and Randy Mulkey was doing it more than Bill would. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Mulkeys were... They were hell of a talents as far as making people look good. And, uh, yeah. Legends. All right, Arn Anderson's interviews have been great as of late, Dave said. Well... Wow. Let's go. Well, he's motivated, so let's go to one, shall we? And listen to Arn, and we'll have the oldie stuff in here, too. Another great win for a team. It's obviously a number one contender for the world tag team title. U.S. There's tag no team title. Number one contender in our minds. We're already the champions. We should be the champions. But there's always somebody that's putting their foot in the works. Somebody always hiding, like maybe Rhodes, or might even the promoter Crockett, trying to keep us away from what belongs to us. Trying to keep us away from those titles. I tell you what, 
somewhere, like those two hey, guys, Garvin. Me, Ole, I know what you got to say is real important. Arn, you've been waiting for that shot. Right? <laughs> I wish I could say the contract was actually signed, but we're that close to getting it. Yeah. You can almost yeah. count on it, brother. All right, Jack, thank you very much. You got it. All Let's right. talk about Let's something start. important. Hold this, Tony Giovanni. That's the road you told Nikita. Pause. Get an American girlfriend. Get your Oli in the background is like, what just happened here? And he just gives this look to JJ, like, what the hell did you just do? <laughs> and. And Arn's like, let's talk about something that's important. And also, it's noticed during the match that Arn is wearing a different color of red than Ole was wearing by Tony and David. So Arn's not wearing the normal burgundy tights. He's wearing regular red. So they're, they're, they're planting these seeds, boy. I mean, they're putting it out there for you to consume. All right, so let's go back to Arn. Some GQ clothes and you're cool. Well, Nikita, you ain't so cool because you're so busy chasing Ric Flair. You forgot about your bread and butter. Well, Nikita, I told you I'm closing in on it. I'm this far from getting it, Nikita. And hey, all those big chops, all those big arms, I don't look like a pygmy myself if you don't believe it. That's some of these women over here. This is the chance a woman like to lay on. But getting back to business, Akita, rest assured, one thing, I don't care what the rest of the family does, the mistakes are over, I'm going to be a champion on my own. Because like I said two years ago, Jesse Rose, standing on that beach, when I left the beach and came to Jim Crockett, I was going straight to the top, and I don't care how many veterans I got to step on to do it. Rest assured, Nikita Koloff, the set's going to be complete. Blanchard, Ric Flair, and finally, double A like he should be, U.S. Heavyweight Champion. Yeah! Okay. We're coming right back. Don't go away. <laughs> I mean, yeah, just put it right out there, you know? That's time to, I mean, they're, they're, you know, the, the horseman goal is to get RNA sing, uh, another singles title, the U.S. title. That's what's important. Yep. Not t- the tag, they lost the tag titles because of Ole's mistakes. That's Arn said. But, uh, yeah, Arn, Arn is great in this time period. Talk about being naked or something like that. You know, I'm saying Rick's got the world title. Tully's got the national title. I'm standing right here naked. Ric Flair done got a haircut. Oh, wrong promo. Yeah, exactly. But, um, yeah, Ar- Arn's, this end of 86, going 87, Arn's doing some tremendous promo work. Tremendous stuff. Trying to, you know, branch out on his own. And, you know, it might have been the worst idea in the world to let him have a run the U.S. title. You know? Why not? Yeah. But uh, that, that with the Luger instead. So... There you go. All right, speaking of titles, they seem to be starting a feud Tully with Barry Windham. Ron Garvin vacated the Mid-Atlantic title because they decided he couldn't hold two belts at once, and he holds U.S. dad titles with Windham. How's this for an intriguing angle that won't happen? Garvin just gave up his Mid-Atlantic title so he could keep the tag belts with Windham. What if Barry wins the U.S. title, and he, when he picks the belt up, he chooses the tag title, and Crockett declares it vacant and has to take it as attorney. Poor Ronnie then loses two bells without losing a match. It turns heel. I never liked the rule. 
where a guy that is a tag champion would have to be give up a singles title he held to be a tag champion. I thought that was stupid. Especially in a promotion where you see the key tag wrestlers, including the champs, in plenty of singles matches. Yeah, exactly. Well, we got a clip that goes along with this, so uh, let's go to that, shall we? Yes, let's do that. And we're back at ringside, Mr. Jim Crockett, along with a man who has two titles, Jimmy. We're talking about Ron Garvin, one half of the U.S. Tag Team Champions, one half of the, or the Mid-Atlantic Heavyweight Champion. That's correct. Uh, Ronnie is a, has been a great Mid-Atlantic Champion, and he and Barry have got off to a great start as the U.S. Champions. The only problem is the NWA has a rule that you can only hold one major championship. And, Ronnie, you hold two, and we've told you ahead of time. Well, no, he holds one major championship. You, you want to keep well, you know, it's a big disappointment to me, but, you know, i got to go by the rules. If that's what the rule says, you know, there's a lot of work behind this belt, and it represents the Mid-Atlantic area, and there's a lot of fans. And I don't mean no disrespect for it, because partnering with this uh, means a whole lot to me. But I don't want to disappoint my partner, Barry Wyndham. And the United States tag title is a very prestigious belt, very important. So i got a choice to make, and I'm going to give this one away. Okay. I'm going to keep the United States, tag the United States title. Okay, so it's the Mid-Atlantic title coming back. Thank you very much, Ronnie. I know you'll be a great U.S. champion. We'll let the fans know what the disposition of this title will be very soon. Okay, fans, we'll be back right after this timeout. I can tell you what it is. They get rid of it. They get rid of it, which is hilarious because they just made a new belt. Yeah, I was thinking that when I saw that. I was like, I don't recognize that belt. They that belt was just a few months old. Yeah, just had a new belt made. Well, at least it wasn't stolen like the new tag belts would be. <laughs> but still, Jesus Christ, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, yeah, were there too many titles? I guess, but... There were. You know what? I mean, here's the thing. You can have too many titles, but you don't have to defend, just defend them at the house shows. And also just... If you make those mid-Atlantic shows seem important, and if you're not bringing in the bringing it back, just let him keep it. Well, yeah, but they were saying, well, why not just have a? They were still running small shows in the Carolinas. Let that be like the house show title, one the house show title. Well, also, if you're gonna let someone have two belts, why not let the guy who missed out on a Starcade main event pay off when everything changed have two belts? Yeah. Because people forget that, like, for all the, like, speculation that it was going to be, uh, Flair Madnum, it was not. Uh, no, nope. that was going to be Madnum's, uh, blow-off with Nikita. Yeah, it was going to be Magnum Nikita in another Cage I Quit match, and, you know, doing the Tully thing a year later, and it was going to be Flair Garvin for the title in the main event. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, nothing against Garvin, but with how much they had wor- been working together... I mean, they would do more in 87, but they still did in 86, too. It also shows you, I think, that they envisioned the big draw as the scaffold match. Oh, well, that was what was selling on. Selling on. I the, know, the, but the, I'm I just was... saying they end up having a big issue title but match Flair, that was not Flair, originally yeah, planned. But Flair and Garbin would have been the Atlanta main event because it's Flair and Ronnie Garbin. Yeah. The Manny Nikita would have been in Greensboro. Which that would have meant more there. Yeah. And you already have one cage match with the tag titles, so you would have two cage matches. So, 
in fact, Greensboro would have been really loaded that night because you would have Dusty Tully, Rock and Rolls, and Andersons, and Madam and Nikita. Yes. Now, also, I do like how Garvin cuts the promo here and says, look, the Mid-Atlantic title is very important to me. I don't want to insult it or disrespect it or anything, but I can't disappoint my partner. Yeah. Simple. But what, what, what happens if Barry Wyndham wins a TV title? Which, of course, it wasn't going to happen. Well, but what would be the rationale then, you know? Can't disappoint my partner. But what if Barry then decided, like, Dave's fantasy booking here? That would be a great setup well, for a heel turn. Yeah, well, I'll do the TV title. Yeah, but then great booking idea. And probably something they probably should have done. <laughs> the freshen it up. Barry just came in, though. Not turning Barry heel, turning Ronnie heel. Oh, turning Ronnie heel. Yeah. Oh, they couldn't do that since they just, just turned Jimmy, so. Anyway. Yeah. Alright. It's the year in the year, and we have PWI Awards on television. That's Bill After's uh, presenting awards to both the Rock and Roll Express and to Nature Boy Ric Flair. For Pro Wrestling Illustrated magazine, this is senior editor Bill After, and the fans have spoken. In our March 87 issue, the fans have voted the Rock and Roll Express, the 1986 Tag Team of the Year. Rick Morton, Robert Gibson, pick up your plaques. All right, thank you very much. I like how you know that Bill has been photographing Ricky since he was in Tennessee because he calls him Rick Morton. Mm-hmm. I'd like to thank all the readers of Pro Wrestling Illustrated for writing Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Robert and I and you know, it was a long, hard road for us, but everybody stood behind us through thick and thin, and I have to thank you with everything that we got. God bless you, and we love you. Robert? Yeah, like you said, but I'd like to thank everybody out there, especially all the fans that wrote in here. They, you know, all the fans went to them. Wouldn't be no Rockwell Express. We do all this for the fans, and uh, it's really a great honor to be chosen Tag Team of the Year. And the one question, of course, that all the fans have, what about the Tag Team Belts? Well, Tag Team Belts is back to the drawing board where we got to go. We'll be back, Bill. Don't, you know, rock and roll lives forever, baby. Just, uh, we'll, be, we'll be right back. Thank you. For Pro Wrestling Illustrated Magazine, this is Bill After. And remember, we will see you at the matches. Okay, Bill After. Okay, before they get to Flair, I don't recall ever seeing Ricky that spaced out on a promo before. And yeah. I'm not, even for... saying, I'm not even saying we know what the reason is, but... That was an early morning promo, I guess. Well, the, at first I'm just thinking he's tired or hungover. The only thing that makes me think there might be a war going on is that he seems to be having a very interesting tactile experience caressing the plaque. Yeah. <laughs> but he, he, there's something off about him here, whatever it is. Sure. Senior editor of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. As voted on by the fans, Rick Flair is right here with us. We'll talk to Rick in just a second for the third time in a row. Wrestler of the Year. And let's see the presentation of that award right now. Wrestling Illustrated magazine, I'm senior editor Bill Apter. And in our March 87 issue, you fans have spoken. The Wrestler of the Year for the third consecutive year. And this is his fourth time in this position. We have this beautiful plaque. On behalf of you fans, for Nature Boy, Ric Flair. Rick? Bill, thank you very much. Wrestler of the Year. To be called the greatest wrestler of all time is one thing. To be made Wrestler of the Year by the greatest wrestling magazine in all our sports. To have all the fans out there that either boo me or cheer me night in and night out of my life. Acknowledge me 
as the greatest of all time, as the wrestler of the year, well, it's a tremendous honor. My hat's off to you for making what I call a very intelligent decision. There's only one, the World Heavyweight Champion. Diamonds are forever, and so is Ric Flair. Woo! Acknowledge me, the tribal chief, Ric Flair. <laughs> yeah, I think Flair does a promo live. Yeah, I think they said he was coming out here next, so let's see. Right, so... Okay, the World Heavyweight Champion, Rick. Congratulations on the honor once again. Oh, Lord. Wearing a different suit, though, so I'm guessing this was recorded on a different day. Yeah, it's probably recorded in Charlotte because it's at the, the, it has that blue backdrop. I think it's in Charlotte. Okay. About a year ago, I used to walk out here day in and day out and tell the Lord how hard it is to be humble. The bottom line is, Tony Schiavone, I sit back here in Ted Turner's private office and I watch what we have come to know as the greatest wrestling program ever put together by anybody anywhere in this whole world. And I sit there and try and pick apart the things I don't like about it. And i got to be honest with you, I can't see one flaw in this entire program. You have, number one, the best talent available in all of professional wrestling. Number two, you've got the Crockett's who invest and spend literally millions of dollars putting together the best production in our sport. And then, ladies and gentlemen, you've got all the array of people who walk out here and try to tell everybody day in and day out what they are, who they are, why they are, where they're going to be, what they're doing. But the bottom line is, when a guy can walk out here and tell you because 500,000 people around this world said so, that he's the wrestler of the year for the third time, then you better open your eyes. If you're a 300-pound fat truck driver, sit down and shut up. If you're a lawyer or a doctor or if you're a scientist who wishes he was making the money I'm making, you better sit down and shut up. Because I'll tell you how it goes. A lot of people around this country have said, Rick Flair, you have to wrestle 320 times a year. Well, that's right, but when you figure I make $4,000 a day, that's not a bad average, right? Would you like to be where I am? Well, I'll tell you what, you see the road warriors walk out here, and they are muscled up, and they are magnificent, and they are what's going on in our sport, but wow, they are trying to figure out what color to paint their face. I'm looking at 146 different suits to choose from because I know how to style and profile. And if you want to see me out here with my shirt off and in that ring, then baby, if you got the money, honey, Rick, I, I got the time. I'd like to bring up something. We've talked about many title matches here on TV. The fans write in each and every week wanting to know when you're going to put up that world heavyweight title right here on TV. Well, I suppose you want me to come out here and defend this against Dusty Rhodes, well, Nikita Koloff. That's the name they write Not in. Not a chance. As I just said, if you got the money, honey, I got the time. You want Brad Armstrong, Wyndham, Garvin, one of those guys, fine. Nikita and Dusty Rhodes, not a chance. Getting back to Nikita Koloff tonight 
The Nature Boy is going to shed this $850 garment. He's going to jump out of his limousine in Minneapolis, Minnesota. He's going to walk that out of the Met Center. And Nikita, tonight you go down at Dusty Rhodes. And you got the guts to wear that Celtic green jacket in the Los Angeles. The Tony Blanchard and I are going to step it down your throat. San Francisco, Woo! the Marriott at the airport for the victory celebration going to be. Oh, don't you ever wrap me up when I'm talking. Woo! The world champion, <laughs> Ric Flair and wrestler of the year once again. Let's go to the ring. Oh, good old Nate. <laughs> So there you go. Rest of the year three times. In a row. Well, four times, three in a row. Yeah. So there you go. I like how he does the pseudo babyface Nate voice uh, in the acceptance speech, though. Yes. (laughs) That he's putting over the seriousness and respectability of the award. Of course. Well, there's no fans there either, so that helps out. Yes. All right. It isn't as certain as they're making it out that Bar Mar- Bob Marshall will be coming in. They probably will, but not till February at the earliest. And, and that's when start. he February. About yeah. February. <laughs> Good. Okay. But he already made an appearance, though. Oh. Um, he makes an appearance in December, showing up at the studio hmm. as himself, while he's working as the Bullet in Continental. He does the angle with Brad and Garvin and Dundee, and then he comes back in February, which by that time, Jimmy Garvin's turned babyface, and Dundee is in Florida. <laughs> okay, then. So, yeah. So, basically, they just they team him up, and they just, you know, do whatever. And to close out, Dave knows, did you catch when Jim Cornette told David Crockett they had a Christmas present for him? The address for the Columbia School of Broadcasting. <laughs> Cornette's a riot in this era. Uh, he is, I mean, he is hilarious, especially fucking around with Tony and David. But Tony's wife and David's broadcasting and just other different things. So, uh, yeah, Cornette was something. Although it is interesting that he picks the most prestigious journalism school in the country. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, wants David Crockett to be at his best? Sure. So, sure. When when the I'm, Midnight's end up being double champions, I mean, he, he can't kiss a lesser bro- broadcast journalist on TV. <laughs> he has to save that for a Columbia School broadcasting graduate. David snuck that degree in when he went to J School in the next couple of years. Still, so the, the funniest one. You know, it's not really that funny. I, I mean. It's funny, but it's not in a way. It's when when Cornette told Tony that uh, he had some bad news for him that Rock Hudson was on the line in the back. Wow. <laughs> After Rock Hudson, he had AIDS. <laughs> yeah, that's the all timer. Well, right, also, the look on Tony's face when he told him that. <laughs> what? Well, also, also interesting because Chris, who in pro wrestling was uh, close personal friends with Rock Hudson. My boy. <laughs> James E. Barnett. Where yeah. did Jim get the middle initial E that was not his real middle initial from? Yeah, James E. Barnett. <laughs> oh, man. 
All right, let's go to our truncated international section. Even more than normal, just this Christmas week. New Japan Pro Wrestling. It appears he thought of Bruiser Brody returning. This group is all but gone. But Seisaguchi doesn't want him. <laughs> yes. Because, hey, he stiffed him. And, I mean, he doesn't want to do business with that guy anymore. And they don't. I mean, it's, it's no more Bruiser Brody. And he returns to Japan in, in uh, the end of 87. It took almost a year for him to go back to Japan when he goes, and when he goes back to all Japan. That's why he starts working so many indies in '87 and world class. Yes, and is full and is right and is more visible there yeah. and in booking and yeah, yeah, yeah. <sighs> it's weird that that whole Bruiser Brody and Japan thing is weird because you would think that at that point in time and they're needing help bad and he come in there and be instant main events, but I just I don't think he took them seriously. He just did it for the money. He took Bob way more seriously than he took Anoki. Yes. You know? It was just a money grab. Well, this group is facing another crisis this year. In 87. Uh, or the 86. In, that, in November, this group was preempted by TVSI twice. And the third show was aired from midnight to 1 a.m. on Monday night in Tokyo on the Tokyo affiliate and preempted in Osaka. Normal airtime is 8 to 9 p.m., so the ratings were small. It said the TVSI is planning on dumping wrestling in April when the contract expires. Network pays Anoki's group more than $1 million annually in rights fees. Plus the exposure they get so the network slot a crippling one. We told this we talked about this many times before on this show. That's why the TV in eighty seven is so funky at the first at, you know, at one point in time in eighty seven is because of what's going on with TVSI. So we've talked about we've we've hashed that out many times on the show, but it is interesting to look at in hindsight, March 87 is when Riki Choshu quits all Japan and decides to come back to Japan. Mm-hmm. So it, it kind of makes you wonder if there's like, shit, we got to we gotta do something here to, to you know, show TV aside that, hey, you don't need to get rid of us. Well, let's bring back Riki Choshu. Yes, although they, Riki Choshu couldn't be on TV aside until near the end of the year, though. Yeah, but still, he's in the company. Yes, yes. Um, okay, so the UWF guys have been in the company for pretty much the whole year, right? Because UWF closed they're, before they, the end. And they're two years. That's why well, right. no, they yeah, came yeah, back in the very end of 85. No, 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 We're in 86, so there's been a, a full year. Because yeah. they showed up at the the, the, uh, the Super Hall show in December, and now, yeah, they've been there a full year now. Yeah. So... They've been doing that feud the whole year, and unfortunately, while house show business was still fine, the change in the style crashed the TV ratings. And that was the big catalyst for all this. That's part of it. I mean, I think another part of it, too, was that, I mean, they they weren't bringing in any dynamic foreigners, so to speak, too. That, that, that's a big deal. All Japan was still bringing in some dynamic foreigners at that time. And they had their, you know, Choshu's crew and stuff like that, you know, native-wise. Yeah. So, so they, they had talent. Yeah. Let me let me see something. And another thing, Alter, another thing Alterman had going for it at this time, and no matter how much he sucked, but Watchable was a huge ratings draw. Yes. Huge. All right. So I'm... 
I'm pulling up the Tag League final night, which is the last New Japan show of 86, just to see who's on there as far as foreigners. So we've got Jimmy Snuka, Dick Murdoch, Mass Superstar, and that's it. So mm-hmm. Brody obviously had been there, but mm-hmm. walked out in the tour. Oh, and Tonga Kid. Missed him. And that's Fatu. Okay, that is not Sam. It's Solo. No, he's in WWE. Yeah. He's Tama. Oh, yeah. Oh, he is already. Yeah, so, um, yeah, that that's uh, Fatu working ass Tonga Kid. How, how about that in some form, all three of the team that would be the guys who would be both the different versions of the SST and also the new wild Samoans in some form or fashion were the Tonga kid. Obviously Sam was Tonga kid first. Salofa's Tonga kid here. And for some reason, even though he was explicitly Samu Samula, when it happened on the, the Roddy Piper Coliseum video, they use a Samu Piper's pit and pretend he's Tonga kid, mm-hmm. which is very peculiar. It is. Like, when I hadn't seen the original, you know, and I, you might remember this, like I was asking around on Twitter and Richard Land timed in with the relevant clips and stuff. I think it was a St. Louis taping, so it had the different colored Piper's Pit backdrop, the orange one. And if you're not really familiar with that, it, it almost looks like, like, because it's such a tight shot, too. Like, is this not at a regular TV taping? Is this really in front of a crowd? Did they reshoot this for some reason? No. They took what was actually the Samu one before Tonga Kid started and put it in there, I guess, because they liked his promo better before an actual Rowdy Piper Tonga Kid match. Yeah, it's some weird shit in 84. And he explicitly <laughs> says, they, they explicitly say he's Samula in the Piper's Pit in the whole thing. So it's some even, weird shit. even if you're like a Coliseum video staffer digging through unlabeled tapes, you still know it's not the same guy. I said that's some weird shit in 84. <laughs> that, well, this isn't what's actually on the TV, though. This is just on the Coliseum video in 85. But yes, there's a lot I'm, of weird stuff in 84. All right, back to New Japan. Maeda has toned down what he calls shooting. Here you go. Uh, Maeda now says his concept of shooting is to make a pro wrestling match look legitimate and eliminate phony looking moves. He said shooting doesn't mean a shoot match, i.e. pure wrestling legit, a street fight, or a kill struggle, genuine attempt to maim. Interesting. And it's noted here there were no problems at all when Anoki and Maeda were in the ring against each other, so obviously everything was ironed out when Maeda and his boys re-signed for 1987. Hmm. Also, though, here's the thing. By saying this, Maeda gets to hedge his bets for whenever he ends up leaving New Japan and saying they were fake wrestling. Mm-hmm. Which, being that the only major incident he has up to this point is the Andre thing, which isn't really his fault. Or the, I forget, was the Sayama thing that got out of control on him or on Sayama more? I'd say it was about equal footing. Okay. It was both guys testing each other and then it getting out of control. So the yeah. only So he hasn't really had any major incidents yet that would really place him as a disciplinary problem that we know of. So, I don't know. It's interesting. Like, they would have no reason to think he's acting out here. But I gotta think that in his mind, he knew he was hedging his bets. Yeah. Which is interesting. Yeah. All right, Gong Awards! Face of Japan named Hulk Hogan as their US MVP. 
Rock and Roll Express is the tag team MVPs. Riffler and Nikita Koloff from Starcade's match of the year. Missy Hyatt as manager of the year. And Bam Bam Bigelow's rookie of the year. Their Japanese awards had Akira Maeda as the MVP and wrestler of the year. Maeda and Fujinami from June 12th was named match of the year. And that was a hell of a fucking match, folks. The uh, October 27th tag with Choshu and Yatsu against Jumbo and Tenru was named tag team match of the year. That was also a hell of a match, but it may not have been as good as the February match. Uh, Wajima was named Rookie of the Year. Had to be. Just the mags here had to name Lex Luger, even though the best Japanese rookie is Hiroshi Hase, Dave said. While Yoshiaki Yasu was named Best Technical Wrestler. Shiroko Shinaka was awarded both Most Improved and Best Junior Heavyweight. Osama Kido named Most Underrated. Antonio Anoki was conspicuous by his absence for the awards lineup. Dave chimes in with his picks. Maeda's MVP. Fujinami, Fujinami is Wrestler of the Year. Maeda Fujinami for Best Singles Match. The January 28th Choshiyatsu Jumbo Tenryu match is his best tag match. That's what I'm thinking about. Hase for Best Rookie. Yasu for, be- Yatsu for Best Technical. Koshinaka Most Improved. Takada Best Junior. And Masafuchi Most Underrated. I pretty much agree with Dave in every way on his awards. Yes, although all of those Choshu uh, and Yatsu versus Jumbo and Tenra tags oh, are fantastic, though. Oh, God, yes. Including the, the one that they had, what was it, the day after or two days after the January 28th one? That's the February one I was thought about, yeah, I was thinking about. Yeah. That said, though, it's interesting that they didn't give it to January 28th, because that's, that's the famous one. It's the broken ribs, it's them flipping who's heel and baby face compared to normal. Like, that's that's the really memorable one, and I feel like... If you were going for second, it would be the one that comes right after. So I'm curious as to why they picked, uh, excuse me, October 27th. I'm not sure if I've seen that one even. Now that I think about it, a little more. Oh, it's a hell of a match. Absolutely, yeah. But yeah, the big thing before the January 28th one, you know, is, um, you know, Choshu and Yatu were normally the heels as these outsiders, but here, Choshu has the rib injury and has his ribs taped up, and he says over the house mic before the match, in you know the Japanese equivalent of, if you can't beat me tonight, you will never be able to beat me. Mm-hmm. And it ends up being, though, with them, with Jumbo and Tenru working as the heels and Choshu as the synthetic baby face. Yeah. I wonder if maybe the role reversal is why they didn't pick it. Well, Choshu's baby face in the whole Calgary Hurricanes feud. Yeah. So they get a lot of Choshu's babyface in 86. All right, All Japan women. They're all soft for a few weeks until restart on January the 4th. Dan knows that Dump Masamoto and her girls are taking the heel thing to the extreme as they're now painting swastikas on their forehead. Well, they are that's the wonderful. atrocious army or whatever their name is. <laughs> yeah, that's wonderful. So there you go. Yeah, and that would not be the end of it, as some people who have checked out uh, Asuka's Japanese matches have seen. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's go to joint promotions in London, England at the Hippodrome on December 27th. We have Fuji Yamada. Yeah, Keiichi Yamada, Jujin Liger over John Wilkie. Mark Rock- Rocco, Black Tiger over Chick Cullen. What was the chick's name in Stampede Bex? Robbie Stewart? Yes. Yeah, and uh, Kendo Nagasaki, the original one, not Sakurada, over Clyde Myers in a ladder match. Wait, is this... Well, wait, it's joint, so it's not, because I was thinking the the infamous disco ladder match is on the first all-star taping of World of Sports, so this can't be that. 
Yeah, but it's a ladder match, so it's joint promotion. So Dale Martin promotions. Yeah, that's so. interesting. There you go. All right, Canada, Montreal. At the Paul Sauvé Center on December 26th, we have Tony Gatolo over Goldie Rogers. Chuck Sims over Luca Pro. Sweet Daddy Siki over Sunny Warclaw. Dan Crawford, Philippon, and Armand Rougeau going to a no, double qualification. I think that's Dan Crawford. Uh, if it is, then is I always remember being uh, Philippon. I don't. I don't Crawford. think Philippon worked as Dan Crawford until All Japan. Uh, I think he was here in Montreal. Okay. That's weird the that they would have him use the non-French name, though. Yeah, I'm going there now to uh, to make to be positive on that. Uh, December '86. Yeah, it's him. This is Phil Lafon, Phil Lafleur. Okay. And then you have uh, Candy Devine. Well, I get finished. Uh, Crawford Rouge, Armand Rouge going to WDQ with Giddes Passan, The Fish, and Sheik Ali, Stephen Pettipaw with WDQ. Candy Devine over Peggy Lee Leather. Abdullah Butcher over Bruiser Brody. And Dr. D. David Schultz over Hercules Ayala in your main event. Hmm. Well, Ayala was getting the. Him and Schultz had a big run here in Montreal. Brody's in as a regular at this time. And in fact, they bring in Killer Tim Brooks as Buster Brody in 87. His cousin, yes. His cousin. After he had been done Cousin Gimmick with Blackjack Mulligan in 1980 in Atlantic as Luke Mulligan. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, I hadn't realized until like last week, and I don't even remember what I was reading, that uh, Julius Poisson is uh, Louis Sear in the, from the WWF. Yeah. Well, WWF. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Stampede. It's just in Canada and Calgary on December 26th, Victoria Pavilion. We have Ken Johnson going to a draw with Jeff Wheeler. Mr. Hito over Mike Hammer. Carrie Brown over BJ Annis, father of Teddy Hart. Uh, the Cuban assassin, Angelo Zaveda over Chris Benoit. And then our main event, a street fight. Ben Bassarab, Owen Hart, and Dave Boy Smith over Gama Singh, Muckin Singh. If Vian Kong Express number one, Hiroshi Hase. Hmm. Stampede's good times this time. Really yes. good stuff. And, okay, I'm pulling up his wrestling data to refresh my memory. Is this Benoit coming home for Christmas from Japan, or is that the following year? Or is it both? Oh, it's this one. Yeah, because he had been at the... He, that's what it is. I think he's he's been at the New Japan Dojo. He comes home for Christmas. Goes back to the dojo, has his young lion run his dynamite, Chris, and then when he comes back to Stampede, it's considered his excursion. Mm -hmm. If I remember right, looking at this real quick, yeah, because he has nothing listed on wrestling data from July through most of December. Yeah, he's a yeah, right. ring attendant at that time period. Yeah, his yeah his Stampede return is the twentieth. And he, all of his matches here are with Cubans. So they're working short little program, I guess. Mm -hmm. But, excuse me. I had forgotten that he goes to the dojo that early, because by the time he goes there, he's only been wrestling a little more than six months. Yeah. So, it's really, I mean, it's more formative in his life and, well, especially his career, though, 
than you might think at first glance, because this is very early for him. You know, like Scorpio, when he went, was was at least a few years in. Um, trying to think, you know, as far as some of the other foreigners, you know, obviously later on, you know, Devitt had been wrestling for a while. Um, Juice Robinson, of course. Dave Finley Jr. was trained from scratch there, right? Yeah. So, interesting. But yeah, good-looking shows here. And a very fun main event on paper. Yeah. Plus, Davey doesn't have a partner right now, so why not throw him in a six-man? Yeah. Alright, let's go to Al Tomko Promotions. Victoria, British Columbia on December 26th. We have Ivan Gorky over the American Ninja. Buddy Wayne over Tom Justice. That's Nick Wayne's dad. Uh, Billy Two Eagles over Red Mahoney. J.R. Bundy, King Hall Bundy's uh, ripoff, over Moondal Moretti by Countout. Uh, Rick Davis over Sonny Myers by disqualification. And then 11 Men Battle Royal won by J.R. Bundy. And they do bill him as J.R. King Kong Bundy at times. Yeah, they do. Which, have you ever seen anything more bootleg in your life on like a, a wrestling promotion that had decent television penetration? Yeah. It, it's bad. And, and there's plenty of this on YouTube. So if you want to see J.R. King Kong Bundy for yourselves, you can. Yeah. All right. Uh, EMLL. Mexico. Pista Rim Revolucion. Because we don't have a Rio Mexico stuff for this week. Chamaco de Oro and Conde de Azul against the Relampagos. El Faisan and Mastec against Rocco Valente and Zimba. Amaranza Elegante, the future Octagon, Magnifico and Sarafustra against Bilsi Blue, Buffalo Sabaje and Cimarron Negro. Chorito Silva, Shilda Salazar and Karina against Ishelda Matavillobos and Mujer Salvaje. And Shamaco Valaguer, Super Halcón and Tony Salazar. Against Infamero Jr., Poopy Takers, Poopy 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 Takers, and Talisman is your main event. So, yeah, we don't have any, like I said, any, any of the big arenas. So there you go there. And at UWA, we got a uh, one result from Toreo on the 28th. Abdullah Tamba beat Broncos in a Caballero Coach Caballero match. Broncos will become Chicano Power. 1990s, a guy we discussed on uh, the the show we did with uh, Tara a couple weeks ago. When we so talked about him being Broncos, too. We talked about the yes. match in passing. Yeah, so there you go. So he lost his mask and his hair and then put his mask back on. <laughs> yeah. That's really weird, though, because like, it's a Toreo show Christmas week. That's a big... I mean, he, well, the, the hair matches. The mask match, I think, was smaller. But still, like, it's not like him being unmasked was not particularly visible. Yeah. Kind of weird. Let me just double check. When was the mask clause? That was... uh. Well, this is Broncos, though. What am I talking about? I'm an idiot. Wait. Oh, it was his age that I was confused by. That's what it was. That I thought he was a younger guy, but he's not. I don't think he ever... No, he never lost his mask as Chicano power, but he did lose it as Broncos. So he was just being re-gimmicked, I guess. But he had also... I think he also wrestled as Chicano power before Broncos, too. That's what makes it confusing, I think. But anyway. All right, let's go to the territories, the eastern block of the United States, and we'll start with ICW, 
Yes, it's a bold deeds, but they're based in Florida at this time. We have two shows uh, in our week. Well, Palmetto, I don't think Florida. they're based in Florida. I think they're just running Florida. But read the results, and then we'll get into that more. They're based in Florida, basically. Palmetto, Florida, the Manatee Civic Center on December 26th. Jack Hart versus Tyree Pride was uh, booked, but didn't take place. Jack Hart, of course, Bear Horowitz. Ali Pasha over Johnny Pavros. Ivan Putsky over Vern Henderson. Cousin Jr. over Bobby Brooks. The Terminator over the Grizzly Bear. Phil Apollo over Joseph Olding. Rusty Brooks over Bubba Johnston. No, that's not Miss Texas. Who's seven for Ivan Putsky. And a 17-man $100,000 battle royal won by Ali Pasha. $100,000. You know... (laughs) Just why, why don't I just have ten? If you're gonna if you're going to have a number, just have ten. A hundred thousand dollars. What in the absolute fuck? Oh, so by the way, I just pulled up on newspapers.com. I did a search for ICW wrestling in December. I probably should have limited it to Florida, but whatever. Um, I just found an ad in the Miami Herald for a show at the Flag. Is it Flagler? Or Fl- it's Flagler, right? Think Flagler. Well, that's the next talking about. Oh, okay. It's okay. I missed the venue name. Okay. I was reading those. No, 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 no. I I I read the Miami part, not the venue name. Because well, let's go to Flagler Racetrack on December twenty seventh. Because I thought it was in Flagler Beach. So anyway, go ahead. Bugsy McGraw with the Mad Russian. I guess Mad Russian. Jack Hart against Tyree Pride, which we know what happens there. Ali Pasha and Philip Apollo against Austin Idol and Joseph Oldie. Mike Casey and Scott Dumez against Cousin Junior and Uncle Elmer and Rusty Brooks against Ivan Putsky. Now, Chris, tell everyone what logo they're using in the newspaper ad here. They're using the Poffo ICW logo. Yes, they are. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Okay, so is anyone on these cards working for the Florida office at the time? No. So what, what is Barry Horowitz mainly doing at this time? He's not really doing much of anything because he wasn't working. He didn't work for Florida until the 87. I mean, he goes back. Okay. And then, and then he's there for a short time before he goes to Memphis. But the the thing I found most interesting about this is they're not by this point, but for much of the year, or at least in ICW terms, because who knows how much stuff they're cutting up and, you know, reusing or whatever. But at least as we can, best as we can tell... At least when Kevin Sullivan was booking Florida, he was also booking ICW, and a bunch of Florida guys were working ICW. But those were mainly Northeast tapings. They were all Northeast tapings. Okay. Well, you're the ones who you're the one who's gone through the results. So I'll trust you on that. Main, mainly Banger, Maine. Banger, Maine was homegrown. Mm-hmm. Banger, Lewiston, those areas. Now, they must have been using those TVs to try to hype this up, right? Uh, yeah, probably so. It's interesting so. how in this, it's really in this 85-86 period that you have Savoldi involved in these weird opposition efforts that kind of start happening but don't really go anywhere because he tried to run opposition to Continental or was involved in supplying TV to run opposition to Continental, I guess was what really happened. But then we have straight up ICW shows here running throughout Florida. Yeah. And I think this is the last one. And I'm guessing they lost a lot of money because 
not that ICW TV ever had the the best production values up to this point. They did have pretty good talent coming in and out. Boy, is the ICW TV we have from early to mid-87 dire in every way. Like, terrible production, no lighting, barely any names working there. Like, you can tell if you kind of go through these results in this timeline, they must have taken a pretty big hit from trying to run Florida and stuff. Yeah. Well, their competition, Chancho Reps from Florida, they're dire too. With Hacksaw Higgins fired after refusing to do a job, the U.S. Yeah, Hacksaw Higgins. U.S. tag belts have been forgotten about. They had a terminal on December 25th in Florida, Christmas for Florida tag team titles. With Sean Rowland and Chris Champion emerging as a chance by beating Kendall Windham and Victor Steamboat in the finals. Originally, two of the teams were going to be Bad News, Allen and Higgins, and Lex Luger and Mike Graham. However, they instead had Luger wrestle Bad News in a non-title match. And Bad News pinned him, believe it or not. Oh, well, I know why. Uh, by the way, the card drew 2,000 fans. Graham team with Stan Lane in the tournament since Steve Kern had quit over a dispute. Here's why. The basic story is that Stan and Steve were missing more bookings than they were making, and Booker Bob Root fired them. Mike Graham, who was just getting back into the office, then overruled Roop and asked him to come back, which led to a dispute, which wound up with Roop instead fired. Kern then got hot and made a few subsequent dates because he was mad the office couldn't make up his mind. Anyway, Kern's officially quit because the story goes he's making more money in real estate than he was in wrestling. Other they supposed the opportunity to sell for him in Memphis as Je- Jerry Jarrett wanted both Kern and Lane badly. And they do and- work a few weeks of ma- the bigger towns in, in January with the sheep herders. Yeah, and Kern and Kern's basically uh, semi-retired for a little bit, um, as he's doing real estate. Yep, and he, he does really well, and then he'll he comes back in '87 and works in Florida some, and then basically after that he semi-retires again, and until they open up Florida Championship Wrestling. Yes, which he had a stake in, and that's why he was wrestling there because he was one of the bigger stars. Because he needed to support it and boost houses and stuff. Yeah. So let's look at this show. 2,000 fans at Sport and Sports Center in Tampa on Christmas night. Florida Tag Title Tournament. Round one matches Ricky Santana and Kendall Wyndham over the Cuban assassin Fidel Sierra and Jerry Gray. Well, good. She- uh, well, actually, no, wait. They weren't a Crockett Cup tag team. I was thinking of Italian Sound and Kendall Wyndham. Carry on. Sheep herders over Dewey Forte and Ron Simmons. The shock troops and the Bull Gander, Miss Kareem Muhammad, went to a draw with Stanley and Mike Graham. Semifinals. Newbury, Chris Champion, and Sean Royal over Jimmy Backland, Jimmy Dore, and Mark Starr. And then Vic Steamboat subbing for Ricky Santana, team with Kendall to beat the Sheep Herders. And then Bad News over Lex Luger in a $25,000 bounty match. And then Newbury over Victor and Kendall in the finals of the tournament. It insert joke here about the team of Vic Steamboat and Kendall Window. <laughs> yes. Which, by the, where did you get these from? That's the single's like the, name uh, is misspelled, by the way. What do you mean misspelled? It's spelled Kendall as opposed to Kendall. Kendall. That's his name. It's Ken. What? No, it's not. Yes, it is. It's an A, not an E. No, it's not. That is the correct spelling of his name, Bix. Where do you get this spelling from? From the Wyndhams. Where? Even though everybody, right? everybody, everybody, everybody online. Uh, as Kendall, but I saw somewhere that 
his his legit spelling of his name is Kendall Wyndham. Okay. But that's not the name he's using as a wrestler, so you should be using letter A. Go to IMDb. He's actually listed as Kendall Wyndham. Hold on. I'm I've Ken, got, Ken, Kendall, Kendall Wayne Wyndham. Kendall Wayne Wyndham. Okay. I'm looking on Florida business records, assuming that there's something on there from when he had his um I'm looking at Florida Residence service. I'm looking at Florida Residence Director. He's listening to that. I'm looking at uh What does it say his middle name is? Wayne. Um okay. Yeah, there's a I mean there is a Kendall W. Wyndham, yeah. That's it. That has some businesses here, although I'd like to see if I can find the video date. Here's the thing, Biggs. Here's the thing. I mean, it's like Mike Rotunda. I mean, you have his name is Mike Rotunda. But more often than not, especially WF. Well, WWF, he was explicitly billed as Rotundo. Well, so in Florida and in Crockett, he was billed as Rotundo. As a baby Until, face. As a baby face. Yes. There, okay, there is a Kendall with an A, no middle initial, that has some businesses too. And it's the same type of businesses, though. They're all like security businesses. So, I don't know. Um, it's, it, I used to say it was Kendall too, but then I heard yeah. it. And then, but then, but then uh, you know, I, I saw it in the shoot or heard something, and yeah. Huh. So that's when I started changing it in my results. Interesting. All right. I had no idea. Yeah. Daytona the next night, Ocean Center. No results, but it was, it was a card that was here. Well, one result. Shock Troops, Ed Gantner and Kareem Muhammad over, I mean, went against Vic Steamboat and Kendall Wyndham. Ron Simmons defended the Florida title against Hacksaw Higgins. Well, probably not. Fabs and Mike Graham went against the Sheep Herders and Sean Royal, who's their flag uh, boy at this time. And then Bruiser Brody went to a double count with Lex Luger in a $25,000 bounty match. I knew they had a flag bearer. I didn't know they ever had a flag boy. Which can't be right. Because we just read Bruce Brody being in Montreal on December 26th. So, obviously, this result's wrong from Is where I got it. Is it possible they said on It's got to be bad news. Yeah, it's got to be bad news. Okay. But he's not on the goal. It's got to be. So, there you go. This result came from the Observer. Huh. There you go. Which they had the Montreal result, too. So. All right. Um... Lakeland on the 27th. We have this lineup here. And it, <laughs> it's interesting because we have one result, too. That involves Bruce Brody. Uh, Chris Champion and Jerry Gray against Vic and Kendall. Bad News against Mark Starr. Chick Donovan against Ed Gantner. Ron Simmons defend the Florida title against Kareem Muhammad. Tex Tornado for the U.S. tag titles. Sheepers against Kern and Lane. Luger over Brody by count out in the $25,000 value match, which, well, we'll talk about this. And Dewey Forte against Hacksaw Higgins in a hair versus hair. Obviously, that didn't take place. Now, Dave did have this. Bruce Zipperoni were three shows, although the crowds were only about average since he had yet to appear on TV. Daytona, he went to double count with his Luger. 27th in Lakeland, next one by count out. And the TV taping in Orlando on the 28th, Brody the Cuban assassin uh, and bad news lost to Lex, Ron Simmons, and Barry Wyndham when Cuban, who's already left for Japan, got pinned. So Dave has him in Daytona on the 26th. But he also was in Montreal on the 26th. And that's a pretty long distance. So, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It is what it is. It's the 80s. Maybe he took the Concord. <laughs> Who knows? All right, Stan Lane is still up in here. Singles matches. 
Sheeper is leaving for Alabama while Scott Hall is heading in starting early February. So Dave gets his Titan stint really has fell through. Hmm. Because that was the the plan at the time was for him to go WF after AWA. Uh-huh. And it didn't come to pass. So a lot like yeah. Kurt Hennig, his tag team partner. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't work the Scott Hall didn't work a dark match for WF. He just went back home. Kurt did a dark match during that era? No, Scott didn't. No, Kurt didn't. No, Kurt didn't. But Scott Scott didn't. But, right. Uh she partners to go to Alabama for a couple weeks. And then they go to Memphis and then they end up back in Florida. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when the Crockett takeover happens. Also in is Jack Hart. Well, Kevin Sullivan returns on January 13th. So he he works those shows and comes back. Yeah. Um, Sullivan returns and he's going to be a booking. So the Falcon, Steve Brinson, none of the gimmick, is still around. Oh, the working only spot prelims and he and Dewey Forte seem to be getting phased out. Dewey Forte was a guy who was a USFL player with Simmons and Lex and uh, trained with Matsuda, big dude, and was a guy that they were pushing one of those lines of Simmons and Lex just about. And Ed Gantner's another one. But um, he just his heart wasn't in it. And he, and he retired after not even six months. So who knows? Ron Simmons is feuding with Kareem Muhammad of the Florida title. And you trivia freaks will love this. Chris Champion and prelim Mark Starr, who aside from Bad News and Brody are the best workers here, are actually brothers. Chris is really Dennis Ashford Smith. Well, Mark is Mark Ashford Smith. David, not Dennis. <laughs> yeah. And then when they so. become a tag team, they just keep their names. Although they they're did, acknowledged as brothers. They, but they're acknowledged as brothers, yes. yes. It's also when you start seeing them standing next to each other, it's very obvious that they're brothers. Oh, yeah. All right, Continental. We don't have any TV for our week online, so there's that. But we do have stuff to talk about. This group's in the process of moving its base of operations from Pensacola, Florida, to Birmingham. In fact, Dave's heard they're going to run shows mainly in northern Alabama and cities like Knoxville and Chattanooga and pull out of Pensacola, Dothan, etc., where business is dead. There's also talk that some of the guys may stay in Pensacola and try to run their own small group in the dead towns. That doesn't happen, but I mean, what does happen is they do move out of the panhandle and focus more towards Birmingham North. Which gives the opening for, for uh, WOW to open up in the panhandle. In 87, yes. Yes, which was not originally supposed to be like a full-time wrestling promotion. It was a wrestling school, and then they realized they needed a promotion. So I wonder if this is just good timing for them. The Continental yeah. pulls out of the area? I guess. All right, Birmingham on Christmas night, in front of 4,500 at the Boutwell. We had Dr. Todd Pritchard beating Royley Welch in a loosely town match. Very good match. Chris Von Colt over Wendell Cooley by his qualification. So, so. Rip Rogers over Agent Street by DQ. Very little action, virtually all clowning. Nightmares over Dirty White Boy and Jerry Stubbs in 3307. Second half of the bout was very good to win the Continental Tag Titles. The Bullet over the Flame, Jody Hamilton, by DQ, in a horrible match between two of the worst active competitors. When Kevin Sullivan interfered at the Flame, missed a fireball toss at Pops. And the finale saw Kevin Sullivan surprisingly pin Steve Armstrong in 702 of an average match. 
which is also the best match Sullivan's been, been involved in, and the longest. This is a rival here. Seven minutes. Sullivan won by jabbing a pencil in the steam's groin after a rep bump. Also, Southern Street Fight, which is actually decent for 619. So, the Tennessee stud, Rob Fuller and Robert Fuller, going against the New Guinea headhunters, ending a no decision because too much interference from Sullivan. He stabbed him in the junk? He stabbed him in the groin with a pencil, yes. That's different. And this is to get Steve. This was uh, ba- basically a loose leave town type deal. So Steve's leaving. Also, to- oh God, I just realized that finishes a rib. Uh, Chris, what wrestler in this era was known for um, having a quote unquote trick where he inserted a pencil in his foreskin? Oh, I don't remember this one. Kevin Sullivan. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so there you go. <laughs> Hell of a way to book a territory. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, although the Pensacola Dothan area is pretty well dead and about to be pulled out of, the northern part of the territory continues to do well. They're averaging 4,000 per show in Knoxville, with the December 27th sh- show drawing 4,800. That show, we had an Alabama heavyweight title match, when the Cooley defending against Chris Von Colt, Continental Tag Titles, Dirty White Boy and Stubbs against Nightmares, Southeastern heavyweight title, Rip Rogers against Adrian Street, Southern Street Fight, New Guinea Headhunters against Tennessee Stud and Robert Fuller, Bullet defending the Continental Tag against The Flame, and then the Lose Lead Town matches, Dr. Tom against Royley Welch, and Stevie against Kevin Sullivan. So a lot of the same stuff from Birmingham. So there you go. Um, that is strong business. Oh, they're kicking ass in uh, in Knoxville, and I mean the TV is still good, but they just cannot draw anymore in those southern part of the territory. They burn them out. Yeah. So. I mean, that's yeah. I mean, that's weak. That's a weekly town too. In a smallish market, that is. Knoxville, Knoxville was not weekly. Oh, it wasn't. When was it? By week? What was it? Every other week at this time. Uh, Knoxville was twice a month. Okay. Basically. So, which, by the way, I, why is it that bi-weekly can mean two things when they have a word for the every two weeks version? Like, what? Shouldn't it just be fortnightly? Nobody's using that here. Let's say I England. know, but <laughs> I, I don't Nobody's like using, use, yeah. I don't like using bi-weekly for that, though, because bi-weekly can also mean twice a week. Whatever. <laughs> All right, so... The Sheepers and Bayland Dell schedule will be coming full time in mid January. Well, well, sort of. One, one does. All right. We have a Nick Goulas promoted show at the Madison County Coliseum in Huntsville on Christmas night. Gypsy Joe against Ira Reese. The Missing Link against Johnny Rich. George Goulas and Speedy Tall Tree, Tim Ernesto, against the New York Doll and Terry Adonis. Mad Doll Boyd of the Bruise Brothers against David Haskins, Davey Rich. And in our main event, a Chicago death match, Mike Golden against Dirty White Boy Jimmy Powell. Is that Dewey Robertson, or is this a fake missing link? I don't know. Because he's a UWF guy, and he's living in the I doubt, Yeah, so I think it's got to be somebody working as a missing link, yes. I don't think I've ever seen fake missing link before, have you? Not really. Huh. Um, that's interesting. So, what was did did Goulas have TV or anything at this time? 
uh, Ghost is, is working. He's promoting on his own and with Jarrett. But this so, is not this is not the period where George has his TV show, right? Um, no, this is this is just him doing his thing. I mean, like I said, he's promoting shows with Jerry Jarrett's talent as well. He's running with Jarrett's television, but he's also got his own little shows as well. So, what towns is he promoting for them? He's promoting all, different towns in uh, Tennessee, Kentucky, and Alabama. So, just but just spot towns for them. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. And Huntsville was his town. Yes. And yes. so they started running Huntsville more when he got hooked back up with Jerry. Yes. So. Even if he's not using Jerry's guys here. Not in this show, no. Yeah. All right. Speaking of Jared, let's go to Memphis. The Jared all the time rich feud is going really well, according to all the reports that Dave's been getting. Sometimes, actually often, Dave knocks all over because he doesn't do any moves. <laughs> he deserves credit for being one of the best workers around and a master at making his opponent, no matter how pitiful, look good. On December 22nd, Lawler and Rich drew 6,500 fans. Tickets were 2 3 and $4 and went 24 minutes to a double count out. And then brought all over to Coliseum in Memphis for another 24 minutes, hitting every region in the building. It said to be the best match in Memphis this year, which is saying a lot. This is when Buddy Landell, Dutch Mantel, and Bill Dillian and Jerry Lawler had those tap outs. Some were awesome. This pisses me off reading this because we don't have this shit. <laughs> <laughs> because we, the arena shows at this point in time were rare to get. Yeah, well, there's someone who probably has some of the stuff. And we do have a full Lawler Rich match. They ain't dissing. Yeah, I don't remember what the date is. But there there is one that's quite good from the earlier part of the feud before I.O. comes in. Yeah. Uh, other results saw Jeff Jarrett and Billy Joe Travis beat the Rock and Roll RPMs. My name is Tommy Lambatty Q, so the heels keep tag belts. Six person tags saw Big Bubba, Goliath, and Downtown Bruno. 150 pounder with a mouth that never stops. And he's right this time. Bruno just doesn't shut up. Beating Memphis Vice, Jerry Bryant and Lou Winston, and a girl out of the stands named Emily Arthur. Not Emily R. <laughs> uh, they wanted to embarrass Downtown Bruno by having a girl from the stands beat him up. Uh, the result, rest of the results of the show, Paul Diamond over Tarzan Goto in your opener. Then you have Bubba Goliath and Bruno over Memphis Vice and Emily Arthur. Jonathan Boyd over Pat Tanaka. Don Bass and Buddy Wayne over David Haskins and John Paul. Back Alley Brawl, Tracy Smothers over Boy Tony Falk. Billy Travis and Jeff Jarrett beating the RPMs by DQ. And Lawler and Rich going to double count out. So, yeah. That's, you know... Memphis is going through, a, a, again, one of their transitions in this period. So Rich is, you know, they're about, they're getting that feud going. Rich and Idol, Idol's about to come in and, and get his part going. So, yeah, it's uh, set the table for 87 right here. You, you can see pieces moving into place. Yes. Bruno and his crew and, you know, all this stuff going on here. All right, Buddy Wayne, father of Nightmare Ken Wayne, grandfather of Nick Wayne. No, sorry. No. Wrong, wrong, wrong Buddy Wayne. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, is now wrestling here, having dropped some 55 pounds since managing stint during the summer 85 through 86. And his team with Don Bass, who has returned. I gotta say, though, I know it's how, you know, uh, Northwest Buddy got the name. But I don't understand how there were people in locker rooms that looked at Steve Finley 
and said, oh, you look just like the Peels. You look just like Ken and Buddy Wayne. I never saw it. I don't know. Right? Maybe you don't see it name. either, do you? Maybe he liked the name. I'm know. sure he liked the name, but the reason he came, he ended up with the name was people saying he looked like them when he doesn't. Yeah. I don't know. Um, Kiyosato has left, and Tarzan Goto is right behind him. Although Tojiyomoto is still around, not wrestling again for you with Paul Diamond. And they come back. Yeah. With, well, Fuyuki, uh, yes, with Hiromichi Fuyuki as uh, Mr. Hilo, Mr. I believe. Hilo, Mr. Hilo. And, and Kiyosato's Mr. Mr. As Mr. Shima. Did they acknowledge he was the same guy? How could you not? <laughs> he was that, I mean, he didn't, he didn't change his look. No, I know. It was weird, though. How So how long was it I guess between they figured, the two I guess they figured. Well, I guess they figured those fans would think all them, all, all them uh, guys look alike. <laughs> I don't know. And did the Observer <laughs> actually have two O's at the end of Goto? Uh, yes. I didn't edit that out. Okay, so he's called right. the Tarzan Goto. No, just da- probably a mistake. Oh, God, I just realized. Oh, <laughs> this is Dave thinking that even though I, they must have had graphics by this point, but I wonder if this is Dave hearing Lance always say it as Tarzan Goto. Maybe. Who knows? Because that's right. he always said it that way every time. New to the area is Soul Train Jones, who were Northeast Independent Cards. Dave's heard he's not bad in the ring, but he's horrible in interviews. And I presume Dave, Dave's calling him S.T. Jones here, which maybe he did use the name on some Northeast Indies with the abbreviation, because then you can pretend you have S.D. Jones, kind of. Yeah. Well, let's find out how bad he is on promo, shall we? Let's go to Lance Russell and S.T. Jones. Oh, boy. job doing like, like shuffling you know the yes i could see it soul drain come on over here partner it's the light to have you uh-huh. here on championship wrestling i just told the, the folks that your reputation has preceded you and we have not had the pleasure of having you here before but we are delighted now it's beautiful being here with championship wrestling championship wrestling is second to none it's number one but I came here, the main reason, I want to wish everyone here in the area a happy New Year's, for one thing. And I hope you had a very Merry Christmas. I love that colorful outfit uh, with the hat and the vest and the tights and all of that. It uh, symbolizes America, and here's a guy who is looking at that body. You're an all-American man, no question about that. Yeah, the all-American thing is hard work, what we have to get. Get at me with hard work, and I work hard. And every people all through the area works hard. I know people here work hard. So I came here for the main reason, to stop this little downtown Bruno. Yeah, you, you've had some experience with Bruno before, haven't you, Soul Train? Up, up north, I had a lot of trouble with Bruno, but I ended it. He's on the end of a power driver. They carried Bruno on a stretcher, and he left. Now Bruno came down south down here and got three other freaks with him. Okay, you got one they call Big Bubba. They got, and they got another freak they call Goliath. And they got the third freak. He's going, part of him is going north, part of him going south. 
I don't, I don't know what he is, Vance. I mean, he's a, is he a herm? A herm people is a half him and a half her. You gotta be talking about boy Tony. Right. His name is Boy Tony. They should spell his name B-O-Y-T-O-I. Tony. I'm gonna take what? Back, but I have to get my hands on him to a man what he should be. Let me bring up an interesting fact, uh, uh, Soul Train. You are from Pittsburgh. Now, downtown Bruno makes this big deal about being Fort Duquesne and how tough he is and how tough everybody was. As a matter of fact, i got to be honest with you, he's kind of giving Pittsburgh a bad name. Okay, he gave Pittsburgh a bad name. That's why I ran him out of Pittsburgh. And now he's coming down to this area giving it a bad name. I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to run him on out. Goliath in your eyesight. Okay, Goliath is a big, vicious wrestler. I think he's 419 pounds. Big. Okay, he's big. Okay? By being big, don't mean you're bad. Okay? I'm 247, and you see this. <laughs> wow. It's for real, okay? I'm going to take that 219 pounds from Goliath, which is fat, and cut it off of him. So he'll be weighing 200 pounds. Okay, I was uh, seven, so we're even. Okay. So I'm going to take Goliath and I'm put him on a soul train. I'm going to take him for a long ride off a short track. Okay, soul train, we're going to be looking forward to seeing you in the future here, and we hope maybe you're very successful in the territory. Appreciate you stopping by to talk to Is that camera angle party seeing a lot of them? Okay, good one. So great. We're going to take time out. We're going to be back in just a few minutes. That camera angle, we were seeing a lot of Soul Train Jones, and those tides were had, was all white in the crotch area. Yeah, we were seeing where he tucked away his locomotive. Mm-hmm. Um, God bless Lance Russell, though. He will cut that promo for you if he has to, and try his damnedest to make it look like that's not what he's doing. And the thing is, is that uh, it wasn't that bad. I mean, it was not good, but, I mean, there have been worse. Also, where is he going to learn to cut promos? Here, <laughs> by doing this. Yeah. Also... Once Lance starts guiding him more, he does better. Yeah. Now, he never yeah. ends up being any kind of promo guy in his career. But no. still, like, what are you supposed to do? No. All right. Um, the Daughters of Darkness, Luna Vachon and the Lock are headed in. That does not last long, according to Luna in her Observer Yearbook interview in 1990. If I remember right, because... The guarantee that she and Locke had worked out was a higher guarantee than all of the guys had as their minimum and minimum nightly guarantee, and it led to a lot of issues. And, of course, the Locke is... Winona Littleheart. Who is? I thought... Wait. I thought the Wyndham Rotunda connection wasn't real. It's... I mean, it's not real there, but the, but the Locke in Florida was... Wendy. And what was she billed as? Who was she supposed to be? It's, like, it's, related it's, to it's, or whatever? The sister. Or so she was Cindy, well, she was Cindy Lou or whatever it was, yeah. But she's supposed to be Rotunda's sister or the Wyndham sister? 
Um, she was supposed to be friends with the Wyndhams. Okay. But, yeah. Oh, so, 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 it's, it's, she has a backstory the same way the Luna, that Luna has the backstory as being Trudy Heard, wrestling journalist. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Alright, um, there's a lot of animosity voice in interviews between this group and Titan recently. Specifically between Jerry Lawler and Harley Race. Race has been calling Lawler Queen on the Memphis WF Memphis tapes. Not exactly original, by the way, when he does interviews to air in the area. Lawler on TV is like a fun of Tommy Rich's main claim to fame, holding the NWA title for five days in 1981, saying that Harley Race was a 60-year-old, gray-haired, drunken bum who couldn't even wrestle. Oof. And, of course, we don't have these promos because these were the Memphis TV proper promos. And I have never seen any Memphis market WF stuff. Nope. I mean, yeah, there was there were people taping obviously stuff in Memphis in this era, but the tapes we've seen from that those people do not have WWF syndication. It's a shame. I wish we had stuff like that. That, that that's that's great stuff. Yeah. That wish. So obviously the lawsuit has not happened yet. No, this coming. Yeah. Um. Just searching newspapers dot com real quick. The ruling. Comes de- the big ruling that Lawler touts comes down in May. It looks like. Um, so wait, did he get like an injunction technically? Um. Yes. Uh. Yeah. Temporary. Uh. No. No. So this might be a restra- This is a restraining order, maybe, because the the injunction is a month after the, or a few weeks after this. So wait, this is yeah temporary. Yeah, it was temporary solution. So basically, restraining order. It looks like, and I. Okay, so the ad now the, to be clear though, he sued because at least as the story goes, I'm gonna try to look this up. Um, that WWF was running newspaper ads and stuff that just advertised the King and the King of Wrestling, right? That didn't say Harley Race. Yeah, something like that, but I don't know if that's actually true. I just think it's the King of Wrestling Harley Race. Okay, let me. And, and Lawler got pissed. Okay, let me see. So, if I search for Memphis, and the story I always heard though was that it was Memphis specifically, not the whole territory. Uh, do we have any ads or anything? At least just searching for the king. We don't have a uh, king. Let's see if we have king of wrestling. If that's not it, yeah, I don't think I've ever seen any examples of it, which you would think someone would have had. Uh, all the King of Wrestling results are from uh, when everything's being decided in Spring 87. So I searched for just World Wrestling Federation. Because having it, having the full name, there's not going to be much. Um, Okay, we have N. Ad. I don't know if he's on this show, but let's see. May 21st of 87. Run on the 17th. Oh, is this why it's going on here? Because there's a show coming up? Uh, If Harley's on the show, he's not in the end, though. But I think Lawler had started the process by this point. So, if they... Yeah, if they did it, I've never seen any proof of you. If they actually went too far with it. So, I I don't know if that's a true story or not. I, I, I know it's what everyone always claims, but... If it was, if it existed, it would be in the Memphis Commercial Appeal, wouldn't it? Yeah. So, 
And 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 yeah, I mean, there's nothing in the Memphis commercial appeal that would be billing him as such. So, yeah, who knows? But anyway, it's halftime. So some great 1986 commercials. We're fifth to the halftime, seven of the show. Oh wait a minute! I, I, I hear, okay, here's this. This is named WrestleMania ad. Yeah, and I it just found it the same thing. Current King, King of the Ring. Of the Ring. Yeah. So, so Waller must have already been starting stuff by then, though, because that feels like a deliberate choice. You know what I mean? That feels like a deliberate choice yeah. to get around any issues Lawler might cause. Yeah. So that's the only that's the only ad with Harley Race's name in it from eighty six or eighty seven in Memphis. Yeah. Hmm. All right, but again, it's halftime. So that's the great nineteen eighty six commercials. We'll come back. We'll talk about Patreon. We'll uh, hit the plugs, and then we'll come back and go back to the rest of the United States, where we'll go to the Universal Wrestling Federation. We've got some interesting stuff to talk about there, and some clips, including the Bill Watts uh, speech on television, the direness of world-class championship wrestling, and more Christmas night shows. All that and more after the break. Weepins, something like a cracker, but... More like a snack. Joker, you snackers. Crunchy delights. Kinda like a cracker, but no more smash bite. Oh, they're thin and square, and they're light as air, and they're honest to goodness with snackers. Just for you snackers. Something like a cracker, but more like a snack. Try our cheese and nutty flavors, too. Wheat thins, just for you snackers. Sarah Lewinton suffers from frequent sinus headaches. A lot of pressure right here, and a lot of pain all around the eyes. To relieve the pain and pressure of her sinus headache, Sarah Lewinton took a maximum strength pain reliever with a maximum strength pressure reliever. Tylenol sinus medication. My sinus headache is gone. No more pain and no more pressure. I feel like a different lady. I feel like a million bucks. Tylenol sinus medication for maximum sinus headache relief. I love to tap dance and it's clear to me. Sheer energy feels great. Everyone knows. Legs, panty hose. My legs will survive today. I'm alive today and revive today. Energized today. Vitalized today. No surprise today. It's my sheer energy. Sheer energy massages when I move. My legs are feeling soothed and it's great to be in sheer energy. Breakfast in bed? Okay, what's the catch? Just thought you'd enjoy the rich, buttery taste of shed spread country crock. Mmm, an offer I can't refuse. Uh, one taste of country crock and she melts like butter. <laughs> Try rich, buttery, shed spread country crock with fewer calories than regular margarine and no cholesterol. We're out of shed spread country crock. Well, here's something new. Country crock and mini crock. Same rich, buttery taste. Mm-hmm, and a third fewer calories, too. Hey, that's two good reasons to eat country crock. In two adorable new mini crocks. Looks like they were made for each other. Uh-huh, another perfect couple. Uh -huh. <laughs> The thing about this job is trying to keep ahead of it. And one of the things you try not in the news business is to be surprised. Peter Jennings on ABC's World News Tonight. And now we continue with the night they saved Christmas. All right, we're back. I hope you enjoyed those great 1986 commercials as we finish to the halftime segment of the show. Well, we'll begin to talk about our Patreon, patreon.com slash Between the Sheets. And of course, we had just finished off our two-part episode on John Collins' main event championship wrestling with King Kingsport, Bo James. 
We've talked about it ad nauseum in this segment, and we have a bigger plug at the beginning of the show. So you guys know the deal there. You need to listen to it if you haven't listened to it already. Great stuff. But what we're going to do right here is announce what the next show will be for the first time. As next month on the on patreon.com slash between the sheets, we're going to go back in time to the early 1990s, 1990 and 1991 specifically, and ending in January 1992. And we will be looking at the original Super Indie. Joel Goodhart's TWA will go from the beginning of uh, Joel Goodhart's uh, history as a uh, Philadelphia radio guy and the wrestling radio deal and their uh, fan club and talk about their travels to different places. Don't and then, forget his wrestling merchandise store, which was actually the first thing. Yeah, the wrestling store, exactly. Then we'll pivot to uh, how he... I, I'm getting a big set of notes for this. I don't know if it's come up. Will it come up about him being a ring announcer at the Spectrum? Uh, yes. I well, Spectrum no Civic Center. Yes, I believe. Yes. Well, he did ring announcing for the NWA and WF at the Spectrum and the Civic Center. So we'll talk about that. We'll have uh, how everything uh, transitions to be him being starting to run his own promotion and Todd Gordon's involvement in that. We'll be talking about that. I'm sure. And uh, we'll talk about the shows and how they became uh, the darlings of the newsletters as they brought in all the big names that they could bring in, basically. And some they tried to bring in and couldn't bring in. So we'll talk about all that. And we'll talk about the end of the promotion and all the stuff that was going on at the time. Because not only does uh, Joel have to end his promotion due to financial reasons, which we'll get into, he also was... Building up to the Battle of Nature Boys, Buddy Landell and Buddy Rogers. Yes, with so, an undercard that in- allegedly included Chris Benoit versus Shiro Koshinaka and the K&M Express versus the Minerical Violence combination. Yeah, so we'll talk about that and, and so much more. So yes, the original Super Indie will be coming up. And this is an interesting timing on this. So yes. 30, uh, years will... since, 30 years since they folded is January. 30, 30 years since they folded. And... Uh, Will not. I'm not going to uh, go any more in depth on this, but uh, until you listen to that show, when we'll make the official announcement. But this will tie into uh, February's Patreon show as well, in a way. So we'll talk about that on the, the show. I mean, I the think Patreon- everyone will be able to figure it out from that hint, but whatever. Well, <laughs> maybe, maybe, it's maybe not. Ob- it's the obvious show. In maybe, February. maybe, <laughs> maybe, well, maybe, maybe not. Who knows? Okay. But anyway, there's a lot of Philadelphia indie groups. So, in fact, one that spawned after TWA. So there's a we'll, we'll talk more about that next month on Patreon.com/slash/20sheets. You definitely yeah. want to get on this one because Joel Goodhart's story is an interesting story, and uh, it's something that you know it gets some people know about from you know some of the younger people may know about, but a lot of them really don't. So hopefully we will. Uh, Teach some lessons on this show. Yes, and besides, you know, it's mainly the Observer because at this time the other newsletters aren't really covering that much of that kind of stuff. But we also have a bunch of Philadelphia Daily News stuff, and I, I think there might be one thing that's in the Inquirer. Yeah, one or two things from the Inquirer, but it's mostly Philly Daily News because he had very good connections there. So there's a lot about him, especially the background info in there. 
And we also have a uh, a profile from a Philly Jewish newspaper. And as far as other newsletters, we also have excerpts because there's some, you know, just old fan stuff in it too, but excerpts from an interview that Evan Ginsberg did with him in Wrestling Then and Now right before everything collapsed, as well as an excellent uh, post-mortem of everything that'll close out the show from Wrestling Perspective with quotes from Larry Sharp and Dennis Corluzzo and I think maybe one or two others that really gets into the nuts and bolts of the failure of TWA, including specific financials about how much he would lose on a given show that used similar talent to a given uh, Dennis Corluzzo, Larry Sharp show. There you go. Five dollars a month at patreon.com slash between the sheets. You get access to that and everything else that we have done in our five plus years of the Patreon. Dollar month gets you access to the Slack chat discord, excuse me, and thanks in this segment, which we'll do in just a second. $25 allows you to pick a show for the week. Now make sure you pick a show that we haven't done already. And if we have, make sure you have backup choice handy because it could also be a week that somebody may have on the calendar for their show. So you definitely want to be prepared with at least two show ideas in mind. Make sure you let us know why you're picking this show because that's very important when doing the notes to figure out why this is uh, taking place. That way it could be a situation where you could be wanting to do here's something that could be a conflicting date with your actual week in, in our week timeline. So make sure everything uh, is known information-wise on why you want to do your show. Get the information in the Bix before 30 days. Follow the Patreon protocol. To Wednesday the letter. To, Wednesday to Tuesday, 10-year rule, all that stuff in effect. So just, just handle your business and you'll be all right. $50 allows you to send in for a segment of the show. $100 lets you send for the whole show if you choose. And we haven't done this in this show yet, but I'll go ahead and throw it to you, Bex. So talk about the yearly subscription setup. Yes, that'll be uh, $50.40 if you want to buy a year in advance, which gets you 16% off. And that's available yeah, now. We added that a few weeks ago. Yeah, I'm about to get into a new year, so that's enough time to do it. Yes, and people seem to like it, so it seemed like the right decision to do that. Yeah. So that's good. And also, you know, as we talked about, like, with the, you know... Uh, the hybrid billing stuff they're introducing after the start of the year, you know. Less transactions means less transaction fees for us. It, it, we honestly don't net that much different, I would think, from not from well, from only having it in one payment, right? I wouldn't think so. So. Because it's not getting done over and over. I guess maybe it averages out the same. I don't know. But anyway, yes. If that option is there, if you show choose it. And also, should mention too, we haven't gotten that many questions about it in a while, but since we haven't addressed it in a while, um, this goes, and this goes for any Patreon you have that has set things up correctly with the patron Discord, you don't need to ask me for an invite. Patreon has a thing in your account now where you can sync your Patreon account to your Discord account. And as long as the Patreon creator has set everything up correctly that's all you need to do to be able to get access which is a very nice thing they did and also once once things shifted more towards discord not only that but also having that ability was one of the clear reasons to switch over to discord when we did see so that's there too and also i realized before we get into the thanks forgot to mention uh, earlier 
and it should be up by now, we're doing for the first time in a while, I think since last uh, Christmas week, a uh, releasing one of the older full Patreon shows for free on the main feed. And I think it, based on what we discussed, it'll be up by now by the time this show is up. And what would that show be? That would be our show with John Philip Havage looking at ECW's Road to Pay-Per-View. Basically, all of the pay-per-view drama before the before Barely Legal, including all of the uh, Eric Coolis New Jack stuff, including various RSPW newsgroup posts going over the back and forth between uh, the Future One wrestling people and the Torch people. Well, and I guess to a degree, the Observer alleging that uh, the Torch deliberately sabotaged the ECW pay-per-view, which they didn't, but you'll hear all about that on the show. So that that actually should be up in this uh, main feed by now. So if you're not a patron, that gives you a good taste of what these shows are like, these deep dives, which, as we said before, mm-hmm. are because of what that kind of approach brings are generally the best shows we do. Mm-hmm. So patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right. Who would think this week is our new and or returning patrons? All right. We've got the returning derp, Derpington. Thanks, derp. Uh, Twitter's Ian Stewart. Thanks, Ian. Someone who, you know, we've seen his name here a bunch, but I think also we've known online for decades at this point, Sam Finley. Thanks, Sam. Longtime patron who's done the $100 thing and stuff before, Scott Passner. Thanks, Scott. We got a year picked up by Scott Mayers. Thanks, Scott again. A new Scott. James Carter Jr., Thanks, James. Professor Ouch. Thanks, Professor Ouch. Chris Wagstaff. Thanks, Chris. Uh, the tall lighting guy himself, Matthew Baruso. Thanks, Matthew. And BJ Hatch. Thanks, BJ. All right. Thank all you new patrons, you old patrons, patrons been a forgetting, beginning and come along the way. For being part of our Patreon, patreon.com slash between the sheets. Yes. All right. IWTV picks. So uh, what's going on with IWTV this week? Probably not a lot live-wise because we're uh, – just record this. We're a few days from Christmas. Right. So, yeah, in the weekend coming up to the show being released, really the only, like, live thing is the usual weekly Thursday night uh, – Beyond Wrestling Uncharted Territory, which this week, you know, we're recording this on Wednesday, so it has not happened yet. Uh, matches include, of note at least, we got Carlos Romo and Alex, excuse me, Alec Price, uh, Kennedy Copeland, Megan Bain, uh, Wheeler Wheeler and Matt Mikowski is a heck of a match on paper, both stylistically and knowing that they train together. That's probably the one that jumps out the most. Uh, Masa Slamovich and Ryan Galeone, among various other matches, including the latest in the Tag Team Discovery Gauntlet with the Brick City Boys putting up their, it's not a title, whatever you call it, uh, against Miracle Generation. Uh, Red Titus is back against George Joel and more. So that look, looks like a pretty solid uh, uncharted territory. I feel like they've been picking up steam like as this quote-unquote season has gone on. So that should be worth checking out. Plus, they have some premieres of some, you know, pre-recorded shows 
that will be up by the time you hear this, like, uh, latest from Limitless, and I think that's the main premiere this weekend. I think there might be one or two more. And then, of course, next week, there's going to be a bunch of shows. So, well, what am I saying? Next week, this coming weekend, because of the whole, like, New Year's Summit thing they're doing at the Beyond Venue in Worcester, there's going to be a bunch of different shows on IWTV, including, you know, from our friends at uh, Sup in Action. So that should all be worth checking out. I think that's all going to be live, right? I don't see why it wouldn't be if it's all at the Beyond Venue. I guess so. Uh, let me see real quick. Uh, live. Yep. Yep. Action and Sup's Kevin on Friday the 31st at 3 p.m. Eastern. Plus, uh, Pizza Party Wrestling has a show. You know, various Beyond shows. There's going to be a Blitzkrieg Pro show on the afternoon of the 1st. There's going to be an H2O show in the evening. There's going to be a Limitless show. So there's going to be a lot of stuff there. And, of course, there's the annual uh, Beyond Year-End show, Heavy Lies the Crown, which... What do they have advertised for that right now? Let me see. Uh, so far advertised for that, J.D. Drake vs. Slade, Fans Bring the Weapons, Kimberly Masha Slamovich, Dan Barry versus, uh Vincent, formerly of ROH, the Horror King, or whatever he's call calling himself by now, and uh, 440 in action against Club Cam. In, is this a gimmick match? Not just a... Six-man tag. So that, so yes, not necessarily as far as coming into the, you know, this show, but this coming week, there's going to be a lot, even by normal IWTV weekend standards, to live stream. And uh, main thing on demand, I guess, we mainly talked about last week, I haven't watched it yet, is the latest AIW show. So check all that out. If you are not a subscriber yet, go to tinyurl.com. No, what am I talking about? I mean, we do have a thing, but use code BTSPOD and we will get a referral the thing as long as you keep that paid subscription going. And I think we do have a tiny URL that pre-fills it that's in the description too, but I forget what it is. And all this information, as always, is in the show description slash show notes. So, independentwrestling.tv, code BTSPOD. All right. And, um, uh, no, last week we talked about the Viper VPN issues, uh... What's going on there? Any update? No update yet, so we'll see how things go, I guess, uh, at the start of the new year. If we get the old deals back, or if we need to maybe uh, consider looking into a different referral thing here. But, but I I don't know who, if the other ones are going to uh, pay as high a percentage as they did, but uh, there are other options that are good companies. I would only use ones that I've tried before. You know what I mean? I would only we would only do the referral thing here for ones that I've tried. So we'll see. But if you want to try with their current plan, since it's still an excellent VPN service, tinyurl.com slash BTS VPN. Alright. So, um plug time. Um I will be recording the next Exile on Bad Street this week as you're listening to this, if you're listening on Monday. So Monday the 27th so um that should be out possibly before the new year or right after the new year so be on the lookout for that as we discuss october through december 2001 wild side and yes um uh, we'll definitely be talking about uh, jimmy rave on this show as the show is dedicated to his memory and we'll talk about all kinds of other stuff christmas chaos um you know all the big sh the two big shows we had uh fright night 
in October and Christmas chaos and all the other stuff going on there. So it should be quite, quite the show. Then, of course, on uh, next week's Between the Sheets, we'll go back to 2006-2007, as Sean Doherty, one of our patrons, requested that. So we'll talk about um, New Japan's first ever Wrestle Kingdom. We'll have that. We'll have all the New Year shows in Japan. We'll have Brian Alvarez looking at the uh, impact that aired during our week, which I'll be a hoot. And we got WWE, we got the TV, which includes a wild New Year's Night Raw featuring Donald Trump starting up his Don- uh, Donald Trump Vince McMahon starting up his Donald Trump Rosie O'Donnell bullshit that we would have coming up, and then uh, Kevin Federline showing up on Raw and wrestling John Cena. So we'll have that and some other interesting antidotes about WWE. So you listen to the plug at the end of the show for more. So that should be an interesting show next week on Between the Sheets. Yes, and we'll probably get to talk about the uh, alleged contrarian fan opinions about Kevin Federline, which, okay. Who who was it being claimed that he was the better worker then? Who was the point of comparison? It wasn't Michaels, was it? I don't remember. <laughs> I try. I try a, lot, a lot of this, a lot of the wrestling from this era, I I have zoned out of my head. Oh, so like, when I when I when I do these shows, the the back half of the two thousands, when I do these shows, it, I mean it, it's it like I haven't thought about this stuff since then. It's not an era that I go back and reminisce about. So it's stuff. Well, oh seven, oh seven has a lot of good stuff in the first half of the year, though. Until really, until the Benoit. Re- thing. Yeah, but still, so still like, 07, I, I feel I, like is easier to remember than it all runs together for me. So I mean. Again, I don't go back in time and watch this stuff. I'm sorry. Well, I don't. So, I don't really do much of that either. So, uh, so yeah, I'll be reliving it for the first time since it, you know, it since it aired as we do this. So, uh, yeah, it should be interesting. This is not some of my favorite eras to do, but it is what it is. It's gonna be all fun. right. And and also, it didn't end up being that long given the era. So. There's that. No, I was surprised. Surprised at that. But there, there is a reason why it didn't happen as long that we'll talk about on the show. So, uh, there you go. So that's well, next week on. Well, one of them that we'll explain on the show. The other is that the SmackDown in our week was a year in review, so that cut out a big chunk. Yeah. All right. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris Zellner, K-R-I-S-Z-E-L-L-N-E-R. Show proper at BT Sheets Pod. Bix at David Bix. And I haven't seen anything uh, from you this week, Bix, uh, so I guess you're... Well, no, I did put up something on the Substack. Actually, I'm going to try to put up something, uh, another thing that'll be up probably after we record this. So I did put up, I did a new thing, basically a brief history of Hulk Hogan claiming The Undertaker maimed him. All of the different versions he's given, including Under Oath, including the version where he claims that it happened in 1974. <laughs> when he wasn't even wrestling. Yes, on Hogan knows. Best. In, was he in high school in 1974? Ooh, let's see. Hulk Hogan. Other people have pointed out. Um, wait, uh, sorry, I clicked the wrong link, and then I realized it was playing in my headphones. But then I realized you couldn't really hear it anyway. Um, Undertaker would have been like nine, though. Yeah, Hogan may not have been in high school. He may have been in college. Okay, seven. Yeah, he would have been in he turned twenty-one. Yeah. Yeah. So, and something <laughs> to remember too. Though, looking at Hogan and his information, you know, Hogan was born in Augusta, Georgia. Oh, He's a Georgia boy. Yeah. 
But uh, where was I going with that? But yeah, and that, that one's fascinating to me because Hogan does legitimately have a terrible memory for dates, even vague dates. But he knows that was in 1974. He gets rolling. It's just, you know, it's easy for him to forget. Uh, uh, yeah. I think that's what it is. And it's weird seeing him do his thing under oath, though. That's the thing for me. It's like, because you can see the gears turning and him trying to figure ways to get out of it. I mean, you know, I tweeted this, so it's not a spoiler, quote unquote, but like in the deposition when they're like, well, did you actually lose feeling in your hands for years from that? He was uh, yeah, brother, until I burned my hands on that radiator last year, and then I got all the feeling back. <laughs> that happened. If you remember him wearing a mysterious white glove on impact, that's why. But he only burnt one hand. And yet somehow he is claiming, under oath, that that restored the feeling in both of his hands, despite the loss of feeling coming from his spot. He was healed. What can you say? It's a miracle. But anyway, there but you yes, go. So, so yeah, there yeah, you know, got video of the video versions, got what he said in his books, got what he said under oath. It it just keeps the thing that amazes me, it just it keeps going back and forth. Like, one time I'll blame Undertaker more, one time I'll blame him less, one time I'll say his head did hit, then I'll say it didn't. You know, of course Undertaker's version from last year was interesting and seemed more or less credible as well. With Hogan going up to him earlier in the day and being like, got a bad neck, uh, make sure you take care of me on your finish, brother. And then every time he passed him in the hallway, just kept pointing at his neck and being like, remember? <laughs> and then, of course, he tombstones him. His head doesn't come near the mat. And, oh, you got me, brother. Who knows why Hogan does what he does. But anyway, so there you go. Yeah, so babyfacevheel.com. May change the name soon. Who knows? Oh, and the other thing I'm going to put up with him being named the uh, Pro Wrestling Illustrated Stanley Western Editors Award recipient for this year. Figured to uh, post my thing that I wrote in Fighting Spirit several years back about Terry Funk, which has some great quotes from Terry as well as Jerry Briscoe. And I'm trying to remember if I interviewed anyone else for that, but that'll be up there as well. So check that out. I'm also going to try to start doing like subscriber Q&As, although... I had a brain fart and I realized, oh, wait a second, I should do these free for a few weeks first. So I'll probably change that, but check all that out. So babyfacevheal.com. All right. Well, let's get back to the rest of the show. Well, let's go to the Universal Wrestling Federation. Seems that Hacksaw Jim Duggan is once again being pushed to the forefront and getting the heavy shove. For this group to do anything on the road, it's imperative to get guys like Duggan over. And Dave thinks any live interviews of interplay with the announcers for it to work. Dave doesn't find their studio interviews of an announcer as an effective tool in getting guys over, uh, except for Michael Hayes, without an announcer, he should have said, except for Michael Hayes, who was an exceptional interview. <clears throat> yeah, those is, local pro, that local promo format that they were using was not good, though. In front of the uh, gray UWF logo background. With no announcer mediating or anything, yeah. Well, they did. They have been doing that for a long time. They quit doing that when when they left Irishman the Boys Club. Actually, it might have been even a little earlier now that I think about it. But I didn't. I I didn't think it was nearly as effective though as the old format. I think he's right about that. No, it's, I mean he's right, but it's not. This is nothing new. No, but I think he means that they're trying to get over a new top babyface, which they hadn't really. Well, he's not new, but trying to cement him. 
And Who? Duggan. I guess that's what he means. In a, but because he's no, I think Dave's confused because <laughs> the next week is Duggan quitting. <laughs> Duggan, well, I was going to get to that anyway. <laughs> um. Mm-hmm. Also, is it reported at all in the newsletters at the time that everyone's contracts got breached, and that's why people could leave? Um, I mean, the Doug and Fantastics thing was the next week where the story came out about how they were allowed to leave. Yes. Okay, so it did does get reported why every why these guys are able to leave. I don't think it got reported why, but oh, it just reported it just, it, that they were able. They, okay. Yeah. Because yeah, it was the. You know, and I think it was Missy that told me this when I was doing that um, UWF story for Fighting Spirit years ago, that the reason all of a sudden people were able to leave was that Watts wasn't able to pay their guarantees. Yeah. You know, the deal was, was that you got a fairly sizable guarantee for the era, plus he could keep Japan, and, you know, that was appealing to DBS Okay. And, Okay, here's what it says. It says they were released from their current contracts effective at the end of the month. Uh-huh. Sure. No. And that's basically what it said. <laughs> well, yeah, there's nothing about no breach. It said they released them. So. They may have actually preemptively given releases before anyone could sign a breach. I forget exactly how it worked, but. Yeah. It's not a good, it's not a good sign. No. Definitely not. And here's the, I think what Dave is thinking about is Duggan becomes one half of the UWF tag champions here. Yes. That's the odd thing about it, is they're about to get rid of them, and as we get, we're going to get into it, during our week, they win the tag titles. <laughs> very, very weird. And then it's what, like two weeks later that they do the tournament? Uh, no, it's a month. Okay. Over, it's for, first of February. Okay. For some reason, I remember it being in January. <clears throat> All right, so let's go to the shows. We have the double shot on Christmas, Shreveport, matinee show on the 25th, The Libyan against Ken Massey, Angel of Death against Jeff Gaylord, Michael Hayes against Gary Young, Buddy Roberts against Terry Taylor, Eddie Gilbert and Rick Steiner against Missing Link and Iceman in a loser gets painted yellow match, normal contender match for UWF heavyweight title, Terry Gordon against Dr. Death, and a 14-man first blood bunkhouse brawl. Then we have uh, the late night the show in New Orleans that evening. We have actual results on this show. Art Cruz over Gustavo Mendoza. Savannah Jack over Sting. Ted DiBiase and Terry Taylor over Mike George and Jack Victory. One-man gang over Hacksaw Jim Duggan by knockout. Ted DiBiase doing double duty team with Savannah Jack beating Wild Bill Irwin and Leroy Brown. And then a first blood bunkhouse battle royal brawl won by Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Are these definitely a matinee and night show? Because they are different crews. Well, Shreveport, I know, was an afternoon show. Okay. So they may have, they may have been doing uh, double shots with two crews. That's, that we just don't they have did, results. They did, that on, they did that on the weekends. Absolutely they did. They, like, they have them going to Homa and... Um, you know, some of them other Slidell and some of the other random Louisiana towns on Saturdays. So, yeah. Yeah. Off but you get what I'm saying. These, these two shows we have the listings for, though, are not a matinee and a night show in service of each other, is my point. No, my favorites were, uh, there were times there on Friday nights in the early 80s 
where the same crew would be working Lafayette and Shreveport at shows that had times at eight o'clock and they were working both shows. They were having the drive from one town to the other <laughs> to get to them to get work the show. Like a, like a Mexico City uh, Sunday deal uh, where these guys were just drive. They work and then they drive. I mean, have to get through working. So, wild. All right, Houston on the 26th, San Francisco Coliseum. Eli the Eliminator over Bobby Perez. Sting going to a draw with Gary Young. Iceman over Jay Victory by DQ. Chubba Guerrero over Mike George. UWF tag title match Wobbler and Leroy Brown retain their titles over Hacksaw Duggan and Terry Taylor no DQ match. No one contender match for the Universal Federation heavyweight title. Uh, Terry Gordy going to a double count. I went to death. And then Duggan went in the first blood bunkhouse brawl on the Houston side. Mm-hmm. Now, the next day, they taped TV. The Power Pro tapings at uh, Billy Biles in Fort Worth. And that's where Hacksaw Jim Duggan and Terry Taylor won the UWF tag titles. Beating uh, Dr. Deb, Dr. Deb, Wobbler and Leroy Brown. Duggan also won the uh, bunkhouse brawl. Here, the rules are if you fought outside the ring for 10 seconds, it's considered submission, but around a dozen guys bled. Best match on the show, which Dave heard was taped, was Terry Gordy and Dr. Def going to a very bloody double DQ. Dot bled so badly, he actually had to miss his booking in Waco the next day. The card drew U.S. biggest crowd thus far for a taping, around 1,900 fans at the Cowtown Coliseum. All right, here's the TV they taped. They got Jack Victory going to a draw with Gary Young. Iceman King Parsons over Sting by DQ. This is Power Pro for the third. Terry Gordy over Mike Reed and Chavo Guerrero over Mike George by DQ. And then Duggan and Terry Taylor winning the tag titles from Wild Bill and Leroy Brown. And then we have the 10th. We have Eli the Eliminator of Mike Reed. Hacksaw Duggan and Terry Taylor over Mike George Jack Victory. Sting over Ron Ellis. The Gordy Dot match. And then Duggan winning the first blood bunkhouse brawl. Now, the other crew was in Jackson, Mississippi that night. 2,800 fans. Ted DiBiase won the Buckhouse Brawl while blooding up one-man gang. Gang early beating up and destroyed DiBiase and pinned him in either a title match. The silly thing about the Battle Royal was DiBiase was injured so badly he didn't even get to the ring until five guys had been eliminated. Then jumped and joined in. The best gimmick was Eddie Gilbert, who wears a gas mask so he can't get cut. And towards the end, one of the big faces gets it off of him and gets to make him bleed. <laughs> also in Jackson... Savannah beat Savannah Jack beat Michael Hayes in the TV title match when Mike Michael missed with the glove. After the bout, Hayes really mistreated Sunshine a la Randy Savage and Elizabeth. Dave hopes they are trying to copy that act because it won't work. For one, Elizabeth is demure and cute. Sunshine's neither. <laughs> wow. Well, it's not her act, but I get his point. I get his point. Fantastic over Angel. Fantastic went over Angel Death and Buddy Roberts. Then got decimated by the same pair in the post match brawl. Link over Eddie Gilbert by the countout as Eddie stalled a la Zabisco. Never would lock up. And newcomer My Boyette, formerly the California hippie in the early 70s, went to a draw with Art Cruz and a few other prelims. Ah, yes. My Boyette about to start his uh, losing streak in the UWF. UWF at this time is very, very interesting to watch because Kim Mantel is full-on Kim Mantel here, and I mean, it's basically like a, a carbon copy of the old world-class stuff, 
you have a few of the UWF people that you associate with UWF, like a DiBiase and Doc and Duggan and Taylor. There's so much world class mixed in here, though. And it's just, it's entertaining television. And there's, there's some good stuff that's going on, but it's nowhere near what it was months earlier in 86. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can see Watts fingerprints still a little bit. Like, I gotta think that the special rule about the countouts in the Bunkhouse Battle Royal is him. Oh, we'll talk about that. It's coming. He's, in fact, Bill, you'll hear from his mouth. <laughs> so, Which I like own- because I can't think of any other Battle Royals that had that, but it's always been a pet peeve for me, and I know a lot of other people, that you can just peace out on a Battle Royal rolling under the ropes forever, and it's this forever loophole that's never fixed by any promotion because wrestling promoters in storyline are dumb. Um... Now, something else we should point out, though, especially with you mentioning that so much of what's going on is a carbon copy of what Mantell had done in World Class, when Power Pro became a fully original show and moved to Fort Worth at the beginning of the fall TV season a few months earlier, they, I don't know when they put this together, but that demo video for TV stations that's on YouTube... If you watch that, they don't use these exact words, obviously, but it's very obvious that they were trying to position Power Pro and syndication as a show that stations could either get instead of World Class, if they were already carrying World Class, or to carry to get your own version of World Class if another station has it. Because why else are they all of a sudden advertising that it's that they have Texas style wrestling when the two when the format of the two shows is basically identical? Mm-hmm. You know that's the only reason to be doing that. Yeah, because the most successful non WWF syndicated wrestling show up to this point, which was based out of the market you're now basing out of and taping Power Pro in every week, was. Like I said, it was the most successful non-WWF syndicated wrestling show. And why not go out to World Class? Because World Class at this point in time, their television has gone down the shit. So yeah. why not say, hey, look at our show. You know, we're we're what they what they kind of were. Yes. Now, also, okay, I think we went over this once before, but just to make it clear. Cowtown Coliseum is the former Northside Coliseum where yeah. World Class used to run in Fort Worth. It's next to Billy Bob's Texas, where Wild West would tape once. Mm-hmm. Wild West Inside Billy Bob. Yeah. In, in the actual Billy Bob's Texas club, yes. Mm-hmm. Once that co- happens in a few months, when Crockett buys out Watts, and Mantell has nowhere to go but to start his own company. And the Will Rogers complex, which World Class moved to, where, depending on the week and what else was in the building, they'd run either at the Coliseum or in the auditorium in the same complex. That wasn't right next door, but it was still in the Stockyards area of Fort Worth where the Cowtown Coliseum and Billy Bob's were, right? Um, yes. Yes. So everyone in Fort Worth runs basically the same location. <laughs> Pretty much, yes. Interesting. I, I but not on the same night. Not on the same night, but they all, but the, the four venues for wrestling in Fort Worth in this era are all either next door to each other or effectively next door to each other. Yes. It's it's like WrestleMania weekend. 
Kind of, sort of, yeah. Like a good WrestleMania weekend, like which, you know, from those who did a lot of them, the best in terms of having stuff close to each other was Dallas. And I'm curious if that repeats this year because no, one, I don't think anyone's announced their uh, non WWF venues yet or non WWE venues. Yeah. All right, so let's go. Let's go to TV. Right, so for the December 27th UWF, we have uh, the Fantastics and the Freebirds are having a little uh, deal here. They're having a little feud. So uh, let's go to the Fantastics who are pissed off about uh, what's been going on lately with the Freebirds. I'm just in awe of the thumbnail of this episode of television on <laughs> YouTube. He's pointing at you. Terry Taylor's pointing at you, Bix. Yes, I guess so. When Continental has figured out how to mic promos in an arena setting for TV and you haven't, you have a problem. And Joel Watts is here, too. Yes. Um, been here. Weird. That's the way it's always been. No, I know, but it's also it's weird seeing Mike Wilson doing the interview. Well, he was the ring announcer. They just they came out. I know. They I just know. showed up. Also, Tommy Rogers is shredded here. Yeah, they're, they're wearing, he's got his workout belt on. They thought they'd been coming from the gym. So, yeah. associate basically so they can have a heavy when Gordy is in Japan, right? Exactly, yes. I was going to bring that up. There you go. Mysterious jar he's had in that paper sack. 
He wouldn't tell us what it is. But Hayes now, the referee, trying to get that jar from him. Hayes with death hammer, Bobby Fullen, who's been busted open. Man, this is getting out of hand here. Referee Edwin Pop trying to get that foreign object from Hayes, whatever's in that jar. They're hammering away at the Fantastics. Hayes getting his troops out of the ring, and we've got to get this back together, and we'll be right back with a one-man gang. Don't go away. Ah, yes, the Freebird hair cream. <laughs> Gotta love it. And, um, I mean, they're still doing some some good angles. And Ross, as you heard there, is just... He's just he's full in, Jim Ross mode at the time. And, yeah, he's in, his, he's in his element, buddy. This is why he's... I mean, he's part of what makes the TV so great, is Jim Ross. And, um... Oh, yeah, I mean, that's good shit. And, um... I like the Angel of Death and and this character. I think they, I think they 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 went too quick with that. What do you mean? I think they went too quick with turning him to Devastation Incorporated, making him Angel Muhammad, and then he's gone. Oh, okay. I mean, he's he's gone not too long after that. So it's like you do the turn, and that's the catalyst for I guess turning the Freebird babyface. But you do the turn, and then he's gone. It was like a month. Yeah. So, I don't know. But, yeah, this is good stuff. Is 1986 Jim Ross the best version of that kind of announcer of all time? Yes. Of the Absolutely. excitable screen Absolutely. announcer? I think so. A Absolutely. Like, he's a better Eight overall announcer in 89 but this is the best version of this. The he, yeah he well eighty nine he becomes well rounded Jim Ross. That's what I mean. Yes, he still does the screaming stuff in eighty eight. The Japanese you know, have attacked Flair. I think it's when he fully becomes the number one announcer. Fully when eighty nine. When Tony leaves, it's when he starts toning it down. And the fact that he's on, he's on all the TV shows, basically, as well. He's being worked. So, all right. So, um, they did this big video on the December 27th Power Pro about Terry Gordy being stripped of the title and this, that, and the other. And Bill Watts has had enough of the wrestlers bitching. <laughs> of course he has. It's Bill Watts. So, he's going to, uh, he's got an idea. To stop these guys from whining like bitches. So let's go to Cowboy Bill Watts. I'm sure he said that, if not something more uh, colorful. <laughs> As president of Mid-South Sports and the Universal Wrestling Federation, the buck stops here. And of course, I've always maintained that you win a title in the ring, that's where you ought to lose it. I like how at this point they're not even hiding that it's a home office. And I'll, uh, I want that fucking jacket. The silver satin ja UWF jacket with the UWF logo. Oh, I logo. have always wanted one of those. Holy shit. Some, uh, one of these uh, wrestling t-shirt deals that's not uh, giving out credit card information needs to... Um, <laughs> well, accident well, no. Having poor enough security to have a compromise. They're not giving anyone's out. I yes. know. But, uh, yeah, someone please find out how to 
make a deal for these. Um, unless, of course, Eric Watts still has a bunch lying around like he used to. <laughs> I, I think it was... I think it was Prazak who told me years ago during... Cause, yeah, cause it, I think it was during the era where, like, he and Hero and Daisy Hayes and Delirious and Nate Webb are driving down to work the TNA explosion shows every week in Nashville that one day Eric Watts showed up wearing, I forget if it was the Mid-South sports satin jacket or the UWF satin jacket. Oh, I'll take either one. But I want to say it was Prazak that said to me, he just, he just walked in there wearing that. Like, yeah, my dad's cool. <laughs> but anyway. right, back And we've been strong and supported that issue very proudly and the thing with terry gordy has confused a lot of people and we've got a lot of male pro and con because we stripped him of the title however when i was talking about losing the title when you weren't in the ring i was talking about some federations that have matches booked in towns they're not even scheduled to wrestle in and have champions supposedly against opponents they've never known and don't intend to wrestle and then they say that this guy lost the title to that guy and there's a new champion and we've had a case like that just recently we all know about that's Pause. what I'm talking about. Terry Gordy was... Fuck you, world class. <laughs> That's basically what he just He's said. He's talking about Black Bart and Chris Adams. Yes. <laughs> Fuck you, world class. Los Angeles. <laughs> Look at Bill Watts there, too. He's in his bag now, so he's rolling. Also, you can tell that he's not sleeping well or whatever because of the divorce, by the way. He oh, looks yeah, his different. Yeah. His hair's grown out. Yeah. He looks kind of pale by his standards. Yeah. But something is off. He looks off. But he's still, he's still Bill Watts. Booked to defend oh. the Universal Wrestling title against the one-man gang. He was here and in the arena that night scheduled to wrestle. In another bout, he was also included in as a six-man tag match. He claims injury. I'm not I'm not doubting his word. However, in the ensuing time he wouldn't let us get him to a doctor for examination. He also has refused to get it operated on. So I'm not sure just how badly injured Terry Gordy was. But the best this the most important you thing is <laughs> that you fans pay your hard earned dollars to come to the arena and you should get what you pay for. We have so many cases of injuries, misplanes, bad weather, we're people that are booked cannot be there that when they're there and somebody like michael hayes decides that terry gordy's not going to defend the title we are not going to stand for that therefore he was in the ring and the one-man gang was in the ring and when he refused to wrestle he forfeited the title and that's how come the one-man gang is now the universal wrestling champion so he won in the ring but he lost it in the ring We're gonna keep, uh, yeah. Well, let's talk about this. We'll keep this ready because we're gonna go play this next. Yes. Um. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what Bill wants. He's tired of these, tired of the bitching. <laughs> I I do like him finding a way to explain what makes the distinction here that he's losing the title in the ring, that he entered the ring, he's there, and saying he can't wrestle. So what are we to do? Yeah, quit being a pussy. <laughs> That's <laughs> what he's saying. 
Oh my god. Uh, also, as much as Gordy was the right pick to be the champion in the first place, don't put your belt on someone who you know might not be able to do a job because of their other job. Those damn Japanese bookings. You but, asked for it, well, though. You offered yeah, exactly. these guys all these contracts saying, hey, I'll guarantee you, I think for the very top guys like Freebirds uh, and DiBiase, 100 grand a year, and you can keep your Japanese dates, too, and get paid for those. Yeah. So, he asked for it. He made his bed. Absolutely. Absolutely. That, that was the incentive that he was offering that the other promotion, the other contract major promotions were not that you are specifically still allowed to take japan dates and make money for them blah 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 mm-hmm you may i mean you make the bed you gotta lie in it yep so oh my goodness well since they're at uh billy bob's Council well they're Coliseum. next door to billy bob's yes well, whatever. Which, I, um, which, well, I I make the distinction because I've always found it fascinating how so many of the guys who were in the territory at the time call it Billy Bob's, even though it's not. Like, have you ever heard Jim Ross not call it Billy Bob's? <laughs> well, they, so the intro. Well, they say next door to Billy Bob's, Texas, the Does world's largest honky tonk. Uh, well, okay, hold on. Let's let's. Uh... Are we going to see what this looks like on an actual map? Well, no, no. What I want to do is let's go ahead and play this next clip, okay? okay. And see how they so, address it here? Okay. Well, do that, but I want, we'll, I want to go all, all the way back to the beginning of the episode, and we'll see how After it's addressed. That. Okay. All right, so they got the uh, country music scene going around there. It's Fort Worth, so uh, they have some visitors show up from time to time. They're, they have their own little rock and wrestling re connection. Well, the country and they... I think they mentioned that in that demo video, and I think they use this exact clip. So let's go to Jim Ross with Dave Allen Co. With us, everybody. Jim Ross back with you. It's my pleasure to have out here David Allen Cole, one of the great country singers of our time, one of the great songwriters ever in country music. David, thanks for being with us. All right. Well, I've enjoyed it. I really have. I'll tell you, you've got uh, you, your career, as I know, on full swing, and uh, your music and, and your attitude that you write things that, that you like, and, and we've talked about this. Uh, we hope the other folks like it. That's the yeah. name of the game. We've got a wrestler kind of like that by the name of Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Yeah, His hair is a little bit long uh i know you're a little familiar with him yeah i know hacksaw and uh i met him one night uh with dusty and terry allen they introduced me to him and and uh they told me said this old boy here he's about as crazy as you are david allen and we we didn't talk a long time but we talked a little bit and i watched him wrestle two or three times and and uh i know why they call him hacksaw you know because he is mean he's one tough man uh, you know he says uh, he didn't not a real fancy kind of a guy and wear those nice sparkly robes but uh he's a kind of meat and potatoes guy you can identify with that yeah i like yeah, yeah, yeah. I like the guy that takes them robes away from them other guys, you know. Oh yeah, you know, hacksaw just as, as comfortable in a truck stop eating chicken fried steak oh. as you or I. So that's a that's a difference I think in him and a lot of athletes. He's yeah, a bat down to earth guy. Well, you know, a guy like that has to get ahead, you know, because uh, it's people. If you get down with the people, you know, and uh, they're gonna have to like you, you know. They know that you don't put on airs and everything. Exactly right. They, ladies and gentlemen, David Allen, new album coming out. Tell us about that album one more time. Yeah, the album is called A Matter of Life and Death, and uh, it's dedicated to my father, who died on August the 9th, and uh, he was part of my band, traveled with me all over the world, and 
and the album's dedicated to him. We look forward to that as a matter of life and death. David Allen Cole, David, thanks a lot for being with us. We've got action in the ring, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go to the ring now. I love David Allen Cole. <laughs> I mean, he, he is he, an interesting guy in a lot of ways, but... Uh, yes, and Dusty and Terry Allen introduced him to Hacksaw. That's right, yeah. So when would that have been, and where? Probably, probably when they co-promoted. You know, they, I mean, that was in this '86 summer '86. They were all, you know, they were co-promoting hmm. shows together. All right, you want me to play the intro now? Yeah, go ahead. Let's see how they they, they, they dress this. Let me see. Okay, can I get it to the? Okay, I wanted to see if I could get to the montage after the little cold open. Appreciate you dropping by. From the historic Cowtown Coliseum, next to Billy Bob's, Texas, in the heart of the Fort Worth Stockyards, it's Power Pro Wrestling. 60 minutes of the wildest action in professional wrestling, featuring the stars of the Universal Wrestling Federation. Okay. Well, there you go. Now, what did you just send me? This is the promo uh, that... I wanted to. I was thinking in my mind, and I remember now that it was before our week. But it explains why we're having the bunkhouse brawls. Okay. The first blood bunkhouse brawl. This aired on the thirteenth, so it's before our week. But Bill, this is Bill, another classic Bill Watts promo about wrestlers being pussies. So let's go to the. Class. And does he talk about other battle royals where where the wrestlers are able to just hang out outside the ring? Well, just watch and see what he says. Without a doubt, in all professional sports, it seems like violence is definitely on an upswing. And no matter what any group tries to do, any governing body, it doesn't seem to be the answer. In the National Football League, they've started instant replays where they look at the calls made by the officials and see whether they were correct or not. However, they don't look at all the calls that the officials make and make those calls for them. And on many plays, there's just as many crucial situations that the officials miss and there's an awful lot of officials on the field and of course in wrestling it's always been wild and woolly and i've always maintained that if you need the official to save you in a match as a professional wrestler then you shouldn't be in the ring you better be in there and be man enough to make your own breaks take your lumps and hope you come out on top however i remember years ago when things were really getting out of hand and dusty Rhodes and i were tag team partners and we came up with a new concept, a brand new idea, something that had never been done, a bull rope match. And then a bull rope tag team match where the opponents were tied together from one end of a bull rope to another, and a big iron bell was in there. And it created a real problem for everybody involved. We got our lumps, but we gave some, and it's definitely more blessed to give and receive. There's been so much outside interference, so much two and three on one, so many things happening right now that we too have come up with a new idea that we're going to incorporate. A first blood bunkhouse brawl. If you bleed, you're eliminated. Or else if you get thrown out and you can come back in as many times as you want until you quit. We're going to finally see among all these big tough guys who just the baddest man in town is. And they can wear anything they want because when these run-ins are coming in their street clothes and everything else, so they want to wear cowboy boots, Belts with huge buckles on them, blue jeans, football gear for Dr. Death, Duggan. Anything they want, they can be in there. But the man that emerges is going to be the toughest guy from a bunkhouse brawl. Oh, 
Okay, real cute, man. Takes you six weeks, and that's the best excuse you can come up with is that, all right, we wouldn't let him get checked by doctors. It didn't take an Einstein watch to see that the man's arm was injured. And you took the title from him, and nobody beat him. Wait. <laughs> I think I know now why you were confused. Yeah. They put the wrong promo in the wrong week of the show. Mm-hmm. The one that aired in our week was supposed to air here. Yeah. Because they appeared to be shot at the same time. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> wow. I never noticed that till just now. Because <laughs> Hayes' response here has nothing to do with what Watch just said. Exactly. He's talking about the yeah. promo from two weeks later. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. I never noticed that now till you till we just watched this. UWF everybody. Because, <laughs> gee, you think they were, these guys are going through some stress <laughs> right now? <laughs> well, let's oh, see. My. The promoter who always has final booking say is going through divorce. Mm -hmm. The producer of the TV show's parents are going through a divorce. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The business is going down. Yes, and we should say, not just a divorce, a very bitter divorce. Oh, yeah. Um, and then business is going down. And it's got to be the reason, too, because when else did Joel Watts ever make a mistake like this? Never, really. Wow. He, yeah. Wow. And not even not even from an adjacent show, though, two weeks later. Mm -hmm. So the Bunkhouse promo, I guess, was supposed to air on the 27th. I guess so. Now I'm curious to see how they introduced well, no, okay, it. Okay, okay, okay. Here's here's the thing. Well, no, here, here you go. All right. The 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 Gordy, what we played earlier aired on Power Pro on the 27th, but aired on the regular UWF show on the 20th. Okay, so it was on the back-to-back -back shows. So, yeah, but they, they got, yeah, they got set so in the wrong order. 13th and 20th were the same taping, clearly. And, yeah. But, or were they? No. 20th so, was the... 20th was the Christmas show. Huh. So it wasn't even yeah. from the same in-ring taping, although, so mm -mm. it was just a matter of when splicing the stuff taped at the home office, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's insane. Yes. Now, That's I'm insane. glad I figured out immediately why you were thrown in the first place and expected that to be there. But... Well, as soon as Hayes started talking, I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah. That's not what Bill Watson was even talking about in that promo. Yeah. So there you go. Put two and two together. Wow. How about that? And you know what? Since I mentioned it earlier, and since I did actually clip it on Twitter recently, close the loop since we're talking about it, let's play that uh, little teaser thing they made for Power Pro. Okay? Yeah. In addition to the popular UWF program, Mid-South Sports and Multi-Market Media offer Power Pro Wrestling, which is broadcast from Fort Worth's Cowtown Coliseum. Each week, the Power Pro Show takes on a Western flavor as the UWF wrestlers battle it out in true Texas style. Who knows when your favorite country Western star might make an appearance. Dropping in from next door, that's at Billy Bob's Texas, the world's largest hockey talk. And then they go into a clip of a bunkhouse match. And I, I will play the end, though, because it's interesting. Uh, hold on. Let me try to get there. All right. President of Marketing is always available to... 
Oh, and I went too far ahead because he started talking before the graphic. Wrestling to local advertising. Jim Ross, the vice president of marketing, is always available to conduct a sales seminar on how to sell wrestling on the local level. So don't stop now. Ask your multi-market media sales representative to explain how you can acquire UWF or Power Pro Wrestling. So not only is JR heading the internal syndication sales, he also knows that the way advertisers are about wrestling, that he should be offering seminars to stations on how to sell wrestling to local advertisers. Mm-hmm. Interesting. But yeah, there's there's no other reason to call that show Texas style or Western style than to try to usurp world class. Mm-hmm. Because it's the same, other than the occasional country music star appearances, it's the same format as UWF. Pretty much. All right. Well, speaking of Texas wrestling, let's go to world class. And this is the this is the first words about world class in the world class section of the Observer for a week. Things are bad. <laughs> that's it. That's the, the sentence. Things are bad. Dave, so I don't have full details of the Christmas night show reunion arena. Get complete notes for next week, which you didn't. The show drew about 5200 pay in a $67,800 gate, which isn't bad because they had only sold 2200 tickets in advance and were expecting around $3,500. Um, the cage match loses leave town. Those of you who caught the show this week must have laughed when Bill Mercer said the winner gets to leave town. <laughs> and I mean the match. <laughs> winner leaves for Norwegia. <laughs> so I told the butcher beat Bruiser Brody. Dave's not exactly sure how this happened, but Tony Atlas, who was seated next to Gary Hart, got knocked out when the door was actually opened into his face. Brody was climbing over and got hung up again to, to the floor by Hart. And while they were mixing it up, Abby walked through the door and got to the floor first. There wasn't heat, much heat in this match. In fact, the only heat of the night was during the tag title defense Val Madrill and Brian and Diaz against Kevin and Mike Von Erich. Dave's not sure the result here, but he believes Von Erich's TQ and Kerry interfered. Hmm. Which, which is about true. Um, during the match where the Dingo Warrior and newcomer Bob Bradley went at it, the crowd was almost completely silent. They had also had a loser riding a mule match in which Scott Casey beat Black Bart. That place stunk as much as the car did. Mm. Also, I just realized something. Did Warrior meet Wendell Weatherby slash Wendell Robinson through Bob Bradley? Probably so. Because Bob Bradley was a, you know, a uh, New England indie guy coming into this. So, why else would Warriors Driver be a New England indie manager and promoter? Seems mean. Anyway. All right, the rest of the uh, car here. Tony Atlas over Matt Bourne. Both bled. They moved his slow-mo. Cannon Divine over the lock. Vix, get this. Winona Littleheart slash Wendy Wendham. So, he, at this point, Dave thinks that Winona Littleheart is Marion Kendall's sister. Legit. Yes. That's what I'm saying. Dingo Warrior went to a double DQ with Bob Bradley. Horrible. Lance Von Eric over Master G. Steve Simpson over the Grappler. And Mark Youngblood over Killer Tim Brooks. Is world-class era George Wells the most consistently a wrestler has ever been in no condition to perform on television? I mean, you can just smell the cocaine on him. I mean, he just does smell not it. look right. No, I mean, he is so coked. <laughs> so coked. Oof. Man, I mean, coat gut. This look, this look bad. 
looked bad. His issues are presumably why he disappeared from WWF, right? Uh, yeah. Because he'd been there for like two years, but end of the run, he looks completely different from the beginning of the run. Yeah. All right, well... Why not? We got time. Let's watch a clip of uh, this this extravaganza, shall we? I'm sending you the clip now. This is from the uh, January 3rd World Class Television. So let's watch this. Because, the, the, hey, remember, the, the, these shows used to be taped for TV. They, they The jail, July 4th show was the first one they didn't tape. And now this one. So okay. let's look at this, shall we? And this is taken from the network, right? Uh, yeah. So I should turn my little VHS filter gimmick off. One of the matches that, of course, had everybody on the edge of the seat was the Bunkhouse match, which featured Scott Casey and the former world champion Black Bart. A long and tedious, grueling, bloody match. And these two gladiators were just about exhausted. The loser would have to ride a burrow, a little donkey, around Reunion Arena. And neither of yeah, these not cowboys for TV at all. Bart from the Badlands of Dakotas or this cowboy from Bull Verde, Texas, wanted that to happen. And Scott Casey on top with a two, three, ten. And Bart must ride the burrow. Scott Casey, the cowboy from Texas, beat the cowboy from the Dakotas. And a happy Scott Casey. I should note, by the way, that who I can only presume is Oz Coleman has the brightest handheld camera light you have ever oh seen God. in your light life. Jesus. <laughs> I'm blinded by the light and looking at it. Like, it's Here. messing up the picture and strobing everywhere. Yeah, Lord. Who loves horses but didn't want to ride that burrow does his pogo hop. And there is Black Bart climbing on the back of the burrow. Probably that burrow doesn't weigh as much as Black Bart. What? But the former world champion of world-class championship What a gimmick this is. On his little journey around Reunion Arena, humiliated at the loss to Scott Casey, but more humiliated by riding that jack around the arena. Why? Black Bart. This is, that's an old-school step, too. I know. As Scott Casey stands in the ring, gloating over his victory. I know, but they're syndicated all over the country and world. So. It doesn't matter. It's all about Dallas. Keep, let's keep going. Okay. A match that everyone had been waiting for. Oh, this is the, like the recap the of the steel cage match okay. between yeah. Abdullah yeah. the Butcher as he hammers that steel prong into the head. Shortest cage in wrestling history, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it's almost as tall as Abdullah. It looks like it's less than a foot above the top rope. Yeah, maybe pretty much. Like, less than a foot above the, the top of the top turnbuckle, maybe about a foot above the top rope. Mm-hmm. Of Bruiser Brody. Uh, just about three weeks ago, Bruiser Brody handed me two airline tickets because the loser of this match must leave Texas forever. Wait, they're supposed to move out of Texas, too? As pretty Bruiser much. Brody now... Hammer on the head by Abdullah. Now, Tony Atlas was supposed to be in his corner, but Atlas was injured in an earlier match and could not be in Bruiser's corner. But 
Gary Hart is in Abdullah's corner as Rick Hazard tries to open the gate to let Abdullah come out. And of course, the it's escape the cage, so neither of them have to, to do a job. Through the gate. Of course. This match without a referee in there, anything goes. Brody is basically the same height they as They were check wrestlers coming into the ring, yeah. but Gary Hart undoubtedly, undoubtedly handed Abdullah the steel bar that he has hammered into Bruiser Brody's head as Bruiser charged back. Now remember, Bruiser does not have a second, but what a tremendous kick into the neck of Abdullah the Butcher. The loser, the one who cannot go out of the cage, must leave Texas forever. And so Bruiser Brody is trying, as his forehead is bloody, trying now to come out of the cage on this side, and Abdullah trying to stop him. Now there's Gary Hart around the edge of the ring. Abdullah realizing that the cage is so short that he has to stop selling and rush to get Brody. (laughs) Yeah. Caught up in this corner. Across the ring from them is the cage door. How much longer is this good? Abdullah has been helped. Yeah, not too much longer. With the presence okay. of Gary Hart. As Gary comes up now and Abdullah standing on the neck of Bruiser Brody. And Gary Hart pulling the hair of Bruiser into the side of the cage. This is where Tony Atlas could have been so much help to Bruiser Brody. Well, it goes another three minutes or so. Abdullah. You want me to skip ahead of now it? Gary yeah. So try to get about to the finish. Okay. Yeah. Okay, this looks like it's the finish. Trying to be the first one out of the cage. That's Hart saying, lock the door. Hart wants the door locked. He wants to first keep Bruiser out of there. But Abdullah's close by, he'd like it open. And they're tangled up now. As Bruiser tries to get Abdullah from going out of the cage door. And here comes Tony Atlas. Head bandaged from that earlier bout. And now Tony is at ringside. And that evens up the exterior problem of this match. As Hart and Tony Atlas discuss everything. A shot to Bruiser Brody. And a shot with a gate in the back of the head. Also, oh, Abby just kicked it hard into Atlas. Down goes Hazard. Yeah. And Bruiser is just about to lose as Abdullah is at the gate. Abdullah's at the gate, but Bruiser has stopped him. Now, Gary Hard has picked up a chair and he's wedged it into the gate. Hart has wedged the chair into the that gate. The camera light is it. so bright, you think and it's going to play the player role in a finish. A little groggy and Bruiser. Yeah, you would. The gate. Here comes Bruiser trying to come over the top now. And Gary Hart. Latching his arm and tying him, trying to tie him to the side of the cage as Bruiser battles vainly. Gary Hart pulling on the arm of Bruiser. Abdullah's headed for the gate. Abdullah is out. And Abdullah will be the winner as Brody is still in the ring. Abdullah bloody but victorious. And now Brody lands on the mat. Only one airline ticket will be used as Gary Hart and Abdullah Butcher have won. And we'll be back for more world-class championship wrestling. The exciting Steve Simpson next right here. The exciting Steve Simpson. 
Oh, man. Yeah. World class 80, this time 86. Oof. My goodness. Dave said, looks like this group won't have Reunion Arena to itself much longer, as at least two other promotions are making inquiries about coming in. UWF, Junkard Promotions. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it's just the times are changing. Absolutely. All right, let's go to AWA. Their Christmas night show at St. Paul at the Civic Center, 3,500 fans. Dave Soul's best live card they've had in a while, much better than Crockett's show two nights later. Main event between Nick Botwick and Kurt Henning, which had everyone thinking title change, went 26 minutes before Kurt was DQ'd by referee Billy Robinson. So it was a very good match, lost near falls. It was. Very, very good. Best match on the card, though, was a non-title steel cage match where the Midnight Rockers, Marty Jannetty and Shawn Michaels, beat Buddy Rose and Doug Summers, everyone but Rose Bled, in a definite four-star match. Dave will be getting tape of this card, so he may comment more on it next week. He need to get the tape next week. Other results saw Mr. Saino return and team with the Super Ninja, Shinji Takano, and Larry Zbisco to beat Scott Hall, Leon White, and Greg Gagne. When Saito pinned Hall, Saito was said to have been awesome, and this is a good match, which is hard to believe since Hall was said, said to have nearly single-handedly destroyed it. Also, Boris Zukov beat Steve-O. Earthquake Ferris over Brian Nobbs. Buck Zumhoff went to a draw with Buddy Wolf, who was old as shit. Colonel the Beers over Jimmy Snooker by DQ in five minutes. A very bad match was the rest of the card. Oh, yeah. The, the Henning Botwinkle, Rockers, Rose Summers matches were tremendous on this show. All their matches were, though. Yeah. But I just, I, I like having the house show matches, you know, to go along with the TV matches. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, good shit. Good shit. And 3,500? I mean, I mean, good Lord, it's not what they were doing in St. Paul, for God's sakes, but still better than they have been doing at times. So, and two days before the Crockett show at, at the Met Center, for God's sakes, where, which totally bombed, you know? Because what was the attendance we gave on the Met Center earlier? No, the Crockett one did okay. It was the WWF yeah. one a few weeks earlier that bombed. No, well, Crockett did 6,000 at the Met Center. That's not good. In that that's building, third, no, but they're still... Yeah, that, the that's, a, that's, a thir- that's a third of a house. But it's also easily the biggest success of the shows in the Twin Cities that month. Yeah, I guess. All right. Speaking of death, the Central State Circuit knows the Purgatory Pro Wrestling still burning. <laughs> but Crockett's here, so it's not as bad, but still... I uh so let's go to St. Joe, Missouri's at the Civic Center on Christmas night. Sixteen hundred fans. Central State's tag titles. David Peterson and Todd Champion, Bix also known as Crazy Train. Retain their titles over Port Chop Cash and the Warlord. Then Ken Timms over Jammin' Mitch Snow. Brady Boone over Colt Steel. The Batten Twins over Pat Rose and T Joe Khan. Mod Squad over Italian Stallion and Rufus R. Freight Train Jones. Well, they went to WQ, excuse me. Sam Houston retained the center stakes. They wait till to beat Bulldog Bob Brown by DQ. And an 18-man $20,000 Buckhouse Stampede was won by Bart Batten. Chris? Yes? How much would the average ticket price have been in St. Joe at the time? Probably. Uh, probably about five bucks. 
Okay, so should this be Maybe. at most an eight thousand dollar? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that would be that would that would that would mess up the undercard though too. But you know what I mean. Oh. Don't announce twenty thousand dollars. <laughs> well, at least eight hundred thousand dollars. ICW was promoting. Well, so Vodis could come up with a hundred thousand dollars a little easier though. They they know the right people, so. Yes, they do. I mean, the Wyndhams did work there earlier in the year. So. <laughs> Kansas City on the 26th and Memorial Hall drew 800. So they, okay, so they drew half in the bigger market of the crowd they drew in the smaller market. Yes. All right, we have Brady Boone over T.J. Cod, Warlord over Mitch Snow, Battens over Porkchop Cash and Colt Steel, Italian Stallion over Basher, Such States Tag Titles, Crazy Train retained over Pat Rose and Ken Timms. Rufus Laura Frey Train Jones beat Spike of the Moscow Bad DQ in a New Orleans death match. And then Sam Houston retained the Central States title, beating Bulldog Bob Brown by DQ. Oof. I forget, did Pat Rose dye his hair here to be the new Fabulous Blondes? I don't know. I don't remember. I mean, he, he would do that later when he was a fake Fargo, but I don't, I don't know if he did that here or not. I saw very little of the uh, Kansas City TV. Just it wasn't like, on the Pedicino block or anything? It was, but I just don't remember it. Okay. And unfortunately, there's was, not much floating around. When I say unfortunately, it's Kansas City, but yeah, it's interesting because of the crop. Oh, I like having everything. Well, yeah. I like having everything. Well, that knows. too, but unfortunately, there's only a few scattered episodes from that entire, you know, seven or whatever month run floating around. Yeah. Portland, Christmas night at Portland Sports Arena. We have a car, but no results. Yeah, Portland's in dire straits this time, too. Mark Starr was advertised here. He never came. He was supposed to go against Vern Siebert. Um, Joey Jackson is really event. Vinny Valentino. Vinny Valentino, Vinny Valentino. Scott Dorney is Mr. X. Art Cruz against Thomas Samoa, who is an unknown Samoan. I think it was Coco Samoa's actual brother. Okay, but he, but yeah, he. I, don't, this, I think this is like the only place he really worked. Outside of Hawaii, maybe. A Buddha Dean and Rip Oliver against Coco Samoa and Sky High Lee. Papa Duba Damian, and then a strap match main event: Mike Miller against Ricky Santana. Then two nights later in Portland, we get we do get results on this one. Agent Orange. Over Vern Siebert, Coco Samoa, Sky High Lee over Abuda Dean, Abuduba Dabian, and Mike Miller. Rip Oliver over Ben Valentino, R Ricky Santana over Joey Jackson, and Battle Royal won by Sky High Lee. And yes, this promotion was oof, at this time. Oof. Mm. Agent Orange, that would be what you would be taking to uh, watch this week to week, I guess, sometimes. Well, as Hogan did say in the build-up for the '95 War Games, he drank a bunch of a or Agent Orange so he could become impervious. That so he could become impervious to pain. <laughs> you needed it. Watch this, Kansas City, <laughs> you know, Dallas. Man, that's some rough stuff in in late '86 in some of these territories. My goodness. All right, let's go to a sad story. Mike Ballou. Uh, I guess that's how it's pronounced. B-E-L-L-E-W. Bellew, I think, maybe? The editor of Wrestling Eye magazine died this past week in an auto accident in the New York City area. 
He was 27 years old. Ironically, the recent issue of Wrestling Eye, Don't Own the Muppets Dated, but Hulk Hogan's on the cover, has started which caused more furor than anything in the wrestling magazine in a long time. It basically defines several business terms, and reading between the lines was an expose. Dave realizes his next statement's going to come out as both hypocritical and poor taste, but that article should not appear in a newsstand wrestling publication. It's not going to harm the business, because a whole lot more folks saw Eddie Mansfield in 2020 and read newspapers that regularly attack wrestling's authenticity than will ever read that article. Dave also realizes his newsletter exposed the business a lot more frankly and thoroughly than that article did, but readers of this newsletter know what it's all about. Dave has no quarrel with the folks who take a journalistic approach to business, but a pulp magazine which de- devotes article after article treating wrestling an authentic sport as an authentic sport and then prints an expose is in the long run making itself look foolish. Let's fast forward one week. <laughs> Dave, I'm hereby giving myself the poor taste award for some comments made last week. I knew beforehand that editorializing about something in a magazine while at the same time reporting the death of the magazine's editor was poor taste and awful timing. I still did it, which shows stupidity as well. I'm not taking back anything. Just in hindsight, wish I hadn't written it that week. I was very sad to hear that Mike Bellew had the rest and I died. Of course. I didn't know him personally, although he was a subscriber, and I kind of feel that makes him a friend. While I'm not a fan of WrestleMania Magazine, I do have to thank them because they've done several things that have helped this publication immensely, and Bill Yu was responsible in a big way for many of you find out about The Observer. This is Dave... Uh, this is typewriter Dave's pitfalls, I think. Yeah. Because I feel like he would have been more likely to separate them out and or or change it or whatever or have second thoughts before he published it if he was not on a typewriter. You know what I mean? Yeah. Also, the ironically, I think, makes it worse, because there's no ironically. No. And then it's the whole paragraph we- is about the other thing, not his death. It's, it's weird. And then, and then and then apologizes, but doesn't apologize, really. Yeah. Oh, I still think it. I just wouldn't have wrote it that week. <laughs> so, so here's what Newsday had, you know, local Long Island paper. This is from December 23rd, referring to what happened on the 22nd. A Levittown man was killed Sunday when his car hit a utility pole in Hicksville, and they saw police said yesterday. Michael Bellew, 29, of 75 Division Avenue. Boy, isn't it nice that newspapers don't just print everyone's home address anymore? Different time and place. I know. Died after his vehicle hit the pole at about 8 a.m. Police said Bellew, southbound on Newbridge Road, just north of Ballpark Lane, excuse me, the, the Ballpark Lane intersection, Past Edwin Moroy, 23 of Uniondale, who was also southbound, cut in front of him, and went off the road, hitting the pole as Moroy, swerving to avoid a collision, struck the left rear of Bellew's car. Police said Moroy ran to a nearby delicatessen to call police. His car left on the road was struck by a third southbound card, mm. car, uh, driven by Edith Lang, 41 of Hicksville. She and her son Eric were examined at Nassau County Medical Center and released. Bellew, who police said was not wearing a seatbelt, was pronounced dead at the hospital. Mm. Yeah, not good. not good. No. And I guess we should also... Oh, wait, there's a Daily News one. Someone had there, an obituary from the same day. Let me see. I'm just trying to see if one of these is more legible than the others. Uh, let's see. Yeah, so here it's in the obituaries. It's not a news story. Yeah. 
uh, Michael P. Bellew of Levitown. This says December 21st. Uh, beloved son of Gladys and Eugene, fond brother of Corinne uh, Vernavides, Eugene Bellew and Irene Katz, loving uncle of Gary, dear brother-in-law of Spiros uh, Vernavides and Terry Katz. Friends may call from 2 to 5 and 7 to 10 at the Thomas F. Talton Funeral Home in Levittown. Uh, mass of Christian Burial, Wednesday at 9.45 a.m. at St. Bernard R.C. Church, uh, Internment, Holy Road Cemetery. And, I mean, we should probably also note, though, like, Wrestling Guy just launched. Mm-hmm. You did, yeah. Like, this, this issue Dave's talking about would either be the first or the second issue. I know. I think it's the first, because I have the second, and I don't think this article is in there. Yeah, it's just crazy. So, that, I guess, is when and why Carmine Despirito takes over, right? Pretty much, yeah. And becomes his outlet for the next however many years, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Also, is every wrestling magazine based on Long Island at the time? <laughs> Just about. And, like, Levittown is not far. I mean, I don't know where the office would be for Wrestling Eye, but. And where maybe. I mean, maybe Bellew is, you know, commuting to the city or whatever, but Levittown is not far from Rockville Center at all. Wrestling yeah. Main Event was based in Manhattan, I believe, at the time. But, yeah, just sad story here. Yeah. And, and again, it, and, this is, and this is also a different time and place when people talk about people's deaths. Yeah. I mean, it seems like now people are more tactful than they used to be. So, but, nah, it is what it is, I guess. But, yeah, there's still interesting, interesting way Dave handled it. <laughs> And it, and you know I understand where he's coming from, in a way because I mean it's not like Wrestling Eye was treating everything as a shoot in their magazine. You know, if you're gonna do one, do it all the way. You know, yeah. Don't don't be a kayfabe magazine and then do a something at, th at this point in time at least do something that's gonna expose the business. You know, yeah. It's it's one of the things I hated about Wow Magazine. I guess to go back to that, like, when WoW launched, the big selling point was that they were not going to insult your intelligence and they were going to treat wrestling for what it was. And then they just did a bunch of articles that were the same bullshit. It was just glossier and whatever. And it was not a good magazine, even by wrestling magazine standards. No. And they went out of their way to do stuff and, like, not even listen to after after they brought him in and, like, cause heat with people. The big thing I remember after mentioning, I think, in his book was they would just go directly to people in the WWF and offer, like, the money to directly, which they should be able to do, but still, uh, to do photo shoots with them. Yeah. Which, if you're trying to build relationships with the promotions, is not a good idea. Not at all. All right, let's close out with the World Wrestling Federation. In updating the biggest story the past few weeks, Titan is using those reprehensible Ganya-like tactics by building Dynamite Kid to appear in arenas throughout the country starting this week. Nice business practices, guys. The last word Dave got on Dynamite said he'll be in traction, recovered from disc surgery through about February 10th. 
being the crazy and dangerously determined individual he is, Dada might stop out returning to the ring right around February 11th or so. Try earlier than that, Dave. His determination to return to action faster than Joe Montana is such that Titans' plans for holding a tag team tournament have been scrapped. They're going to wait for Dynamite to return, unless the doctors chain him to his hospital bed through March when WrestleMania comes around. So yes, there were the, the, the original plan was to have a tournament for the tag titles. Strip the Bulldogs of the belts, have a tag tournament, and go from there. It makes you wonder how different everything is if they're like, no, you can't come back. We're going to do this tournament, and you come back when you're right. Yeah, and also, I mean, let's be realistic about this. Given the condition he was in at the time, how much damage did he do just from flying to Florida and back? Oh, God. Yes, absolutely. Cause no tell. I don't—he didn't— he wasn't staying with Scott McGee, Gary Port's long term, right? He was just staying at his house while he was in town for the TVs, right? Yeah. Like, because didn't they, like, fly him on a gurney and stuff, too? Pretty much. So that's, so that's January, what, 26th? Or no, or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that they do the TV taping in Tampa. He does not return to actual matches until when do we have? Was that WrestleMania result for? So it's it's uh the earliest result we have where he's back, but it's thirty seconds is against the Dream Team on March eighth at the Meadowlands. All right, let's see what else. Lexington, we don't have results for. Um. Trios at a TV taping on March 10th in a squash with Tito, so he probably doesn't do anything there. Three minutes against Hart Foundation, Struthers, Ohio, on March 12th. So he's back on the road. Um, Trying to see. Less than five minutes against Demolition in Toronto. Trying to see, what's the first quote-unquote real match here? You know, more DQ wins over the Hart Foundation, I'm guessing. Robert WrestleMania. Yeah, I mean the first match. Yeah, the first match he's in that's more than five minutes is Mania. No, yeah. and he is in the match. He does the snap suplex and stuff. Mm-hmm. But he's at least from what we have results for, he's not back on a full schedule till May. Mm-hmm. You know, there are only like eight results for him in. Well, wait a second, April. You have the post Mania time off too, so that's probably wrong. Uh, but we don't have match time, so it's probably April really end of march beginning of april is when he's actually working quote-unquote real matches again but he had been on the road since early march no he he could have gotten surgery right or did he get surgery i forget he did get surgery right he got emergency surgery now that i think about it he got emergency surgery but he in hamilton yeah came back way quick quicker than he should have right and also I mean, the understanding I think people had, I forget if he, this is what he even says in his book, I think, was that he was so pilled up all the time that, that he was basically ignoring the warning signs, right? Yeah. I mean, when you think about all the punishments so many wrestlers have gone through, it really says something about what he put himself through, that he's the only one that this happened to. Yeah. You know? Just had a weird straw that broke the camel's back moment. You know, pun not intended. Um, has to get emergency surgery. 
and doesn't keep taking care of it when he should have retired, and so becomes a paraplegic. Yeah. Like, you know, there are wrestlers who have ended up in wheelchairs or wrestlers who had a singular accident. But, like, you know, when, like, a Harley race was in a wheelchair, it wasn't any kind of, like, it wasn't this. It was just all of his wrestling accumulation coming to roost. You know, more conventional wrestling injury accumulation. Just everything. The only... The only one who messed up his sp- their spine like this is dynamite, and <laughs> you watch his work and you're not surprised though. No, because he's doing shit. You know, like think about how many times he probably did the head flying headbutt from the top rope to the floor that we don't even know about. Oh God, yeah. You know, threw himself so hard attacking the mat. On Unbut- well, that's another thing too. Who else was bumping as hard and as often, especially as a babyface, in those WWF rings? Mm-hmm. Like, it wouldn't shock me if he had done damage before, but the WWF run really is what made it bad. Yeah. And just terrible false advertising, too. Of course. But that's what they did. That All right, speak, speaking of WrestleMania, unfortunately, we would be an awful lot of these next few months. Last week, we reported the main event would be Andre the Giant's embarrassment against Hulk Hogan. It probably will be. However, Andre's physical condition makes that something less than a certainty. It seems Andre's bad back has been causing so many problems that there's concern he'll never be able to make a comeback. Andre hasn't wrestled since leaving for England to make that movie about four months ago, leaving a rotten machine angle in his wake. His scheduled return to Japan had to be scrapped because of the back problems. Want anything else? In fact, it was reported in Japan, Andre's bat was so bad, his career in Japan's in hi- is history. It said Andre needs to wear a bat brace at all times just to move around. Andre has been pulled from all bookings for another month, and if he can't return by mid-February to shoot the, the heel turn and jump Hogan angle, an alternate main event will have to be considered. Dave's going to be surprised they can pull off WrestleMania this year and without Andre Hogan match. He can think of a main event strong enough to carry the load. It is strange that they felt we are going to bank on doing this right now when Andre is such a sell of himself more than ever before. Mm-hmm. Because he, you know, he doesn't wrestle a single match between leaving for Princess Bride and WrestleMania. Then after WrestleMania, he gets the surgery and also takes care of visa issues. And doesn't wrestle again until Survivor Series. Mm-hmm. And then after that, doesn't wrestle again until Main Event. And after that, doesn't wrestle again until WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. And I want to say it's later that, in 88, that he goes on the road full-time with Warrior, with the Warrior run and stuff. Um, no, he's on the road before then. I mean, he does uh, the Jake feuds first. Or is it Duggan? Mm, no, uh, which came first? Duggan. Duggan, Duggan came first. Duggan came first because Jake was with Rude. And then Jake and Andre became the feud after Rude. The Jake Rude feud ended. Mm-hmm. And then Duggan Warrior comes after that in the Andre chronological order deal. And Andre has his other little side feuds as well. But yeah, I mean, it, again, if you wonder why Andre is wearing the singlet. That's why he's got his back brace. Well, the the machine's angle is twofold. It sets up for when he 
shoots the movie, but it also gives him a reason to change his gear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he's not wearing the tight. He's wearing the long, long boys as a machine. Yeah. Yes, but it's more that he needed the singlet to hide the back brace. Mm-hmm. But again, how different is WrestleMania 3 if Andre's in that match and is Hogan against Ordor for Kamala? I mean, yeah, those those did good business, big business in some places. It ain't doing that business in Detroit. Well, also, so far with Mania with Hogan, you they did fresh-ish matches. You know, you have the celebrity thing, mm-hmm. and it's re- it's only the second Piper match on any kind of stage at Mania, the first Mania. Mania two, I don't think he'd worked with Bundy at all leading up to that, right? They just shut. They shut the big angle. But he never had a match with him. I think they may have done some a couple of house shows, but that's house shows, yes. Right, right, right. but not a run or anything. No, 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 no. And here you already have the Orndorff feud. Like I don't think saving the cage match for Mania would have worked. But I don't know what you do though if Andre is not willing to go. You have to go with Hogan against probably Kamala. That's the fresher of the two. Are there any baby faces that you could do an Andre-type angle with without it coming off like a retread of the Orndorff angle? Uh, Hogan's the one that would make the most sense. You mean Andre? Well, you said Andre. No, no, I'm saying are there any baby faces that could take Andre's place and turn? Oh, as far as turning heel? Yeah. Uh, no, not really. Also, let's also be let's be realistic. The reason is probably Vince had been planning this clearly since he started expanding. Well, it was rumored in the Observer's eighty four that right, they, they were going to run Chase Stadium. Stadium. Yes, yes, but like clearly, Andre doing the celebration with the champagne when Hogan wins the title was supposed to plant a seed for something for an eventual video package. Mm-hmm. I wonder if this is Vince being like, "If we don't do this now, we'll never be able to do it." Mm-hmm. That makes the most sense to me. And I think it's venue, too. we got to have something to pack that venue. Well, because running running the Detroit Metro was what they – and running a stadium show was just clearly the right choice. Because Detroit's on fire. You can get people to drive from Toronto. You can get people to drive from Montreal. You know, like that is clearly where you need to run, and you probably do need to run a stadium with how much they're consistently selling out at the regular arenas in Detroit. So, but here's the thing, though. How much of that is Hogan Andre, and how much do you think is just the overall momentum? Um, I think, I think, it's, a, a, I think it's a combination. Well, it, I mean, yeah, but I think Hogan Andre is the main thing. That is the, the money. the main thing, but... I mean, that's it, the main build. Yeah, I mean, yes, it's Hogan Andre. But you get what I'm saying, though, that, like, I do think that just Detroit is a bigger factor than normally gets credit for. Yeah, but they needed the Hogan-Andre Battle Royal thing in Detroit, you know, the month earlier and did huge business. Right. And, well, we should also know, too, remember, there was no pay-per-view or closed circuit in the state of Michigan. mm Specifically to get people into the bill. So... Mm-mm. They had those tricks up their sleeve regardless. Oh, yeah. So, I think I think even without Hogan on Andre, they draw at least a respectable stadium crowd. I don't know if they sell it out, but I think they don't embarrass themselves. 
It's possible. It all depends on how everything played out and who who was in what and whatever. Yeah. All right. In a major move, it appears Titan pulled another coup by getting in with the Fox Network people who handled the Joan Rivers show, etc. Titan starts this week on the Fox Network station in New York, Channel 5, and started a few weeks ago on the affiliate in Los Angeles, Channel 11. Dave's not sure how many stations this will entail, but politically it's a coup, mainly because if the Fox Network were to pick a promotion for stations to carry, it wouldn't be one of Titan's competitors. Dave thinks any added coverage for Titan won't be significant, significant in the boss office because while any exposure gives you more chances to reach an incidental fan, added exposure at this point to an already overexposed product is going to drive others into getting bored with the product. Titan no longer has television on Channel 9 Los Angeles, having pulled it by its own decision in favor of move Channel 11. And what would think Crocker to watch should jump at the chance to get a strong and established TV time in the nation's number two market. Interesting how he doesn't make a similar comment about one of them trying to pick up WOR. Yeah. Um, hmm. So, I, I wonder what the catalysts were, at least here in New York. Obviously, Fox is making WNYW a much stronger station than it had been. But, you know, with WOR, it's a very strong station. You get into a lot of other markets on cable, just in case. You know, that was a good spot to be in. Do At this point, I don't know how much they would care, but do you think maybe NYW wasn't making them pay? Yeah. That's the only thing I can think of that would, other than just the Fox affiliate, and well, not in this case, it's not affiliates, it's not an operator, it's the flagship, but I wonder how much of it is that, how much is maybe another factor like that, like maybe they don't have to pay or whatever, you know, because one of those things that I don't think people realized until it was in uh, Tim Hornbaker's Death of the Territories, they pretty much always paid for WOR going back into when they started on there in the 70s. You know, it was not the norm in wrestling, but to have a strong slot in New York, that's what they had to do. Oh, yeah. Well, this, I mean, this isn't some small market in the 70s and 80s. It's New York City. You know, you got to sometimes work a little differently there. Sure. Actually, I just realized, you know what it probably is? What? They could get day, t- you know, Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon on Fox Five, and they were still late night on WOR. I guess right because I'd have to check, but I'm pretty sure the WOR stuff was pretty much always like eleven o'clock on Saturday or something like that, which works in some markets, you know. That's not true. Then what that, time that, that... slot was it by this point, at least? Well, this one, this, I mean, this one I don't know, but I know that changes when Stern gets on. He's because he's against Saturday Night Live on WR. But that doesn't start and, for a few years after I, this. They're off WR yeah. here. Well, I'm just saying. That's a 90- different type of show. When, but yeah, what does that have to do with this, though? They're, if they're already off WR for years by then. Well I, didn't, I, well, I mean, you're still about WOR and wrestling. I don't know. And no, that time slot. about the WWF slots. I just know what went in there later on sure 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 uh let me see so i look for superstars of wrestling december 1986 location new york new york i'm so is he saying it's our week that they're starting on channel five um 
He just said it's been done. He didn't say when there was a start date. Okay, so it wasn't our week yet because our week at least. Okay, so Superstars of Wrestling is on Saturdays at 5 p.m. So that's a pretty good time slot. Um, should check when Challenge and Spotlight were on then. So, okay, by this point they had moved because I think earlier on. When would that have been? Because this is really before my time. I don't remember, but they had been on primarily late nights, at least before the rebranding of the syndicated shows. But, well, they had midnight. That was their famous slot, was midnight on Saturday nights, but they also had another show airing earlier. Well, and they also, in the, in that era, they also had the other showing on uh, in English on the Spanish channel. Uh, so is this morning? Okay. Challenge at this point is... Okay, so Challenge is already on Channel 5 at least our week while at Sundays at 10 a.m., while Superstars is still on Channel 9, Saturdays at 5 p.m. All right. So in our week, at least they're split. And looking at this a little bit more, Challenge, at least according to some of these listings, was also airing Mondays at mid... Is this Monday night at midnight or Sunday night at midnight? I can't tell. On MSG Network. Yeah. So big change, though, either way. Kind of interesting that they didn't do it at the start of the season. Well, my thoughts probably curious to know how far they're going to get. Maybe. So, there's that, too. Thus far, the Ricky Steve by Randy Savage grudge match seemed to be doing well, but not exceptional. First match in Detroit on the on Christmas night drew 8,500. December 27th, St. Louis drew 4,000. The matches themselves are wild and out-of-control brawls. Because out-of-control is anything can be here, which apparently is set up return bouts. Well, the first matches probably will draw a decent everywhere. Keep it by Christmas inflates crowds, so these may not be a proper indication. It's still very questionable they can keep it up for a series of three bouts in the major cities and still have heat left for the climactic match at WrestleMania. Well, we know what happens there. Yes, well, at least on the part of the wrestlers, this was deliberate, though. The way Steamboat has explained it, and it's kind of what people interpreted it as when they started to see more of the matches as they surfaced on video with Classics on Demand and stuff. They do the big brawls where he's getting revenge on the road to Mania, and then Mania, being a title match, is him wrestling a clean wrestling match because he's already satiated his violence on the house show run. Or his urge to do violence, I guess, is the way to put it. So you're having a uh, out of control brawl set up a straight wrestling match. It worked though. <laughs> it did. And we're bad then. I mean, I guess we're bad then. So well, because Steamboat him, uh, specifically puts a big premium on working a title match like a big t- like a title match. I know, but I got other. You know, this happened on other occasions, and people like bitched about it. Yeah, where that happened. But it is what it is. All right, so let's go to the results. Capital Center, Landover on Christmas. Paul Roma over Tucker Chung Lee. Siva Afi over Steve Lombardi. Sika over Jose Luis Rivera. Natural Butch Reed over Terry, uh, Jerry Allen, excuse me. The women's title, Fabulous Moodler retained over Leilani Kai. The Heart Foundation over Corporal Kirshner and Dick Slater. That's a match. The Rougeaus over the Dream Team. Black Jack Mulligan and Nikolai Volkov, Hercules over Coco Beware, and Hogan retained the WF title over Kamala by DQ. 
Then Detroit that night. Uh, 8,500, 8, excuse me, on, on Christmas night. Barry O over Jerry Valiant. Lanny Prof over Jack Kruger. Sheik Abdullah, Ali Hassan. Pedro Morales over Frenchie Martin. Honky Tonk Man over Scott McGee. Dino Bravo over SD Jones. Billy Jack over the Iron Sheik. JYD over Bundy by DQ. Morocco and Orton over the U.S. Express. Return to Spy Me. Savage Chain, Nicey Town over George Dubai Countout, and Piper over Adonis. Your main event. I forget, are we pre-Adonis Mystery Suspension or post-Adonis Mystery Suspension? Oh, we're post. Okay. That's what happened. Yeah. Because they did the big uh, angle where he sh- comes back like the first week of December. Mm. Uh, Alright, Hulk Hogan and Kamala headlined a $249,000 gate on December 26th in Madison Square Garden. But 2000 shot of a sellout. And a wild but short brawl ending with Kamala DQ for the wizard Iakea's interference. And Holt taking a pound with everyone, including Vincent Mann, involved in breaking out the post match brawl. Only the other results they can recall are Hercules Hernandez, Pinatito Santana, Hillbilly Jim over Mr. Fuji in a tuxedo ripping contest, Blackjack Mulligan over Nikolai Volkov for two minutes, and Hockey Talk beating Stibiafi up, and then pinning him again later in the car. All right, so. Um, the actual crowd number given was twenty two thousand ninety one fans, and one the New Jersey newspaper figure you found. Yes, okay. which is the common sellout number. Sometimes they would have the twenty six thousand number with the felt form. No, twenty six thousand in the building. You know, then the felt form well, attendance would be right beside. Well, no, you can't get tw- even in the old MSG. You- Configuration, you could not get anything close to that without fault form. Well, maybe you need to talk to these newspapers and the state athletic commissions in Bix. Well, it's exaggerated, <laughs> or they're including the to- it in the total and then giving it separately. But no, that no twenty. There is no way you can get twenty six thousand into MSG proper ever. Well, anyway. Oh, by the I, way, uh, digging around a little bit more, Dave appears to be talking about just wrestling challenge on. Fox 5 at this point, because even going into March, Superstars is still on Channel 9. And Russell, well, yeah, Wrestle Challenge is a new show, so... Well, they're yeah. all new shows, technically. Yeah, I guess. Alright, uh... MSG. Paul Rome over Terry Gibbs. The Hart Foundation over Corporal Kirshner and Dick Slater. Uh, Mula retained the women's title over Leilani Kai. Pedro Morales over Dino Bravo by DQ. Hogan retained their title beating Kamala by DQ. Jose Luis Rivera over Stephen Barty. Hibbley Jim over Mr. Fuji in a tuxedo match. Honky Top Man over Steve Offy. Hercules over Tito Santana. Blackjack Mulligan over Nikolai Volkov in 33 seconds. So that's your MSG show. Now the rest of the crew was in Pittsburgh. At Civic Arena, the Igloo. In front of 7,000 fans. Had Karate Kid and Little Coco over Little Tokyo, Lord Littlebrook. Butch Reed over Jerry Allen. Cooker Beware over Jimmy Jack Fump. Dream Team went to a 20-minute draw of the Rougeos. Sika over Salvatore Belomo. Jake the Snake over George Jamble Steel. By count out. Barry over Tony Gurria. JYD over Bundy by DQ. Iron Eye Shop over Tiger Chung Lee. And then Piper over Adonis. Yeah. 
Then we have Hogan and Kamala drawing 15,000 on December 27th at the Rosemont Horizon. Slightly more than Crockett drew two weeks ago for his podcast stampede there. Rest of the results, Scott McGee over Frenchie Martin, Tito over Hercules, George Skolan over Stoney Burke. Oof. Uh, Butchered over Dick Slater. Funny how these two are programmed here a year after their great Mid-South view. Yep. Hart Foundation over Rougeau, Steve Alfie over Stephen Barty, Paul Romar over Mike Sharp, Jerry Allen over Chet Kruger, and Hogan retained the title over Kamala by disqualification. Uh, and real quick, okay, I pinpointed it. The move for superstars is, is not till September 87. It's not finished until then because it looks like there's at least a week or two of overlap where it's airing in both slots on both stations, superstars, in August. But then it moves exclusively to uh, Fox 5 in September. Spotlight still stays on Channel 9, though. So they still have the relationship, I think, for another year or two until Spotlight moves to MSG. And the spotlight's basically showing, you know, pretty much all, most of the matches they show on there is from Challenge Superstars. So there's that, too. All right, St. Louis on the 27th to a $37,000 gate. That steam would be savage by count in eight minutes of a brawl, which contained no wrestling moves at all. They fall over the building. Billy Jack over Don Morocco. Mula over Leilani Kai. They've said seeing Leilani in Japan. That is simply pitiful. Jake over Coco in a great match with no heat. Honky over JYD, junk food dog by blood stoppage in one of the worst matches of the year. JYD tapped Honky with a chair and had a very small cut in his head, and the ref stopped it and awarded the Honky via the blood. 4,000 to Keel that night. That's Barry Great. <laughs> Barry Gary Jackson, Terry Gibbs over Tommy Sharp, Dream Team over US Express. Honky Tonk over Dog by the Blood Stoppage, Jake over Coco, Mula over the Lion Kai, and Billy Jack over Morocco. And then you have Steamboat beating Macho by Kana on Icy Title Match in eight minutes. And then we go to Toronto. They drew a legit sub of 16, excuse me, 18,000 fans as the Hulk Kamala no DQ battle. Keep the description of my future no DQ match around the horn. Ended up when Hulk threw powder in Kamala's eyes, shoved out of the ring. Start being a uh, Curtis, the wizard, and uh, Steve Lombardi Kimchi as getting kind of out of the rank. And a no DQ match, too, by the way. Well, you can do that. Rest of the car, Patreon Morales over the Red Demon. Spoondaw Spot over Tiger Chung Lee, Lane Pop over Jimmy Dan Funk, Dino Bravo over Tony Garia, Dick Slater over Sika by DQ, Kamala over Hogan by Count no DQ match. Ayashik over S.D. Jones, Hercules over Cole Kirshner, Hearts over Rougeau's, and Mulligan over Nikolai. Thoughts on the house show lineups here in the day after this time period? They are being carried by the main events. Uh, yes. Yes, they are. Honky JYD blood stoppage is an interesting finish, though. <laughs> in St. Louis, too. Yeah. yeah how much of one of us? What's going on here? Who's doing these uh, bookings? Yes. Um, okay, so I pinned it down. Spotlight is actually on Channel 9 until the end of 1988. So they drop it mid-season. And it doesn't start into, on MSG until September 89 for the fall season. At which point it's filler programming because it's not on every week. You'll find, like, one week here and there where it's on. Which 
kind mm. of fits with how I remember it, that it was either in a floating time slot or whatever. I mean, I see an MSG ad that says it's on uh, Saturday, excuse me, Tuesdays at 11.05 p.m., but the listings do not reflect that. There'll be a test on this later. <laughs> True. <laughs> if you get to have all your uh, Petacino block, I get to have this. Yeah, but at least all my shit's concurrent. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. It's just different shows it's different shows revolving around the same blocks. Sure. Anyway, let's uh, uh, uh the Red Demon we talked about, by the way. Uh that's Jose Luis Rivera under the hood, so there's that. Apparently Paul Ondor's shoulder problems are more serious than we are being led to believe. Ondor's nerve endings to in the shoulder are dead, and he's been told by doctors to quit wrestling. But he'll continue, although he's had to miss several bookings because of it. Uh, I missed the paydays. Now, Hogan feud. Why didn't he take the time off after the Hogan feud was mostly over, though? I don't know. He wasn't doing anything until he did the Bayface turn. And we still we still have the Saturday Night's Main Event cage match to have to come, which is the official blow off. But that's the the, well, that's mostly the... been done by then. Yeah, but that's already been taped by this point in time too. Well, that there is that. So <sighs> they had him on the road for WrestleMania. Well, you know, true. yeah. But that's it's probably just, one. It, it's just sad that he, and it's that stupid, you know, the old pay structure and everything too ties into it. Like this should, this never should have happened. No, no, it shouldn't have. But. It did. I think part of probably the... Well, did he ever get any kind of surgery? Later. In this era, though. I mean, between no, 86 and 95, basically. Unless, unless he did some on the down low while he was out of action for pretty much the entire year of 88 and 89. You know? Yeah, because... that's I ask because... I wonder how much of this is also just whatever surgery is available at the time seems like not the best option. Yeah. All right. So let's go to TV clip. Shall we? Piper's pit. Let's go to Piper's pit. And Bobby Heenan uh, has just recently purchased Hercules. So let's go to uh, Bobby and Hercules and Piper's pit. Purchased Hercules or his contract? Well, aren't there, isn't that one of the same? Well, Ted DiBiase would think so in a little bit. Made the man quit! Made the man quit! Say that again! Say 
say that again to me. He did what? Read my lip. He made Hulk Hogan quit. That's right, Bobby Heenan. We shocked the world. We had Hulk Hogan up there. Everybody knows it. We beat him right in the middle. Prove it. This is the strongest man on the face of the earth. He can move cars. Prove it. The man can tear down pillars. Prove it. The man can lift houses. Wait a second. You're saying all this stuff? He Change the part. Now you're talking, rip the damn things off. Rip them off right now. Right now. I can rip these things as easy as I can. He's not gonna do it, Piper. Yeah! Get out of here! You know what? You both stink! Well, let me tell you something. This is Hercules! <laughs> we got some porn coming up next. Um, uh, has, Hercules is he's, he's getting away from that Hercules look that he had. Well, he's. For the here. He's going from being Hercules Hernandez to Hercules, as we remember him in the WWF. Yeah, but he's still wearing like the little Hercules um, armband deals. He doesn't have the weird like outfit though. He's not wearing the armor, no. no. And he's cut his hair, and yeah, it, it was a needed change. He did not fit in there for whatever reason in his original guise. No, this was a much better fit for the WWF. Yes, absolutely. Also, it's weird seeing him, well, maybe not, without a tan, but then I was going to say, like, maybe it's, because he did always tan very pink. Yes. I wonder if him being, I wonder if this is, we're seeing one of the reasons why, he's just a naturally pale guy, and maybe he's choosing not to tan at one point, so he does not look bright pink. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, so... Hulk Hogan in this era is known for cutting some uh, interesting promos, to say the least. You say that like the last time we played a Hogan promo from this era on the show, it wasn't uh, Hulk Hogan talking about why Ali Noor selling weapons to the Contras was actually good. (laughs) Well, let's go to the Hulkster, shall we? Let's hear what he's got to talk about now. As we close out the year of 1986 and begin looking ahead towards 1987, who better to talk it all over with than the one man who really needs no introduction anywhere on the face of the earth because he is indeed the heavyweight champion of the world, Hulk Hogan. Okay, does he have a cold or is Vince trying to make Killer Ken sound less uh, Midwestern? Probably. Probably, yeah. Because that that was strange. And Hulkster, bottom line, the gold's still around your waist after facing many, many challengers in 1986. You know, that's because I still got my feet on the ground, Killer Ken. Beat a lot of people up, man. King Kong Bundy slammed me through the mat, put some lumps on Mr. Wonderful's head, made a lot of people submit right in the middle of the ring. But the thing that I've always had going for me, man, is I keep that one-on-one relationship, that eye-to-eye contact, hand-to-hand correspondence with all my Hulkamaniacs, brother. I can look you in the eye and tell if you've been training, saying your prayers, and eating your vitamins. And I can look you in the eye and tell if you've been cheering for somebody like Mr. Wonderful. For all those non-believers, man, 
1987 is going to be a turnaround, brother, because I'm going to take that cult that follows all those losers, and I'm going to turn them into Hulkamaniacs, brother. I'm going to make you believe in Hulkamania. I'm going to make you believe in the power of the 24-inch pythons. And once you submit to Hulkamania, you're going to walk the straight and narrow, and the light will shine on you forever after. But I got one thing to say to a few people out there, namely Hollywood, man. Joan Rivers, you're cool, but you better back off. I got a heavy-duty wrestling schedule. And as far as you go, John J. Rambo, you better get in better shape than you've ever been in. Because I ain't coming out to Hollywood to make no movies, brother. I ain't coming out for no TV commercials. I'm coming out to work out with you, man. Hulkamania is going to run wild. What are you going to do, 87, when the Hulkster runs wild on you? And a happy new year to each and every one of you. What is Ken doing in a happy new year to each and every one of you? <laughs> All the great fans of the Polynesian Islands, Fiji, Hawaii, Samoa, American Samoa, for the Superfly, Ken Resnick. Also, this is the, this is the international version of Superstars, right? Yeah. Or, so why is uh, why is Hogan calling out Joan Rivers and John J. Rambo? <laughs> Well, it seems like he's saying J- Joan Rivers is trying to get with him. I don't think he's saying the same thing about Sly. But, but again, he calls him John J. Rambo. He's not calling him, you know, Stallone. Because, I mean, why not just call him Rocky Balboa? I don't know. Or Sly. Yeah. Oh, this is... Okay, yes, this is the Australian version. That's why we got that generic promo as I scroll through it yeah. here. Yes. Yes, which... I forget if International Wrestling Challenge exists yet. Because it seems like most of the regular TV we have from outside of the U.S. in this period is from Australia, right? Yeah. So, well, uh, all, all Americans were Australia, which yeah. is funny. Yes. On, uh, what is it, the 10 Network? Yes. So, all right, that was Wacky Hogan. All right, next we have an update on Ricky Steamboat. Oh, we're Help. not going to hear from... Uh, Rick Martell and his partner before he quit. I mean, if you want to play, I hate it. no, we don't have to. <laughs> All right, it wasn't in the note. All right, so let's go to the update on Ricky Stevo. Is this from the pages of World Wrestling Federation magazine? Uh, I think so. Yes. From the pages of the World Wrestling Federation magazine, here's update with Gene Okerlund. Whose voiceover is that? Think. I guess so. Because of widespread concern, update editors at this time are presenting a review of the Randy Savage-Ricky Steamboat incident, starting when the Intercontinental Champion slammed the Dragon's throat into a ring barricade and then proceeded to drive a bell into that area of his neck. From the top At that point, former world champion and now World Wrestling Federation broadcast analyst Bruno San Martino went back to the locker room to get further information regarding Steamboat's condition. Ricky Steamboat absolutely could not breathe. The Maddox, the Maddox behind this door here now, they're actually put a hole in it, they put some kind of a tube for him to breathe. Recently, our cameras caught up with Ricky the Dragon Steamboat convalescing at his home. Savage, 
I want you listening up now. I'm talking to you. You are a priority in my career right now. <clears throat> Before the end comes, you will have suffered. There you go. <laughs> so he's already done his speech therapy at the School for the Deaf. I think so, yeah. And we've already had the Bonnie Steamboat promos, which are classics. How much of Her a Bonnie act. Steamboat did she come off like? <laughs> Her acting was something. <laughs> She's quite, she was quite a little actress in uh, those clips. Now, speaking of Ricky Steamboat. On previews all week for the TV show Sidekicks, in which Ricky Steamboat will make an appearance as pro wrestler Rick Steamboat. There's <laughs> so plenty of scenes of Rick's voice boss perfectly intact. Rick was filming the show while on his month-long vacation. Okay, so first of all, his, his, the character he plays is not Ricky Steamboat. Second of all, people watching don't know when it's shot. It's David. I know. Also, uh, just from a quick YouTube search, it appears that the clips of Steam but on Sidekicks are no longer on YouTube. Oh, oh which well. is a shame. So, okay, do you remember what the episode is about? Yes. He is, I believe, a long lost cousin of the Ernie Reyes character. Yeah who they don't realize is a grown adult who is mentally disabled and really wants to be a cop. <laughs> yeah. And he ends up getting a job as a security guard and that's his happy ending. Cause he gets to play cop and Oh, okay. The episode is on YouTube. It's just that it does not have the words rookie steamboat in it at all. Or is this, has this been pulled? Okay. It's there. So wait, did this air in our week or outside of our week? They didn't air in our week. So it was they, the They, they just episode filmed it because they filmed it when he was off. But they said his they said the promos were airing in our Dave said the promos were airing. Let me see. If I if I search newspaper listing. Sidekicks. Ricky Steamboat. So should I search for December nineteen eighty six, I guess? Uh Charlotte Observer. December 30th says this. Okay, so it airs the week after our week. Okay. Yes, the episode is The Cousin Who Fell to Earth. There you go. So if you want to look it up, it, uh, it's on YouTube in multiple parts, and it's interesting. Yeah, it's yeah, a different side of Ricky Steen, but yeah. He does a good job with what he's supposed to be doing in that role. Yeah. Kind of interesting that this is his only acting role I can think of in light of that. Yeah. Which also goes to how there are a lot of WWF wrestler appearances on what are now obscure like TV shows in this era that people don't really remember. A few. More more than you would think, I guess, is the best well, way but, to put but, it. Well, but Bundy was on Mary with Children. Well, that people obscure. remember that. Yeah. All right. Uh, speaking of Bundy. Bundy uh, on the December 20th episode of Wrestling Challenge had quite a little meeting in the aisleway with another wrestler. So let's go to that clip, shall we? Uh, yes, an angle that's never been done before in the World Wrestling Federation. And then that came out of it. On the top turnbuckle, then came down with a vengeance. This guy has got to be hurt really bad. Some special info on some upcoming events coming up. Well, we're back, folks, and being carted out here on the stretcher, young Billy Anderson fell prey to the big splash 
of Kamala off that top turnbuckle as so many others have. And we're just waiting for some kind of word from Jack Tunney, the president of World Wrestling Federation, as to whether this hole is going to be barred or not. I definitely think it should be before someone is maimed and maybe perhaps has one of those lower back ribs just thrust into his lung. This this John, Luscious Johnny B can put somebody out of business. Bro. Look uh, at this. Kamala not satisfied. He wants to oversee. He wants to oversee the carrying out of poor Billy Anderson. Look at him right in the He's kitchen. watching him all the way to the dressing room the way it looks like, Monsoon. What a display here this week. But I don't think on. he's concerned about him. He seems to enjoy oh, what look he at does. King Kong Bundy on the way to the ring for his match runs head on with the Ugandan giant Kamala. It's like King Kong meeting Godzilla at 42nd Street and Broadway. The irresistible force meeting the immovable object. Look oh, at this, the brain trying to get his back. No, nobody wants to budge here. Look at Bundy screaming at Kamala. Kamala doesn't understand him. Well, while the wizard and Kimchi finally get Kamala, but he's just backing up. Yeah. But still keeping his eye on Bundy. That's the wisest thing Bobby did. That's the wisest thing that the Wizard did. These two would kill each other, no doubt about it. Can you imagine these two near 500-pounders almost colliding here this week on Wrestling Challenge? Bundy wasn't scared of them. Only about a schedule for one fall. Uh, Was Bundy going to turn? It's weird. Because this doesn't go anywhere. No. But they're doing it for a reason. Yeah. Who knows what was going to happen? Are they, well, they they had done on the rare occasion they had done heel versus heel matches because we just had the uh, what dream savage team, stuff too. Well, dream team she Volkov stuff. So, but Jake and Savage, um, you know, there there was some stuff, but not really set up with an angle like this. No. So obviously, this was something that was in plans and that's all it got to so but i if he was turning i can kind of see the idea you've already gotten the most you're gonna get out of him as a heel he can talk he's funny but you're not really letting him do any of that as a heel with heenan as his manager so why not think about turning him and feuding him with someone like kamala yeah you know People who, you know, maybe they've heard some of the world-class stuff we've had on here or whatever. If you have not seen Bundy outside of at least his usual WWF environment, and I say that because, like, you know, Bundy on TNT and stuff like that is good. But, like, check out his problems in world-class and stuff like that. Like, he he could talk his ass off. Like, he was really good as a promo. Well, Georgia. He, there's a face and a, a heel. Yeah. So... Yeah. All right. Um, also in Wrestling Challenge, we have a snake pit featuring Andre the Giant and basically his last babyface appearance on their television, so to speak. So let's go to the clip. And his last babyface appearance is with Stradich. <laughs> yeah. And now, Jake the Snake Roberts in the snake pit. I love his Miami Vice. Isn't it amazing? You know, I've always looked good in white. I don't know why, but white's always been one of my colors. You know what I mean? You know, some people go through life and they don't know what they're reaching out and touching. But my next guest is probably one of the most bizarre men that ever step into the ring. 
My next guest is probably one of the biggest men to ever step into the ring. My next guest was just recently reinstated, and I'm talking about Andre the Giant. You know, when I look at you, my man, they sure broke the mold when they stopped with you, but whenever I look at you, I kind of wonder, even if Damien here could squeeze the air out of you wrapped around your neck, it makes me wonder. You know Damien, don't you, my fine friend here? Don't you think he's nice? What is a garter snake? A garter snake? No, that's a python, man. A python's a very <laughs> dangerous snake. Now, we might have to get a bigger one to take care of you, but I'm sure there might be one somewhere. Now, you take it easy, all right? Just take it easy. There's a lot of questions been flying around. And I'm the inquisitive type. I like to know what's going on. Now, I know there's been several people trying to find out what's been happening. Number one, Bobby Heenan was at the hearing. You weren't. Jesse Ventura is trying to find out. Gene Okerlund's trying to find out. So what I want to know right now is why don't you expose the book, open the book, let the pages fly, let them go where they have to go. But for some reason, tell me, just how did you do it, huh? Open the book and tell everybody, my man. You were definitely behind it. This book is a mystery, man. If it's a mystery, then we'll let it go at that, all right? You do what you want to do, big man. I didn't mean to bother you. It's your time, too, right? Try him again some other time when he wants to talk, huh? Okay, a few interesting things there. One... They're already inching Jake towards his turn. Kind of. He starts beat healing on Andre, but eventually he's like, okay. Like, he's not cowering like a heel or anything. He's like, okay, fair enough. He's, well, he's also the white the white jacket. Yeah. Looking white. good in white, yeah. yeah. Now, I did not remember, and is this the only, maybe this is the only segment where they say this, I did not remember that the idea was that not only was Heenan the only person who came to speak for Andre at the hearing, where he got unsuspended, but that Andre wasn't there. No, that no, they never said Heenan spoke for Andre. They said Heenan was there. You know what I mean, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, eventually that, yeah. it turns I mean, out that, that, that he spoke for Andre, but yeah, yeah I did not that, remember that Andre was not supposed to be there. Yeah, that was talked about earlier, yes. That, okay, so they had previously said that Andre was not at his own hearing. Okay. Yes. Oh, yes. Well, no, no, that makes sense, though, because when they reveal that he's been unsuspended... Well, and also that when they reveal that he's been unsuspended, he's in England. Mm-hmm. He's not in the States or at the hearing or whatever. So And Ventura was so hot about that because he couldn't get any information out of Jack Tunney. So the idea here, I guess, is that the way it turns out is that Andre has not turned yet, but Bobby Heenan has started working on him, I guess. Yeah. Well, he got him unsuspended. Yeah. Yeah. Which I always found it weird though. Why, why are you suspending your baby face by presenting him as a guy who no shows? Yeah. It's some stupid stuff. It's a weird, regard. it's a weird storyline. It It is. Yeah. That feels like just a bad idea if you're a wrestling promoter. <laughs> yeah. All right. Titan canceled the Christmas week show in St. Paul because of how badly Hogan and Kamala flopped there last month. And the fact that both Vern and Crockett had strong shows coming in. Oh, so they were supposed to have a Christmas show in St. Paul. Yeah. Until the Bloomington show 
did so shockingly badly. That's interesting. And we close with this. There's actually going to be a little Hulkster running around, as Hogan's wife Linda is expecting. Brooke. Yeah, <laughs> yeah not Nick. Yes, Brooke is the older one. Yeah. So, Nick, Nick is the one that uh, Dr. Zahorian helped with, helped with. Yes. And that's not a joke, by the way. No? That's what happened. Joke. Yeah. All right. That's it for us this week. We'll be back next week with a Patreon-requested show by Sean Doherty. And we will be, uh, of course, in the year and going to the new year. So it's a split-year show as we'll be discussing uh, – the end of 2006 and the beginning of 2007, 29th through January the 4th. So we'll have um, TNA, where we have a uh, interesting review of TNA by one Brian Alvarez, as usual, in, in, in this era. So that should be entertaining, to say the least. And we got all the normal um, independent results uh, from all the various indies around. Some indies you that we never talked about in this show before and you know just different names and interesting stuff here looking at it and then we got uh puerto rico we got lucha new year's new year shows we got dumb wrestling to talk about in canada <laughs> we got the year end and uh beginning of the year indie shows in japan to talk about. I'm sure there's some interesting stuff there. Yes, including all a couple uh, like multi-promotion indie spectaculars as well. Yeah, and All Japan's got their uh, Battle Royal shows, so we'll have that. Wrestle Kingdom! The very first Wrestle Kingdom is in our week, and that's the reason why Sean picked this show, so we'll talk about that. And uh, yeah, that should be very interesting. But we have the World Wrestling, Feder World Wrestling Federation, World Wrestling Entertainment to talk about, where we have a New Year's Day Raw to remember as Vince McMahon on Raw talks about Donald Trump and Rosie O'Donnell. Oh, boy. Kevin Federline on Monday Night Raw. And, well, not just on Monday Night Raw. This is the match with Cena. Yeah, the match with Cena, yes. And an interesting note about a son of a WWE legend who may be looking at wrestling in his future. All that more next week on Between the Sheets. All right, Bix, thanks as always. You're the rock of the show. This is Chris saying so long from the Peach State of Georgia.
Hello, everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, Patreon special, episode number 63. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, joined as always by my co-host, David Bixenspan. And Bix, it's time for part two of our series on John Collins' Main Event Championship Wrestling. And if you thought the first one was wild and crazy, you ain't heard nothing yet. Oh, the first half is nothing compared to this. <laughs> no, it is not. So, on that note, let's get to our guest on this show, our co-host, uh, King Kingsport, Bo James, our dear friend. And, Bo, you were telling us off the air an interesting little uh, story about the first show compared to some of your other appearances on this show. So, uh, tell everybody what you were telling us. Out of all the other great wrestlers and great figures and characters that we have talked about, on my how many years now of being on this show, I've got more personal messages and feedback over this nut than anybody else that we've <laughs> talked about. We've done a lot of audio, and I think because yeah. I, think, I think you've been on you know for about five years now, maybe four at the least on shows, very very many shows, both Patreon and regular show, and. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, and I was saying, like I said, we ain't got to the the really spicy stuff yet. So was this feedback from people in the business, fans, or both? Nobody in the business. All oh. listeners of Between the Sheets. Wow. Yeah. You know, many of them started with, I've listened to you on with Chris and Bix for many years. This is the craziest stuff I've ever heard. <laughs> And yeah, folks, you're just hearing about it. You didn't live it. <laughs> yeah. Yes, indeed. Because we've not we've not got to death threats <laughs> and mega mass homicide and all this other <laughs> stuff that was being thrown around on phone calls and <laughs> messages and Well, I'm uh, sure we'll get I'll to it later your... then. So wait a second, is the orid had Tracy already been using the term ultra mega mass homicide, or does it first come to life during that? Oh, he he's been using that as long as I've known him since 1989. Okay. He I, 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 he said it on promos. He said it on I've heard him saying in promos, you know, as a heel. So gotcha. yeah, even though it didn't pick up steam as a thing with fans until about a year after this, after the IWA thing with Eaton. Yeah. Um, all right, well, we ended uh, the first show with the second week of August, and they had their debut show at the ECW Arena, and we had all the hoopla surrounding that. So if you haven't listened to that yet, you better listen to that, because you need to listen to that before you listen to this, actually. So you can get and you, know, you probably need to take notes as you go along listing just so you can keep <laughs> it all straight. Yeah, exactly, because there's a lot of... A lot of lies being told by John Collins to, uh, throughout that show that he can't get, keep straight, much less us. So um, let's continue where we left off. All right. One, uh, one, WrestlingClassics.com message board. Crimson Mask, longtime poster there. Uh, subject verbatim transcript of AOLIM conversation with apparently John Collins. Okay, sports fans, I just got enlisted. I am a brother from John Collins. Here it is in full, unedited and unabridged. Okay, who wants to be who here? You're John Collins. Okay. We are not a me company. We are a we company. 
Excuse me? We have to be a we company for everything to work out right. If not, we won't survive and won't be able to last long. Okay, I agree, but what is all this apropos of? What do you mean? What brings you to be IMing me? I heard you've been posting stuff about me and my company on a message board called WrestlingClassics.com. Okay, yes, I have. The whole thing, frankly, sounded screwed to me from the word go. Why is that? Are you jealous? No, 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 wait, these are a few columns in a row. Sorry. Are you jealous you're not working for MECW? I heard you've been calling us a cow and saying stuff like moo-moo. Jealous? Uh, no, not at all. Seen to me, with all the plans to, you were all jumping the gun big time on your first announcement, and Terry Taylor was the one who called it me-cow. You don't want to see MECW to survive, do you? You just like seeing one promotion, and that is the WWF, correct? It's people like yourself who want to see the business and have no competition. What? It's people like yourself who want to see the business and have no competition. I would love to see you survive. I would love to see a viable alternative. Your thing didn't sound viable to me from the jump. I would love to see the boys be able to get on the plane so their tickets paid if that's what they were promised. I dislike this Monopoly crap as much as anyone. Maybe you are the one canceling the flights. Who is this, Indie Fan? Uh, just for the record, Indie Fan was the guy who was posting, like, all the MECW stuff on Wrestling Classics and is, you know, a, one of the reasons we were able to find so much of this stuff. Because yeah. Wrestling Classics has so much of their archive saved. Yeah. So anyway, um, who is that? Either you're Indie Fan ribbing me or you're a raving paranoiac. I'm canceling the flights. Yeah, you and Heyman. Pal, I've never met Paulie in my life. Sure, that's what they all say. Well, it was nice talking to you. Remember the name, MECW. You need help. We will be around for the next five to ten years, if not longer. I hope so, whether you believe that or not. Heck, we might even change... R-A-R-E, I haven't pointed out the spelling stuff before, but that one I had to, name to something else. But we will still be around. Bye-bye. Okay. I got to eat dinner now. One last time. Indy? This is you, right? Uh, no. Last time I checked, my name is John Collins. Okay. Then check this out. I am not canceling your flights. Sure, whatever you say. Yeah, that is what I say. What the fuck was that? What the fuck? (laughs) I love how, especially going through all this stuff, it's very obvious that's really him. Which is sad. That's really sad. (laughs) Jesus Christ. This This is the strongest proof we've seen so far that he is going through some mental illness issues. Bo, what do you think about all this? I want to get your take on this. (laughs) He can't shut up. He has to have somebody to talk to and somebody to tell how great he is and what he's going to do. And he just wants somebody to listen to him. Somebody. When you're going after fans on message boards, then 
you're almost at the bottom. Oh, my goodness. This would be sad even for a low-level indie, then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-mm-mm. Amazing. And it just is going to get better. To hear this entire show, support Between the Sheets on Patreon for just $5 per month. Go to patreon.com slash between the sheets.